Welcome to the Poker Fraud Alert Radio 2017 Saturday Night Disco Party. I am Todd Dandruff with Ellis, and this is our first show of 2017. Saturday night at almost 8.30 p.m., so kind of an off day, off hour, and I know we've had a lot of those recently, and that's just the way it's been. And I'll explain why this one is on this odd day and odd time very shortly. But uh, two quick orders of business. First of all, let's attempt to put on our co-host, who has been our most frequent co-host in the last few months. I'm, I'm trying to be an optimist and see if we can get him on the old Skype, where the sound effects work better. And it looks like we have him. Uh, Calwatt, hello. How you doing, Druff? Good, good. And uh, yeah, sorry for the wait there. And I know it's almost 11.30 p.m. there in New York now. Is this a little bit better it's on a weekend, or is it pretty much the same thing for you as far as getting tired? No, nah, it's still pretty brutal. Okay. <laughs> well, I appreciate you showing up here. And the other quick order of business is we have a free roll tonight, and it's a $75 free roll. Sometimes when we have these off-night shows, we don't have a free roll. But this week, we're doing it. This week, we have $75 up for grabs in the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You can find that on the... No Fraud Online Poker tab near the top of the screen on PokerFraudAlert.com. It is 100% completely free. It is not gambling. And I'm not just saying that for some attempt to cover my ass legally. No, it really is not gambling because there's no risk. And if you're not risking anything, you are not gambling. It is completely free to enter. No play chips required. All you need is a Poker Fraud Alert forum account in good standing to qualify for the money. And some other things you need to... uh, know that are in the official rules that you must read before you play. They haven't changed in a while. You must read them at PokerFraudAlert.com slash FreeRoll. PokerFraudAlert.com slash FreeRoll, all lowercase, exactly as it sounds. And be familiar with those. Otherwise, if you don't qualify, you don't get the free money. $75 cash is up for grabs, though. You can get paid in a variety of ways, including Bitcoin, bank transfers, check, Cash and envelope, and even some other ways that uh, we're not going to discuss here. But PM me or email me if you win. Dandruff at PokerFraudAlert.com is my email address. Or you can PM me Dan Space Druff on the forum. And this is the way the prizes will go. First place is $37. Second place... Is let's see now I I forgot it I got I did this by memory second place is twenty dollars third place is twelve dollars and fourth place is six dollars that's thirty seven twenty twelve and six all of this was donated by Forum Wars who not only was generous to give us this seventy five dollars but he also has been a very good source of information during the show a lot of times we will be discussing something and he will post a very useful link in the in the chat room the chat room by the way if you're listening live. You need a flash-enabled device to go in there. You need a Poker Fraud Alert account in good standing. There's a forum account. But once you have those things, you can go in and chat with other listeners, and even Cal Watt himself, who watches the chat room while we were on. And this occurs during the live show. The archived show, or should I say archived show, that does not have anyone in the chat room. So the chat room is only active when we are on live. The phone numbers to the show, 775-FRAUD55 is the main phone number, 775-372-8355. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. The Mount Charleston line is an old 70s rotary telephone which sits on top of Mount Charleston, which has snow on it. It's about 40 minutes away by car from Las Vegas. 
it's actually, I don't know, it's considered Las Vegas, strangely enough. Like, if you drive over there, your GPS will say Las Vegas. I don't I don't think it's technically in the city of Vegas, but it might even be that. But uh, I know it's considered Las Vegas as far as what city it is, but it really is Mount Charleston, and it's nowhere near the Vegas that you know. And we have a, a separate phone line there, 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. That's a separate line into the show. If you want to text me during the show, or before the show, or after the show, you can. Anytime. Anytime. I really mean anytime. You want to text me, you can. Same as the main phone number to the show, 775-372-8355. Don't text the Mount Charleston line. It's an old rotary telephone. It can't get text messages. But you can text the main number. And I may read your text on the air, unless you ask me not to at the beginning of the text. We have the... Call to listen line, which is a great thing you can use if you want to listen to the show on a phone, but don't want to waste your data, or if you don't have a data plan, or if you don't have enough data to waste on this, or if you're driving through an area with poor reception and it just keeps buffering when you try to listen to the show, I know that's very annoying, you can call the call to listen line, it's just a regular phone call doesn't need anything except a phone that can dial. Any phone in the world that can dial can call the call to listen line, and you can listen to the show live. And when we're not live, it will stream reruns from one of our more than 210 shows that we have done in the history of Poker Fraud Alert Radio. And it will pick one at random, stream it as if it's live, and then when it's done, it will pick another one at random and do the same thing 24 hours a day, 7 days a week until we come back live. The call to listen line phone number is 712-775-8162. 712-775-8162 is the call to listen line. If you forget these phone numbers, just go to the radio tab of PokerFraudAlert.com and all of these phone numbers will be right up there for you. If you want to listen to the show in the archives, you can. We have every single show archived right there for you. You can do it through iTunes. You can do it through Google Play. Stitcher, which is a podcast app for many smartphones. TuneIn, which is another podcast app, also has a live mode on TuneIn where you can listen to the show live through that app as well. Or you can just download the MP3 or play the MP3 directly from our server. We give you that option, too. That works great for iPhones, by the way. Just go to the radio forum on PokerFraudAlert.com, and you'll see all the shows listed there. So a lot of ways to listen to the show. And uh, I, I think that's about it. The free roll begins, by the way, at 8.40 p.m. It's no limit hold'em. And you have 25 minutes of late registration. You need a separate account on the free roll's uh, No Fraud Online Poker Room. But there's no validation process for that account. You just go make one and you're ready to play if you don't have one. But make sure you qualify according to the rules. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. Hey, Drew, if i got to do something about that money that I want. Uh, what money did you win? I don't. I don't remember. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, I came in second or third. I don't remember, and I said I'd donate ten times, That's whatever right. it was. That's right. So okay, well, I, I don't even know what it was. If so. you tell me the date, I can look this up. I won't do it right now, but uh, if you can tell, like after the show, just tell me the date. If you can figure it out, or if you can't, I guess I can go through it. And I then, have no idea. Okay, I'll I'll just go through it. You said like the last month or so it happened. Yeah, it's definitely okay. within the last. month. Okay, so I'll go, I'll go check it and then. Uh, I just want to make sure I make good on my donation. No, that's, that's that's very good. I appreciate that. I appreciate, in fact, even you being a trooper and showing up for these late shows and uh, doing as much as you can before you actually fall asleep like you did last time. 
Well, yeah. don't thank me yet. I'm going to pass out. At well, some... uh, you know, anything's better than nothing. <laughs> like, you've already done more than you would have if you didn't show up at all. Fair enough. Okay, so here's some texts we got before we get going. From the 847, I think this is Larry Laffert. Druff, running to Wendy's during the intro. Wondering if you want a number six. If you know what that is, you're a boss. No, I, I don't know what it is, and I'll, I'll tell you why, Larry. I'll tell you why I don't know what a number six is. I don't ever order combos at fast food places. I do go to fast food places sometimes, but I don't ever order condos. Now, Kalwa, can you guess why I don't order combos? It, it must be that somehow it's not a good deal. <laughs> you're you're on the right track. You're on the right track. The reason I don't order combos is because the drink of the combos is a very, very poor value. There we go. <laughs> Did you hear that uh, sound effect, by the way? Oh, yeah. All right, we're off to a good start. So, yeah, so what happens at these fast food places, most of the profit they make is from the drinks. And uh, they, the, the, the food is, is, I shouldn't say it's a loss leader, but it's, it's not really making them very much money or any money, depending upon what you order. It's really the drinks that they're really making a lot of money on. Because, you know, they charge you a dollar or something or two dollars for a drink, and it really costs them like five cents. So that's where the big money's made. So I, since I always do takeout, I just take it home and I drink my own drink. And truthfully, I don't drink soda with these typically anyway. I've, I've cut down on my, my soda consumption, and when I do drink it, I like to just have it at times when I'm not eating. So I drink water with fast food anyway. So, In fact, I've had it at times where, you know, for whatever reason, I'm getting soda anyway with, uh, with food, and often I'll just say, no, yeah, I'll just have a water. So, but, but even before I started doing that, I would just order it without the drink and then uh, you know, have my own drinks at home. So that's why I don't know what a number six is. I, I do like Wendy's. I think the burgers are pretty good at Wendy's. And the, I like the chicken nuggets at Wendy's, too. I, I, like, I hate McNuggets. McNuggets are gross. But uh, I like the chicken you know, nuggets. You know what they call McNuggets? They can't, they're chicken paste. Yeah, I, I've seen the documentary. That's kind of gross. But I, like for real. Yeah, I don't eat them, though. Like the, the, the Wendy's ones are white meat. I know they're still chopped and formed and that, a lot of that same type of stuff. But it's, it's better and it tastes better. And it also, honestly, with fast food, if you're going to eat it, you just got to eat it and not think about it. That, that's what you've got to do with fast food. You just, you just eat it. Say hey, it tastes pretty good. It's cheap, and that's it. I'm not going to think about it because if you if you start thinking about the process of how you know how are the McNuggets made, how is you know, how is the hamburger made, like if you start thinking about this too much, you're going to gross yourself out. So you just can't do it. Anyway, thank you, Larry, though, for offering to buy me a number six, whatever that is, and ship it from Chicago. Uh, let's see here. From the 917, have you seen or are you aware of Netflix shows Stranger Things? Curious for your impression, giving your love of. 80s nostalgia. Would love to hear a segment or review. I've never heard of Stranger Things. Have you heard of it's it? It's pretty good. Yeah. Is is it about the 80s? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, that's when it's set, and it's oh. it's about a it's about a bunch of kids, and I'm I'm not going to give anything away about okay. it, but it's pretty well done. Okay, I'm going to go uh, load up Netflix uh, probably tonight after this show, and I'm going to start watching because I, really anything that's in the 80s or has to do with the 80s, I I, I tend to want to watch and. I, I get joy out of seeing these things, even if uh, they're not all that good. Though I have to say, what does tilt me about 80s shows is when they get very lazy with trying to make it look like it's the 80s. No, they did a good job with this. If I could describe it in one sentence, it would be, you know, uh, The Little Rascals meets Poltergeist. Okay, that's right. 
That is odd. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch that. So thank you uh, from the nine one seven for bringing this to my attention. Thank you, Calwatt, for having knowledge about this, so I can watch this myself. Okay, now I I, I get positive. You like it? It's free. Yeah, I, you got Netflix. It's free. I, so. I know that's that's <laughs> that's one of the reasons I'm gonna go watch it. Believe me. No combo there. No, that's why I said I'll watch it tonight. See if if there was money involved, then I'd have to think about it. Then I'd say, well, I might, and I'd have to decide if it's worth it. But since it's free, I might as well give it a shot. So anyway, I, I, I get texts of all kinds. I get praising texts. I get uh, kind of just neutral texts about just stuff like what I just read, about Stranger Things, just not positive or negative, just asking me something. You get Th- dick pics still? Or? Thankfully, I've not gotten any. But you know, the real reason I don't get any is because the app I use to read these texts does not receive pictures for whatever reason. It says I received a picture, but then I have to go through like a whole process to view them. So I can if I really put a lot of effort into it, but it's it's uh, not easily available. So I it's was kind of hoping I was starting something. A bunch of people would be well, they, they can, but it's just going to say MMS received, and that'll be it. So I'm okay. I'm, I'm happy about that. So it, it protects my sensitive eyes. But uh, I also get negative texts, and if I think it's someone trolling me, just just sending me a nasty text just for the sake of being nasty or being a troll, then I, I don't want to give them the attention. But if there's actually someone who's unhappy about something with a show, then I feel they deserve to have their voice heard, even if it's something I don't like reading. So this is from the 226 area code, an area code which I confess I don't even know where it is, 226. But this is what they wrote to me. They wrote this at 2.54 p.m. Pacific time today. And keep in mind, the show was originally scheduled for 3 p.m., so you can imagine this guy was probably not very happy that he was all ready to listen to three, and then he got the unfortunate message probably about 20 minutes before that. You know, I, I tweeted and put up on the forum that it was not going to be till 8. So we got some anger there. So this is what the person wrote to me. You seriously have issues and wonder why people don't listen or leave. Maybe for once in your life, can you make it on time like you say? Seriously, you are late every single week and your apologies every time mean nothing. People like consistent content and you keep saying you wish you did affiliate crap back in the day. Well, if you did that, you would have failed too. <laughs> because you don't like to put in the work. I hope the show doesn't happen today. Oh, buddy, the things I'll be wishing upon you if that happens. And I don't understand this. He's saying he hopes it doesn't happen today at all, but then it sounds like he's almost threatening me if it doesn't. Like he's going to be wishing really bad things upon me if it doesn't. So why is he hoping it doesn't? It sounds like... Because uh, he wants to be mad. Yeah, that's what it, that's kind of what it sounds like. It sounds like he enjoys being mad. So he says, get the fuck out and do an actual show for once in your life. I've cut out lots of podcasts because of lack of content. This might be one of them soon also. So I'm, I'm not sure if he's also criticizing lack of content. Which, I, if, that's the, if that's the criticism, I have to take issue. Because we, we have content every week. Every week, I go through the poker headlines. I, I, I separate the truth from the trash and the BS from the, the good stuff and the boring stuff from the interesting stuff, at least from my perspective. And I try to present everybody with a, a good summary and discussion of what's going on in the poker and gambling world, at least of which is making good radio to discuss. So I, if, if it's a slow week where there's not a lot of news that's worth discussing, then that happens sometimes too. But I, I think we do a good job with the content. But as, you know, as far as the schedule, the guy has a point. Okay, As far as the schedule goes, yes, the schedule has been very, very erratic in the second 
half of 2016 and now for the first show of 2017. That's true. That's true. I've uh, Sometimes for a very good reason, sometimes for not very good reason. So I'm going to tell you the truth. By the way, the free roll began two minutes ago, but you can still get in. I'm going to tell you the truth as to why this show is on Saturday instead of on its scheduled Wednesday time slot. I had a trip scheduled to Lake Tahoe, and I was going to do the radio from Lake Tahoe, by the way. So I was... Uh, I kept thinking, you know, I forgot something, I forgot something, I forgot something. I go, oh, I know what it was, the radio. I was going to leave on the trip uh, on Friday morning, this past Friday, yeah, yesterday. And I, it was going to be a, a pretty lengthy trip. So, so I, I said, you know, I don't want to take the second to last night I'm there with, uh, with Benjamin's mom and with Benjamin and just do radio there. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to be leaving. I want to spend it with them. And I'm going to have extra time in Tahoe. So, And the weather is forecasted to be bad there. So there will probably be some points where I'm just sitting around in the hotel room doing nothing. That's when I should be doing radio, when I'm by myself in the hotel room. And not during the last precious moments before I leave. So I said, okay, I'm going to change it to Saturday. So I changed it to Saturday, and I announced it was changed to Saturday. Then I, I looked more into the weather, and I saw that the weather in Lake Tahoe was forecasted to be really, really bad. That it, it had been snowing since Monday. That there was going to be a break for about 24 hours between Thursday afternoon and uh, Friday afternoon. But after that, there's going to be a whole lot of snow. And in fact, it was forecasted, and this may even impress you in Rochester, for five feet of snow on oh, Sunday, Sunday alone. 24 hours, five feet of snow. Well, Lake Tahoe is even having a greater nightmare than that because at least the five feet of snow helps the ski resort. But no, it looks like tomorrow's snow, five feet of snow, is going to be five inches of rain. So that's, that's not good. It's going to wash away a lot of the snow. Though the higher elevations in the ski resort probably get snow, but the lower elevations will probably just get wiped out. Five inches of rain will really just wash away all the snow. It's, it's very, very bad for a ski resort. Uh, anyway, I canceled the trip because uh, it looked like you know rain or snow. It was going to be like 10 solid straight days of precipitation that would prevent me from skiing, prevent me from doing anything, and even worse, prevent me from leaving. It looked like that uh, roads might get closed and uh, decided the whole thing was a big mess and canceled it. So at that point, I could have done the show. But I made the decision to cancel it like right around when radio would have started on Wednesday. So I go, well, I can't just turn it on now and no one will know it's coming. So I didn't do that. And I said, well, maybe I'll do it on Thursday. But then I'm like, well, but I already announced it for Saturday. So I just said, you know, screw it. I'm going to leave it as Saturday. So then I left it as Saturday and then some something came up this afternoon. And I said, you know, I'm just going to make it nighttime. So, so, so here we are at the Saturday night. And I don't even know what's the better time slot between Saturday afternoon and Saturday night. Uh, Saturday night, of course, a lot of people like to go out and do things, but uh, a lot of our audience is not that young anymore, and a lot of our audience doesn't go out every Saturday night like they probably used to in their younger days. So maybe it's good to have a Saturday night show, and these people don't have to be up early tomorrow, and usually nothing very good on TV on Saturday night, so maybe for the reason that reason is good for Saturday night. The good thing about Saturday afternoon is most people are, are home then, especially during the winter when there's not a whole lot to do outside. So I don't know, but we're doing it Saturday night. And when's the next show? I, I'm i going to tentatively announce it for Thursday. I just don't want to do Wednesday because it's too soon. So I'm tentatively announcing it for Thursday, but a guy in the 226 area, who I know is listening right now because he's texting me. He said, I've made it on the air with two sound effects. Actually, I think I gave you like four. 
But don't get pissed. Like, don't wish terrible things. Don't wish uh, I'm going to you know, die in a terrible auto accident. Like, don't wish these things if I don't do it on Thursday. Because it's like, tentatively, I think Thursday is uh, the best day to do it. But check the Twitter of Poker Fraud Alert. That's twitter.com slash Poker Fraud Alert. And we will announce it there when I know for sure. I think he's got a point, Prof. And, and let me uh, preface this by saying that I... I I think constructive criticism is awesome. I've never gotten better at something by someone telling me you did a good job. You know, I mean, it feels good when someone says that, but realistically, you get better at something when you receive uh, constructive criticism about it. And, you know, I mean, it's definitely true that in order for uh, you to get listeners, you really do need to have a regular schedule. Now, that said, you know, you're doing this on your own dime, on your own time, you know? So, I mean, I think you should be able to just do it whenever you want, and if people want to know when you're going on air, follow you you on Twitter. Yeah, and Um, and I will... But but he's got a point, though. If it is something that you were doing to try and make money from the the content that's up here, the, the number one rule in doing this stuff is doing it on a regular basis, on a consistent... Regular time slot basis. No, I know that. I know, and I know that's frustrating for the listener. I know, especially for fans of the show who look forward to it, to think, "Oh, good, we're going to hear Poker Fraud on the radio tonight," and then it's not there, and you hear, "Oh, now it's going to be Saturday." It's 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 frustrating. Like they, well, uh, people just you know, people who listen to it live, yeah, will just then give up. You know, eventually they'll just kind of give up at you know, in terms of you know, they can't count on this on a particular day or whatever. Well, and and I've um, I've had that before too with shows that uh, are on terrestrial radio that that are after kind of some kind of sporting event or something like it, it gets to be frustrating unless I also happen to follow that sporting event. It gets to be frustrating figuring out when it's going to be. And I just give up not only listening to it live, but also even finding it in, in their archive. So, but I, I will say how that has changed is, um, with the advent of Twitter and Twitch and all that kind of stuff. Lots of people, what they do now is they just follow stuff that they're interested in. And they get a notification when it goes online, and then they just, if they're able to, they just jump on and start listening to yeah, it. Yeah, and then, of course, there's the there's the podcasting platforms where they just receive it, where it just shows right. up there, and, and it's just there. Now, of course, it's always nice to know when you can expect it, but, you know, so I, I see his point, but as you said, this is something that's being done pretty much as a hobby, and uh, so there's there's that, too. If, if I had a ton of sponsors like Mark Hoke, then I might approach this differently but then yeah if you were trying to make money from it then i would i would lay into you (laughs) but you're not you know i mean yeah so okay uh, but i will you know in 2017 we'll try to stick more to this i know i've gotten i've kind of gotten too used to be able to change the schedule before it used to be like a big deal to me like oh i don't want to change the schedule okay i'll do it this one time but now it's happening so often i know it's got to be tilting for some people so that's the situation with that now here's our agenda I already talked about the big storm preventing my Tahoe trip, so that's kind of already covered, so I won't put that on the agenda. But there will be two updates this week. One update regarding the 888.com prize pool theft story. If you remember last week, a Poker Fraud Alert exclusive about 888.com using exchange rate games to steal money, whether intentionally or unintentionally, from the prize pool. And how we reported it out here. It was originally found by one of our listeners, 
Ari Engel, known as Bodog Ari, and he brought it to my attention, and uh, we did a show on it. And Colonel Fabersham even called up 888 in what was a pretty funny call, especially during the hold music. But uh, we have an update on what's happened since then. Another update, a lawsuit has been filed related to the Aruba PPC scandal. That's where they had a live tournament in Aruba, the Poker Players Championship, and didn't pay spots 1 through 7 other than 10 k each. So the first place guy was out over $120,000. They still have not been paid. So some more news about that, which I will give you an update on. Greg Raymer, 2004 main event champion known as Fossil Man, wore those weird glasses for several years, was a very, very respected figure in poker. Almost nothing you could say bad about the guy. Things have not been as kind to him in, I'd say, I don't know, last seven years or so. I'd say the first sign of Greg Raymer not looking superhuman was when he got busted for prostitution. And since then, there's been a few other issues with him. So he's offering a a staking arrangement for 2017, as he has done for the last few years, and we'll talk about that. So, Druff, do you look down on him more because of the whole staking arrangement or because of the prostitute? I don't even look down on him for the prostitute, well, other than being married when he's doing it, but, but right. uh, I, it's not even so much looking down on him, it's just kind of a sign that things weren't as right with him as they appeared to be. Uh, well, some, about- sometimes that could be a sign that things are really right. <laughs> you know, like if he's rolling in the dough. And, well, yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about why I think that was a... Making a, it rain. I'll, I'll talk about later why I think that was a sign of things to come. All right. All right. Uh, the winning Poker Network is switching to a weighted contrib- contributed rake model. You may ask, what is that? That's just... They're, they're changing the way they do the rake b- before they were doing it where... Uh, and when I say the rake, I mean the rake back, if you have a rake back deal with them, as many people do. Uh, a, a Their original rake model was just, if you're part of a hand, then whatever, if you're in the hand, then you're, contribu- you're considered that you've paid rake, even if you didn't win the hand or just folded preflop. Uh, the contributed rake means that you're only... Uh, that you're only getting credit for whatever rake you paid, if rake really was paid, either if you're the winner or if you got pretty deep in the hand. So uh, we'll talk about that. A German man is seeking to create clothing to defeat facial recognition cameras in casinos. Casinos have very advanced security systems, and they have computers that can see you and alert security personnel if you're there when you shouldn't be there. And what do I mean by that? I mean, if you've been thrown out for any reason, or if you've been thrown out of other casinos for any reason, or if behavior you've engaged in in the past, even if you haven't been thrown out, is making them wary of you, such as if you're a suspected card counter. So a man has, is working on clothing that will confu- confuse the computers that do the facial recognition and have those systems not recognize you. And he's already released a prototype. That is interesting. We'll talk about it. Bitcoin, it surged to almost an all-time high just as 2017 began. And then, of course, we had the crash. So Bitcoin surged and crashed. We'll talk a bit about that and what the future is for Bitcoin after it seemed like it could do no wrong for several months. 
Philippine President Rodrigo Duterte. Duterte? How do you say his name? Do you know? Duterte? No Duterte? Clue. I don't know. I've only read it. I haven't heard it said. Uh, he has announced that there will be no more online gambling in his country. And I think he means that includes running sites out of there that Philippine residents can't play, such as Bovada. So we'll talk about that and what effect it will have on Bovada and other sites that run out of the Philippines or use services in the Philippines. General topics, or actually with a few other topics that were suggested by uh, a guy named Don Crusher. Some good suggestions. Yeah, some good suggestions. Uh, So we'll talk about also Kevin Hart, pretty famous actor playing in the 100K Poker Stars tourney at the PCA in the Bahamas, which is going on right now. And there's also a site called Poker Shares, which is uh, run by Timex, and uh, we'll talk about what that is that just launched. And uh, those will be the other topics we do tonight. That uh, thank you for Don Crusher for uh, mentioning that. I see a few other topics. I don't know if we'll get to those that were suggested. General topics this week. I'm sure you've heard about the biggest news story. I would say. Well, there's two big news stories of 2017 so far. Uh, we're going to talk about one. The other one, I don't really think really needs much discussion. The one we won't discuss is the Fort Lauderdale airport shooting. Uh, But the one that I think is more discussion-worthy, even if it's less important, was the the situation with the four black kids, not really kids, three 18-year-olds and one 24-year-old, kidnapping and beating and torturing a white disabled kid and then making uh, racist statements about white people while doing so, and about Trump, too. So we'll talk about that, and who is to blame? It's being called the BLM, Black Lives Matter, kidnapping. Was it really a Black Lives Matter kidnapping, or is it not a Black Lives Matter kidnapping? Does that have nothing to do with it? Is there anyone else to blame or anything else to blame besides the four who perpetrated? We will talk about that. Probably your pimp voice. <laughs> My pimp voice caused the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally, there was a discussion on the Poker Fraud Alert Forum about cell phone companies. And someone asked for some suggestions, and I talked about how I don't like T-Mobile or Sprint and the reasons I didn't. And some people laid into me about T-Mobile and told me that my claims about T-Mobile's customer service being terrible are unfounded or anecdotal because they keep showing up at the top of customer satisfaction surveys. So obviously my experience was not typical. I will tell you why I believe that customer satisfaction surveys are not always what they're cracked up to be. They, they can be somewhat useful, but don't swear by them, because they can be very misleading. And I'll explain why I feel that way and why I think T-Mobile sucks. So those are... Do you, do you have T-Mobile, by the way? Am I offending you for uh, having them, or do you have a different uh, provider? I got a different provider, but I mean... <laughs> first of all, I'm from New York. You'd have to do a hell of a lot more than that to offend me. Okay. But I, I mean, I don't, I don't get married to the service providers i use okay yeah, some no some people get so angry you know why i think some people get angry about it because they you know they made a choice that they, they did some research they made a choice they feel good about it and they think they were like you get to internalize it as something you did and it, it's attached to you in some way because this is what you chose to go with and if you hear it sucks it makes it seem like you're stupid for making a bad choice uh even if you really weren't stupid even if you just you know you made a choice based upon the information you had which was right based on the information but turned out not to be so good. And I've, I've had this happen many times where I make a choice based upon something that seems like it's right and turns out it isn't. 
So, yeah, but who cares? No, I don't. I don't <laughs> no, I know. I, I don't get insulted by that one. That, that's. But just some people. If, if a if a service sucks, I mean, you're paying these people for a service, and if it sucks, then you just switch to another one. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I agree. So that's that's the agenda tonight. And if you want to call in, you can call. But just remember that if I don't take the call, just try back in about 15 minutes, because all that means is we're just not ready to take calls. 775-372-8355. 775-FRAUD55 is the number into the show. So I'm going to talk about the update to the 888 story. And I'm not going to rehash the whole 888 story, because you, you can go read it on the Poker Fraud Alert, Scam Scandals, and Shadiness Forum, or you can go listen to last week's show, and you will hear it discussed in very, very vivid detail. It was an exclusive on Poker Fraud Alert Radio, in that uh, no other radio show, to my knowledge, and uh, I don't even think any other forum was discussing it at the time. So this is brought to me by Ari Engel. He's a very, very good tournament player, travels the world playing tournaments, and uh, that's what he does for a living. That's what he's done for many years, and he listens to this show. So what had happened, it was pretty simple. 888.com, the version of it that's not available to U.S. players, they were offering satellites into the Aussie Millions, which cost 10600 Australian dollars to enter. And the satellites, they claimed, were worth 8250 U.S. dollars after you do the exchange, you know, from Australian dollars to U.S. dollars. Well, it turns out that was an incorrect calculation, because at the time... The Australian dollar was about 72 U.S. cents, meaning that the actual value of 10,600 Australian dollars was 7,638 U.S. dollars. So that's a big difference from 8250. It's over 600 bucks. So you had a 612 dollar difference that was just disappearing from the prize pool. And you may say, well, okay, maybe they just did a miscalculation, which I don't understand because it's not like the Australian dollar was jumping around all over the place. It was pretty constant. So at no point, any time recently, was it valued at eighty-two fifty. So I, I had to think this was something suspicious. But even maybe if they was, pegged it to Bitcoin. <laughs> but but uh, even if this was an honest mistake, it was brought to their attention by Ari before I even mentioned it at all, and they ignored him. So then uh, I started pressing this pretty hard, and Ari, he was really pressing it hard on Twitter over and over and over again. And I, I don't blame him for that, by the way. I'm not saying this derisively. He, he did the right thing by demanding an answer on this one. We even called up 888.com to verify that they really were taking out a full 8250 from the prize pool, and that pretty much was verified. Uh, we weren't really getting an answer as to why, and the woman was just telling us nonsensical things. But uh, it was actually Colonel Fabersham calling, by the way. But we, we got confirmation that they really are taking out 8250 and they were so yes they were taking about 612 dollars from the prize pool again i don't know if this was an honest mistake or if this was a deliberate attempt to steal from the prize pool but whatever it is when this is brought to your attention you have to fix it you can't just ignore it and that's what they were doing at first and you can say well maybe they're just not responding that quickly well when you're getting all these texts about something this or tweets from something this serious at the very least, you tweet back saying, okay, thank you, Ari, for bringing it to our attention. We're going to investigate the situation and get back to you. And then if it turns out Ari's right, then fix it. And if he's wrong, then don't fix it. And, and explain why he's wrong. Uh, they didn't do that. So that's why Ari was crying foul. That's why I was crying foul. Interestingly, I got a text from someone after the last show 
I got this text four days ago from someone internationally. I don't even know which country, but it was an international number. And he said, hey, Todd, in regards to any 88 cash refunds, because I was saying what they should do is give whoever won these seats $612 cash as well. He said, any cash refunds the players who, uh, who win the seat should not get any cash refund. They played for a seat and got it. Any extra cash should be distributed to the players who bubbled the tournament. Most of these satellites have a first prize for a seat, and normally second and third get approximately five hundred to twenty-five hundred dollars. Give the seat, the, give the winner the seat, and compensate the bubble players. That's the way they work. And he's right. That's, that's the, he's correct. They shouldn't be giving this. What is that sound? That's my dog. It sounded like something dirty almost. No, no, no. My dog was, just, you know, dogs like shake their ears sometimes. Yeah, yeah. That's all it was, man. You sure you're not leaving your dog outside in the rain and letting him back in and then he's shaking himself off? No, I swear. I guess it wouldn't be raining in Rochester at this time anyway. Oh, no, it's way too cold yeah. for that. So, so anyway, yeah, he's right. The, the, if anyone should get compensated, it should be the bubble people because that's, that's what they do when there's an odd amount of money left over after giving away the seats. That's exactly what satellites always do. So you're correct. So thank you, uh, his name, he said his name is Gavin. So, Gavin, thank you for, uh, he said, P.S., I've won a seat via 888 and I've been the bubble boy three times over the last few months. So, yeah, I agree. As a, yeah, as a guy who bubbled himself over there, Gavin, I'm sure you know better than I do. So, yeah. Anyway, back to the situation. So, we had some uh, breaking news near the end of the last show where it turned out that 888 finally responded. And they tweeted to me, to Ari, and some other guy, B. Wayne Poker, I don't know. Hi, thanks for letting me know. We are working on resolving with the players who bought a seat. And by the way, that was in response to my tweet. B. Wayne Poker? Yeah. Is that the Batman? That's what I was thinking. Maybe Bruce Bat- Wayne? Maybe, maybe, maybe. Awesome. I, I thought Bruce Wayne had so much money he doesn't need to worry about $612, but maybe not. So, Hard yeah, times, so, man. Hard times. Yeah, so that was just at the end of the last show the very early morning of December 30th. Well, I'm glad to inform everybody that this has since been resolved. That they... Let me see if I... You know, I I should have saved the tweet, but unfortunately... Let me see if I can find it here. I meant to post it. I never did, and now it's getting lost in all the other support tweets here. Let's see if I can find it. But they they said since then that they're going to make it right. They haven't exactly stated how it's going to be made right. Now I can't find it. Let's see here. Well, let's see. Let's see if we can find it here. Um, no, I can't. Well, anyway, they claim they're going to make it right. They claim that, uh, I don't know if they're going to give it to the bubble boy, I don't know if they're going to give it to the winner, but they said that they are going to they're going to wait until... It's kind of a weird solution, though. Something like they're going to wait until the event itself goes off and then compensate people for the difference. Which is kind of weird because it seems like they're they're playing currency games here. I See, I don't know. What, what if... It depends which way the Australian dollar moves. If, if they're just going to compensate them based upon the way it moves no matter what, you know, whether they gain or lose, then fine. I think they should compensate them now. I don't see why they don't do that. But But if they really want to do it at the time of the event, you know they, they they should do it based upon whether the dollar the Australian dollar gets stronger or weaker. Otherwise, they, they could free roll people to where if it goes one way, then they uh, they they adjust, and if the other way, they, then they don't. So, 
But they're claiming that you know they, they did take eighty two fifty out of the prize pool, and basically what they're trying to say is uh, at the time when the event goes off, if it really is worth eighty two fifty, they're not compensating you. But if it's worth less than eighty two fifty, they will give you the difference. So it sounds like they're going to do it right. You know, either way. Though I think the the real right thing to do is doing it at the time you play the satellite. It shouldn't matter when you're when the event goes off. Yeah, why are they making it so complicated? I I don't know. It's uh, it, it's the whole thing's a little bit shady to me. But if, if this really happens, if they, I mean, they really should give it to the Bubble Boy. But if at least someone gets it, and they don't keep it, at least one of the winners gets it. And if they are doing the stupid thing, giving it when the event starts, if they really will give it, even if the Australian dollar. Uh, really tanks, let's say the Australian dollar tanks and is only worth $6,000 the U.S. at that point, if they really do give the, the winner of these seats twenty two fifty U.S. cash, you know, then fine. I hope they do that. I hope they're not free-rolling by this little trick they're doing, but uh, it's still not perfect. Really, to make it perfect at this point, the right thing to do would be go to the bubble boy and give them whatever the Australian dollar was either at the time they played or at the time uh, when they're fixing it. Preferably at the time it was played. And that makes it completely right. So I, I don't know why they're waiting, but at least something got done. And this is why it pays to complain. Because I guarantee you, if Ari Engel had not discovered this and complained, they would not be doing this. They're only doing this because this was brought to their attention repeatedly over and over. And the key here, Poker News, who was a, an advertising partner which promoted this, was pressured to do it. And Poker News, they also didn't answer right away. But then Matthew Parvis of Poker News finally responded, knowing this wouldn't go away. And he said he's gonna, you know, they're going to press 888 for an answer. And at that point, 888 had to give an answer. So props to Poker News for getting involved and, and standing by their, their article they wrote, like their advertorial they wrote. They're standing by that and not just, uh, not just throwing up their hands and saying, this isn't our problem which card player used to do all the time. Card player advertised oh, lock poker for... God. I mean, they, they advertised lock poker for many months after it was a scam. Many yeah, months. Well, I mean, card player, you could buy the cover, you could buy... I mean, yeah. it was... So, so, you know, props to Poker News for doing the right thing. Props, yeah, they may have been had to... They may have had to receive pressure to do it, but at least they did the right thing. And semi-props to 888, provided this was not an attempt to cheat people in the first place, provided this was an accident, but at least something is being done. But again, this happened because of activism. This happened because of persistence on the part of Ari, on the part of me, on the part of uh, you know, this show. That, that's what makes it happen. And I, I will say the one who's most responsible for getting this fixed is Ari. He was the one who's most tenacious about it. He was the one who discovered it in the first place. But, but the more exposure it gets, the better... And they're very aware at 888 it was exposed on this show and on my Twitter as well and uh, even on Bruce Wayne's Twitter. I mean, if Batman's against you about this whole thing, you know that uh, you've got a problem. So Yeah, you're fucked. So, so, so uh, you know, Ari Engel, he, he, he put out the Bat spotlight there. Batman came to the rescue. A lot of people got involved here. And 888 had to answer to it. I, I'm sure they didn't want to have to deal with this. I'm sure they were happy to keep the money, or even if they weren't trying to keep the money, they just didn't want to have to deal with this, because when you do deal with it, they, it's pretty much you admitting, yeah, we were screwing people, now we're going to fix it. I mean, you, you, got, you probably just ruined some guy's retirement fund. <laughs> probably some guy that at 888 had this scheme set up. He's like, ah, no one will ever know. I'll just skim a little bit off the top here. No one's ever going to notice the difference. You know, yeah, like, ah, I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you, blasted Jews, meddling kids. Yeah, yeah. 
So anyway, pretty happy ending there, provided this really happens as they claim it will happen. I'm not even sure if we can verify if it happens, though, because we have to know who is getting the money and if they got it. So that'll be an interesting thing to follow up on. I'm, in fact, when this event goes off, this Aussie Millions, I, I think it would be worth asking 888, okay, who got the money? Where did it go? Who did you give it to? Which you have a right to know as an entrant to that tournament. It's not, it's not a secret who should get it. Just like there's a, a list of who won each tournament. You know, when a tournament's over, they don't just say, well, you lost, but we're not saying who won. You're, you're always supposed to know who won. So this is part of the prize pool. You have a right to know where it went. So uh, we will see. Also, what's interesting is 888 support has followed me as a result of this. Hmm. And they... It's not like they're not following many people. They're, they're following uh, 2,499 people. So I'm one of about 2,500 people they're following. But okay, this is this was the goal. This is what we try to do here. I've said before with this show, if a segment on this show either prevents one person from getting scammed or if it gets someone repaid who is being ripped off, even just one person, then I feel the show has been worth my time to do because it's, it's done some good. So uh, here's an attempt to do something, some good, that, but is uh, probably not going to result in very much, and that is there's a lawsuit involving that whole mess with the Aruba Pokers Players Championship. Uh, this is a story we've covered, we started covering two weeks ago. The Poker Players Championship, which took place in Aruba, was the replacement tournament for the UB Aruba event. The people who run it are named Brian Olton and Sandy Schwarzbaugh. They're both from Florida. And they had nothing to do with UB. They just noticed there was a void. And they they already had a poker tour called the PPC, the Poker Players Championship, which has nothing to do with the event of the World Series, by the way. This is just two guys running a poker tour that they gave that name. Uh, so they had been running this way back, at least as far as 2010, but I don't think it was doing very much. But they, they found an opportunity here to replace this popular tournament in Aruba that was going to be no longer because UB was gone. So in 2012, they started running it. And it turned out, and it looks very clear now, that it was a Ponzi scheme. That these guys were... They were the ones who'd pay you in Aruba. When you, when you would win, they were the ones who'd pay you. It wouldn't be the, the cashier. And for years, what they had going on, which nobody seemed to be raising issue with, which I couldn't believe, was that they would only pay you the first $10,000 of whatever you win there and then send you the rest a few weeks later. And they claimed it was because of Aruba law and because it's hard to travel with cash back in the U.S. They claimed you can't travel with more than 10000 back into the U.S., which is not true. You just had to declare it. But, but all these idiot poker players just bought it. They said, okay, I guess you guys are right. Okay, you know, send me the rest of my money in a few weeks. And, and for some reason, for years this went on without anyone questioning whether this is true or why they're doing it this way. Why is it illegal to pay you in full due to, quote, Aruban law, when somehow UB could do it for all those years before that. Nobody asked that for some reason. Yeah, effectively what they were doing was using the float as a slush fund for their own salaries or God knows what else, right? Yeah, yeah. So, And, and you'd say, well, how did they eventually pay people? Well, they would get, quote, investors into the PPC that they solicit, 
say, "Oh, we have this successful tour. Look, it goes in Aruba. We're associated with four with fourteen land ba- with fourteen U.S. based casinos satelliting into it, and we have other events." Which is all true. It was a semi successful poker tour, but they were basically stealing the money. And then the way they pay people with, you know, once money was stolen, they would uh, then rob Peter to pay Paul by through these investors or whatever else they were doing. And and Drove, this is our kind of ironic given your history with UB. Yeah, uh, but is is it possible that UB actually ran a, lower, a more legit tournament than these guys? Yes, that's a sad thing. That's that's, that's a insane. sad thing. That's a sad thing is that the one thing UB did not do is cheat anyone with this tournament. When they ran this uh. tournament, they never had any scandals there. Everything was fine. The only scandal involving this tournament with UB was the fact that some of the seats that were satellited in were won by Russ Hamilton uh, looking at everyone's hole cards. So, so Russ would win the tournament, the, the satellites on UB, and then give the seats away to people. That, that was the only scandal, which was a pretty bad scandal, but at least the tournament itself, no one got cheated, and everyone got paid in full. So the, it actually was run better than this one. It's sad that UB actually was more honest in running their, this tournament than these two guys were. That's, that's incredible. I mean, you, you would almost <laughs> be in a position where you'd have to wish for UB to come back. Yes, that's a, the that's a sad thing, is, <laughs> is if these guys, if these finishers, first through seventh place, if they had been playing under the UB direction, then they would have their money now. That's I mean, a sad that's thing. Pathetic. Yeah, they would have been much better off if they were playing with UB running the whole thing. Much better off. So anyway, did you ever think you would say those words? No, no. I, I, I never thought I'd say, "Why can't UB come back and run the Aruba tournament?" Oh my God! So, so, Prahlad is in his glory. So, maybe Prahlad was right. We should play on the new UB. So they. So, so it all came crashing down in 2016, and it almost crashed in 2015, but the, but the person who got screwed was only the first place finisher, I guess, and he kept quiet about it. He took, it took him like two months to pay him. They kept stalling him, the first place finisher last year, and he wasn't really a very well-known player. I, I'd never even heard of him before, and I guess he bitched to some friends privately that they were taking so long to pay him, but after about two months, he got his money, and he kept his mouth shut, so... They got to continue another year, and this time they screwed first through seventh completely, and just never, never sent them the rest of the money. See, they've been doing this for years. They pay you the first ten thousand, and you get the rest a few weeks later. But this year, they were so far in the hole, and they had such a hard time getting these quote new investors that they just had nothing to send, and uh, or not enough to get everyone off their back. So no one got anything after the first ten k. So uh, places first through seventh were collectively cheated out of hundreds of thousands of dollars. And individually, uh, one guy lost as much as $123,000. So uh, this is no longer a question. This is no longer a suspicion. It's true. Uh, the, the tournament took place two months ago in early November, and nothing's changed. The Twitter accounts for both Brian Olton and Sandy Schwarzbaugh have been deleted. Originally, they were just blocking people who asked them questions about what happened. They just deleted it. They were just deleting their Twitter since then. And they receive messages on Facebook all the time from people, but just read them and don't ever respond. They have mostly taken down the ppcpoker.com website, where it's just a placeholder page. And a lot of stories have come out since then that they've screwed a lot of different people, including Mark Hoke, who is... Uh, Mark Hoke didn't say this himself, but uh, someone else told a story that they had spoken to Mark Hoke during a satellite event after this, that they had the nerve to take place. <laughs> they actually had the nerve to run another satellite after not paying anyone in late November in Maryland Live, which is going to figure into our update. 
So that was the, the last that was seen of Brian Olton and Sandy Schwarzbaugh was in late November. They had satellites for the 2017 event at Maryland Live. And I believe like $31,500 worth of seats were won. And then uh, people were really starting to pressure Brian and Sandy there about money owed, both the people who were owed about this. Uh, they got pressure from people about the money that was owed to the Aruba finishers and also a, a number of employees, bloggers and others who had worked for them were also not being paid. So there's a lot of pressure on these two guys. Hey, where's our money? Where's our money? So on a Sunday during the Maryland Live event in late November, they supposedly went to a football game, a uh, Baltimore Ravens football game, and they never returned. They just ditched their own tournament. Now, Maryland Live, being a U.S.-based casino, Everything is handled through their cashier. So if you won a regular tournament as part of the PPC there, you got your money. But the satellites, you didn't. Anyone who won a satellite seat, the money went to Brian and Sandy, who are supposed to hold it for you until the event takes place in 2017. And that was the whole scam. They'd run all these satellites, and the casino in the U.S. would pay the organizers instead of paying you. Because you're satelliting in. So they're paying these guys to then give you a seat... In Aruba, but these guys are supposed to take that money and put it in the prize pool, not just take it. And it looks like they've just been taking it. So it looked like they were probably hoping that they'd get enough money off of uh, between investors and this Maryland Live satellite to then pay the Aruba people and keep the Ponzi scheme going, but they did not. So after some attempts to raise money and uh, and the, these Maryland Live satellites, they, they realized it wasn't happening. They just ditched out. So there's a lawsuit now that has been filed. The first place, third place, and sixth place finishers got an attorney together. And a lawsuit has been filed. And a restraining order has been filed and granted regarding the PPC. Uh, they've been charged, not, crim- not criminally, but civilly, with racketeering and fraud as part of a civil lawsuit that alleged they've operated the PPC as a Ponzi scheme. Good. On January 3rd, a restraining order was requested and granted by a Maryland state court, and litigation is now pending. So, why Maryland? You'll hear in a second. Uh, Maryland Live, which hosted the satellite events both for 2016 and 2017. Now, there were 14 different casinos in the U.S. which had satellite events into 2016, but for 2017, we're sure that tournament's not going to happen. I mean, it's a, I can't see how it could happen at this point. Uh, it looks like they just outright stole the money and those satellite seats are worthless. And I was saying last week and the previous week that definitely if anybody won a seat for 2017, they should go to the casino where they won it and demand the money for it immediately. But uh, Maryland Live was also named in the lawsuit. And it was charged that Maryland Live aided and abetted negligence and negligent misrepresentation, which is basically saying they didn't vet these two guys well enough and that they uh, they don't think Maryland Live was out to cheat anyone but that uh, they committed negligence. They, they did not do their due diligence in making sure this is all legit, or at the very least, backing it with their own money in case it wasn't legit. So yeah, that, and that's a pretty standard thing to do, because it's pretty obvious that these guys probably have no money, so of course they're going to name some organization that has money. Yeah, and, and I'll you tell know? you something. This, this is... All these casinos, all these land-based casinos that ran these events, they should be on the hook for a lot of this stuff because they gave legitimacy to all of this. 
and especially the satellite seats. If you win a satellite seat that actually doesn't exist, then the venue where it took place should cough up the money. Because when you go to Maryland Live to play a satellite, what you think at the time is that you're playing it at Maryland Live and it's their satellite. Now that it's the satellite by these two guys, you think you're trusting Maryland Live, not just two dudes you've never heard of. Yeah, so, and that's going to be what it kind of hinges on is what was what was represented. Right. Right. You know, was it was this made clear? And if it was not made clear, then it would be a, a reasonable expectation, exactly what you just said, and they they could definitely be on the hook. Yeah. So, caller, do you have something to say about this? I have a caller from the seven one eight. You're on the air. Okay, that was a great call. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That was that added a lot to the discussion. Thank you. And let me try and put put him on one more time. Caller, you're on the air. Yep, not yet. Let me try one more time. Here we go. Caller, you're on the air. Hi. Hi. How's it going? Good. Who is this? This is Anna. Anna. Uh, do I know you? Uh, no, you don't, but I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you. What are you thanking me for? For the seven stars. So how, how, how did I get you seven stars? I, <laughs> I'm still confused. <laughs> Hey, Todd. Yeah, who is this? Handicap me. Handicap me, okay. Oh, okay, well, that's seven stars. All right, I understand now. All right, it's, it all makes sense. All now. right, buddy. Talk to you later. Okay. You want to say thank you. Okay, thanks, Handicap me. <laughs> I, I did a favor involving Handicap me and seven stars, and uh, what threw me off is I, I was like, I didn't do anything for a girl here. Well, at least we know Handicap me really has a girlfriend. At least we know that much. All right, she so, sounds cute. Yeah, she does. She has a nice voice. So I, now I, I have to say, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to say that Anna's ugly here because I'm guessing the handicap me has a uh, high enough standards that she isn't. But I, I knew from my days in party line, some girls had amazing voices that looked pretty much the opposite when you saw them in person. Okay, I think this is handicap me again. No, I have trouble taking the call here. We'll call back if you got something else to say. Anyway, uh, going back to, to this here, yeah, I I was saying, you know, going back a few weeks when this started, that I, I want to see these casinos that signed off on this made responsible as well, because that will stop this practice of these casinos just opening their doors to these shady tournaments and then putting the players at risk who have no idea that they're actually trusting a shady third party rather than a big casino. Maryland Live is a big operation. So you hear there's a satellite at Maryland Live to something, you trust it. And you shouldn't have to worry about whether you can trust uh, Brian Olton and Sandy Schwarzbaugh. So I, I fully think this lawsuit, I don't know if it's you know legally, whether this has merit, but morally it definitely has merit. And I could even see legally. Uh, well, the- I, think it, I think, it, I mean, obviously I'm not a lawyer, et cetera, et cetera, but I definitely could see it uh, as having some merit because... Exactly what you said. I mean, the name of Maryland Live is what draws people in there and makes people think that, the, hey, this is a legit thing. Yeah. You know? That, that's the way I see it, too. And and especially for the satellite seats, one for 2017, I would think it's a no-brainer that these people, whoever won that, should get their money back from Maryland Live. As far as people who won 2016 and played a tournament that were, where the prize pool was much less than was represented, even the ones that lost, I would say, might even have a case to say, we want our money back because we were playing for money that didn't exist. So, uh, anyway, 
the lawyer representing these players, his name is uh, Mac Verstandig, and uh, he's actually representing four players who made the final table. I thought it was uh, three. It's uh, uh, I, I, I see they uh, they added one person. So they have Stephen Deutsch, Michael Lerner, Joan Sandoval, and now uh, Joan Ott. Uh, John Ott. Sorry, John. You're not Joan. Who got fifth place. He's also a plaintiff now. So those f- four people are involved. I, I don't know why the others aren't getting involved. Like, what about uh, the second place finisher I don't believe is involved in this, which surprises me. Maybe he just doesn't know. But uh, I would think that all these finishers should get in touch with one another. And just all join into this thing. Why not? You all have the same lawyer. It's uh, cheaper that way. I, 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 have a, I have to guess this lawyer is probably doing this on contingency. That's my guess. Otherwise, you're just going to be out a lot more money having to hire a lawyer. And then probably not, you're probably not going to get much as far as uh, any claim for the prize money. As far as the satellite from Maryland Live, yes, you probably have a good shot of getting that money. But... The prize money, that's going to be tough because these guys are broke. At least I think they are. So uh, so it says, according to the suit, a copy of... Uh, sorry, according to the suit, the prevailing belief is that the PPC consistently failed to segregate player funds, uh, the prize funds, in order to properly distribute the payouts. Yeah, exactly. And they allegedly used that money and various other revenue streams uh, to satisfy financial obligations, rolling each one over until the money ran dry, and then there was nowhere to turn for the next dollar. So yeah, that's pretty much exactly what happened. Um, they also had copies of emails that were included in the motion of the, for the restraining order that shows a pattern of behavior where Brian Olton and Sandy Schwarzbaugh were assuring the winners that the money was on the way in weeks leading up to December 22nd when... Uh, they sent their letter of demand out. And uh, also, uh, it was once offered to the players, you like this, Yeah, shortly after the demand letter was received, that at least one of the players received an offer to defer rights to the prize money and instead accept an unidentified portion of the PPC's future cash flow <laughs> so they're even trying to get the winners that they screwed to invest in it with their with their money that they're not being paid. Right. They're saying they're saying, well, how about in lieu of paying you your prize, how about we just give you a piece of the PPC in the future? You make yeah, a lot that of money. Make me feel good about my investment. <laughs> I mean, give me. So that's alleged too, and I believe it. Uh, on December twenty fourth, Schwarzbar reached out a final time, pleading with the players to accept the request. And apologize for the delays. And uh, but, however, they will not respond to anybody's requests. Apparently, for comment, Poker News com- messaged them. A lot of people tried to get answers from Olton and Schwarzbach, who received the messages. And to every everyone, whether you're a player, a news organization, no matter what you are, they are not responding. And uh, you know, the last the last thing they responded, I guess, was on December 24th, when they tried to make that stupid offer about. Uh, getting a piece of the PPC instead of your prize money, or at least to defer, to defer receiving the prize money till later to keep the Ponzi going. I, I'm surprised at that point why they were even doing that. Like, no one's going to trust them at this point. The, the, the PPC's dead. Th- there's no land-based casino is going to run their events anymore. 
or should I say U.S.-based casino. Aruba, even it's Aruba, I, I still can't see them running that again over there. I think there'd be too many complaints. So I have to think this is done. I, I can't ever see another PPC event running anywhere ever again. So the value of the PC, PPC at this point is probably zero. The only way it has any value is if it were to be bought by people totally not associated with Swarthspot and Olten, but then still people would be suspicious. Like I think the brand is so decimated at this point, I can't see there being another PPC. Well, yeah, I mean, for anyone who's aware of it, there's no going back. Yeah, and, right? and, and truthfully, who's going to buy it at this point? You might as well just create your own poker tour. You might as well just be, uh, like, let's say I wanted to take this over. I, I could just start the, the Dan Druff poker tour and call up the Aruba Hilton in Palm Beach and say, hey, I'm going to take over. It's going to be the Dan Druff event now. Right. I think that'd be a better brand than the PPC at this point. Yeah, it, it probably would. I mean, because the value in a brand is the trust that they've established. Yeah, so I think they have Cheers. negative value. Oh, you know? Yeah, even though they have some name recognition. It, first of all, it's not huge recognition. It's not like it's the WPT. I've never even heard of it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like They, they had some moderate rain, name recognition, but not enough for either me or you to have heard of it before. And then uh, now most people that have heard of it have also heard that they cheated everyone. So <laughs> that's, uh, it, it's, I believe the value is about zero at this point. So, uh, I don't think these guys have any money. Uh, they, there will probably be a judgment against both of these guys, probably a substantial judgment, but collecting this judgment is very tough. I can tell you that collecting money that you've won in the lawsuit against fly by night characters who don't have, a uh, a regular job or a consistent business, it's very hard to collect from them because you. First of all, you you have to find something to collect from. So either you have to find another business they start in the future, or and number two, uh, you can try to find if they have money in their personal bank accounts, but it's not that easy. You don't have access to their bank accounts. So what you have to do is you have to find actually where their bank accounts are, and then just try to collect from them. It should be easier to collect uh, debts like this, that you have legal judgment to get someone, but it's actually not, if they don't have a steady form of income or a steady business. So I'm afraid these guys, there's going to be nothing to collect from, and whatever money they do have is not going to be easily defined or collect. So I I think this money is never going to be recovered unless it comes from one of these casinos. And if I were one of these top seven finishers, I, I and maybe this is what this lawyer is going to do, I would try to go after Maryland Live and these other casinos that ran these satellites for some kind of settlement to get them paid. and uh, Or at least get, get them partially paid. I think that's where your best chance is to recover some money. Because they, they did commit negligence there. They definitely did. To prevent this in the future, not just with the PPC, but of any tour like this, to prevent this in the future, I think the only solution is that for any satellite, that it should never be touched by the organizers of the tour. That if, you're gonna, if there's going to be a third-party company running a poker, tour, a, a poker tournament at these U.S.-based casinos, the U.S.-based casinos should say, okay, you're allowed to manage it, 
You can run it, but you're not going to handle any of the money. All the money is going to be paid by us and any satellite seats. We will hold the money, and then we'll, we will send it to the venue where it takes place. So in this case, like Maryland Live would hold the money and then send the money to Aruba when the time comes. But to where the organizers never have access. That's a huge hole in this plan. I never knew that these satellites, that the organizers actually would hold on to the money. That's crazy. So that's where I think there's big-time negligence involved. That to, to let the organizers hold on to the money and not to make that abundantly clear to those playing that you're trusting these two guys to hold on to your money for all this time. I think they would have had a much harder time getting people to play in those satellites if they knew that. So, I hope they are held responsible. That's very bad. I got a message here. It's, it's too late now, but just for future understanding... Can you tell me how to reset my poker room password? Don't remember it. I'll give you the easy solution to that. Go make a new account. I don't care if you have multi-accounts on the No Fraud Online Poker Room as long as you don't use them at the same time. So let's let's say, uh, for example, it wasn't JSTAT this happened to you. Let's say it happened to JSTAT. I'd have no problem with JSTAT making an account named JSTAT2 and playing with that. Totally fine, as long as you don't play them both at the same time. Uh, you can also PM Belly Buster, Belly Space Buster, on the Poker Fraud Alert forum, and he can reset it for you. So, we'll see where that goes. I'll let you guys know with any further news that comes out regarding that. I want to talk about uh, Greg Raymer and his proposed staking arrangement. Because uh, Greg Raymer, it's it's interesting to watch what's happened with him. Because this was someone that really... I mean, if you remember when he was involved with the PPA stuff, he was really beyond reproach. I mean, he was someone that uh, really had a great reputation. But before we get to that, let's take a call here if, if we can. No, it still didn't work. If you're trying to call in, text me. Maybe I'll call you. We're having a little trouble taking calls for whatever reason. See calls coming in. I try to answer them, and it's not. How did that, how did handicap me get in? Though? You got lucky. See, I'll read some text in the meantime here. Uh, this is from the two two six. You know the guy who said he's going to wish bad things on me. He said, "I won't wish anything like a car accident or whatever." Was a little bit angry, but I still just like consistent stuff. I had a podcast I really liked that didn't put out stuff for over a month after being consistent. Then they came back and were saying how they got lots of emails from listeners, etc. But still, I'm serious. People do stop listening because of stuff like that. Like, True. Like, let's say you announce the day and time, and people are already planning that specific day around the show. Also, I'm a new listener. and been doing it for a year. I'm all caught up on episodes and listen to the random shows uh, of, of VLC. I'm not sure what he means by that. I know that's a player, but I don't know what he means by that. Uh, I, I emailed you before I wanted to make an account. Didn't know the secret question. Still haven't made an account just like listening, but not on the forums or anything. But still, this year, try to be on time, and I'll be using that Amazon banner this year. Okay, so he's trying to make up here. He's trying to uh, say he'll use my Amazon banner to buy things. I, I should bring that up. If you guys want to help the show a, a little bit, whenever you're going to shop on Amazon, go to PokerFraudAlert.com, any page on PokerFraudAlert.com, and scroll to the bottom and click on the Amazon banner. Because what that does is it gives me a piece, usually between uh, 3 and 6% of whatever you pay, of your purchase. And it doesn't cost any more for you. It's the same price you're going to pay on Amazon. And 
I will see the purchase, but I won't see who made it. So if you buy something really embarrassing, I will not see your name. I have no way. Like if someone broke into my house and put a gun to my head and said, go on Amazon right now and tell me who bought all the things on that link. I'd say you have to shoot me because I have no way to tell. I, I really have no access to that information. Do you actually look at it? I don't even look at what was bought because I don't Because really if care. you did, it, that would encourage me to buy some really weird shit. <laughs> Maybe I should. I, so I can see what you buy, but I can't see who you are. So unless you tell me, of course. So, I, uh, so anyway, if you do that, I'll get 3 to 6% of whatever your purchase is. And it, it just helps to, to pay for things. So that's, that's nice to do, and it doesn't cost you anything. It's a, a free thing you can do to get me a little bit of money. So it's the Amazon banner. So he's saying he's going to click that this year, which I appreciate. Then uh, as long as, as long as he doesn't wish I get it into like a car wreck and he clicks that, he says, also don't mind my English since I'm a fresh off the boat an FOB. English was learned as my third language. Okay. Pretty good. And he said, uh, I'm not making up for shit. Just helping you out. I can go directly to Amazon. Makes no difference to me. No, no I, I appreciate if you, uh, you or anybody else clicks that Amazon banner, and I—I I, I don't make big money off that, believe me. But uh, you missed your big sales opportunity the Christmas season, man. I know I should have mentioned that before. It's, I, I know you don't celebrate it, but that's still the the time of year that you I know. Have dug I, in I on know. That. Leave it to me to say this on January seventh, <laughs> the farthest yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, it's like okay. The good thing know. is Amazon's gotten so big that everyone uses it all the time now to buy things if they have any sense. So it's just there's so much on there. Uh, if, if you have that prime thing, they ship it super fast. They have a good return policy, good customer service. So, like a yeah, check this out. E e-commerce just in general is twelve percent of the U.S. economy. Mm. Amazon is three percent. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> I mean that is huge. Yeah, it is. It is gigantic. So it's not a, not a very good place to work apparently i've heard some horror stories about it being an employee there but especially like in the warehouses but as far as being a customer i will say the experience is very good so like anything it probably depends on what you're doing like you know if you're working in a call center there i'm sure it sucks you know? well the call centers are actually foreign and this is actually the only company i've ever dealt with where the foreign call center is good because they give them a lot of power and a lot of leeway which is very unusual uh, well, you know what I mean. If you're yeah. working uh, in, in a warehouse, I'm sure no matter what warehouse you're working in, it's not the best thing in the world. Right? Well, I've, I've heard some real bad things go on in there. That, you know, that's 100 degrees in there. They don't give people proper breaks. They, if people say uh, they're feeling sick from it being hot, they tell them keep working. You're fired. Like they, I've heard. I don't know if this is all true, but I've seen articles about this that seem pretty credible. But I, I, but, I got it. I got it, Drew. For a, a segment for an upcoming show. Do an investigative report. Go get a job oh, and it, <laughs> in one of the warehouses in Amazon and do an insider investigative report. You know, it's so funny because I was just thinking about in 2005, I actually had a minimum wage job for one day. And this is during my best poker year. I had my a minimum wage job for one day for similar reasons where it was actually Ken Scaler was working at a, uh, a telemarketing place. And just to experience a day in the life of Ken Scaler, I actually took a job there for one day. And how was it? Well, what was disappointing was that I thought I was going to be working with Ken. And that was kind of like half the fun, or more than half the fun. Well, no, they put me in what was called the B room, which is kind of like for the new employees. So I said to Ken, okay, well, you go work in the B room. You know, is that allowed? And he said, yeah. I said, well, come on, come work in the B room with me. And, and Ken, who had encouraged me to do this in the first place, said, no. 
<laughs> and I said, what? He, so he told me he's obsessed with the A room. He refuses to leave it. He's worked his way up there. He's not going to spend another day in the B room. And he's, he declared that to himself a long time ago. And you know, Ken, the way he is, he just... He wasn't going to budge, so I got stuck working That's in the great. B room by myself. I was literally by myself in there. I was the only one in the B room. But uh, how was it? Have you talked about it? Like how it was? It was well. It was I mean, pretty. You probably didn't care because you knew that you were you were leaving after. No, one day. no, but but it was it was uneventful. It was uh, I. I will say that you know, they treated me fairly well there. I I was making calls, taking surveys for radio stations, not for any particular station, but they had like a list of clients I'd call up in, in different markets and ask, do you listen to this station, that station? Most of those people hung up on me before I could get through many words, which wasn't surprising. And I also got a lot of disconnected numbers, like their list wasn't very good. And yeah, so it got pretty tedious and boring, as you'd expect. And when uh, <laughs> I think I got paid like 30-something dollars for the whole day. And now, would you would you have been hurt if when you applied for this job you got rejected? Well, it's funny you mention that because I actually lied about my education, but the reverse way most people I lied in the negative way where I actually oh, said to I, make sure you got it. Yeah, yeah. I, had, I said I had less education. Than I, I said I just completed yep. high school and that was it. Yep. So, so and uh, well, what if they turned you down? Well, I, I would have been sad, but uh, they they accepted me right on the spot. They said, okay, we. Uh, Welcome aboard. <laughs> so, so I, I started there and did my one day. I was actually going to do two days, but only if Ken agreed to go to the B room for the second day. But then, like, I, I, I hurt my arm in my sleep that night in some weird way. It wasn't like a. It turned out not to be a long thing, but that day, the next day, it really hurt. So at that point, I said, "I'm not going to. It's going to be too painful to like hold the phone up the whole time." So you actually had to hold up a phone. It wasn't a, a headset. So, so this company, then, I mean, you can't use them on your resume draft. Because they're they're going to be like no he's unreliable he you know what I, one day I and they never came back they're out of business now so I actually can I can, I can claim I was an executive <laughs> there I could say I was an executive oh man so anyway going back to Greg Raymer he was arrested in March of 2013 almost four years ago in a prostitution sting and this of course is old news and most people know about it but this was the first sign and I, it feels like a lot more than four years by the way I, I thought this happened in like oh nine but I just googled it it's 2013. Greg Raymer, uh, at first it was announced that he was arrested in a gay prostitution sting. But it turned out that wasn't true. It turned out there was a heterosexual prostitution sting and that uh, a gay sting was down the street and the people who reported it got confused. Uh, how crappy is that? that you're busted for prostitution, but then it's, it's splashed all over national news it was gay prostitution. You're like, no, no, it was women, I swear. And it really was. So, so no, Greg Raymer's not gay. We know that. But uh, he did go to a prostitute, and he's since admitted that. And he was arrested. Uh, I, I don't know the exact way. I, I assume it was probably a Craigslist thing or something where he was uh, he communicated with someone online, went down there to meet them and pay for sex. And, of course, he goes there, and it's really the cops, and they arrest him and various others who did this. That's got to be awful. Man. Yeah. I mean, I, not only the... You know, for him, because he's a, a semi-public figure, you get the embarrassment, and then obviously, you know, I mean, the only reason I, I really have a problem with it is, again, like you mentioned, he's married, and then you have to deal with that whole situation. But on top of all that, I mean, obviously, you went to go see a prostitute because you're horny, and you don't even get off. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, what a what an awful day. And he looks, you, you, this mugshot, I've never seen someone look so depressed in the mugshot. He just looks like... 
like no one's happy usually when they have to be in a mug shop, but he just looks so down and depressed in there. He just looks like his world's about to end. Too. Yeah. So, so they, the picture of him in this mug shop I'm looking at right now, but yeah, so this happened in 2013. He was 48 at the time. He was married, still is married. And as I said, it was originally listed as a male prostitution sting, but it wasn't. That was a mistake. And this was the beginning and a lot of people said then, who cares? This is his own personal life between him and his wife. You know, if, if we shouldn't judge him, blah, 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 which, which I partially agree with. But I was saying at the time, this is the first indication that maybe he's not Mr. Clean that we've always seen. That He's not quite what he's cracked up to be because he was seen as like the anti-degenerate. He was the guy who you expected to be really responsible with everything. The kind of the boring accountant type who uh, who you could trust, though, the, the, like a an intelligent, trustworthy guy who lives a responsible life, not the poker gambler degenerate type. And while seeing a prostitute doesn't mean you're irresponsible with money, it does start to tear away from the image that you have that you're totally clean and you never stray from the straight and narrow. And I was saying, you know, maybe who knows now? Who knows? Is, I'm not not that the two are necessarily related, but they easily could be because this shows that Greg Raymer has some kind of secret life, some kind of uh, maybe even dark side to him that we don't know about. And the more signs you see of that, the less you can trust the person. I'll tell you this too. I, I had a friend. He's, he's not even alive anymore, which. Is very telling, but uh, he he played online as Thy Prez, and he he was a big fish, and he knew he was a big fish, and he was a legendary fish on Poker Stars actually. But Thy Prez died of a drug overdose, I think about two or three years ago, and years before that, when he would go to Vegas, he would tell me about hiring hookers every time he went there. But he told me something really interesting, and that was that he hired hookers usually after he would lose a lot of money gambling in Vegas. And he said the reason he did that is that after losing a lot of money gambling, he felt some kind of weird shame that he had like just done something bad, and that kind of just encouraged him to do more bad things. Like he just had this feeling like, I just blew a lot of money, I was just stupid, let's do something else really stupid. I, I deserve to keep being stupid. Like that, that, That's the way he saw it. And I thought that was an interesting psychology he had. And I believe him from what he was saying. So, and then, then as you might guess, he kept doing many other stupid things, and eventually he died of a drug overdose a few years ago. So back to Greg Raymer. When this happened, it really did change my impression of him. Because I, I, I like everybody else, just believed that he was just a regular old family man who uh, also was good at poker, won the World Series main event, finished deep in the following year, and uh, seemed intelligent and responsible. And when you see that, you go, well, I don't know how responsible this guy actually is. Well, it turns out that maybe he's not all that responsible at all. Because since 2014, at least, and this happened in 2013, he has been running stakes to play tournaments and cash games. Now, Greg Raymer won $5 million in 2004. But keep in mind that he did have to pay a lot of that to taxes, probably about half. Uh, supposedly there were also backers that year, so he had to pay some of them. I don't know how much he had to pay out to backers, but he did. And uh, he did have a sponsorship with PokerStars starting then, and 
was pretty well compensated for several years, but that's been over for a little while. And a lot of that compensation was in the form of tournament buy-ins, and he really didn't do all that much in tournaments since his 2005 main event, where he finished like 20th. So it's believable that if he didn't live all that frugally or responsibly since 2004, that all that money could be gone. So starting 2004, he started running a stake, and his excuse at the time, in 2014, was that he was running the stake because his wife was putting a lot of pressure on him. That it's too risky to play poker to support the family. That uh, she wants more of a sure thing. So he's doing this for his wife's sake. He said, I've been a winner every year, but my wife is making me do it, which I don't believe. I said at the time when this stake was first announced in 2014, if you've won every single year dating at least back to 2004... Your wife's not going to interfere. Your wife's going to be thrilled with it. Your wife's going to expect you've won 11 years in a row, you're going you know, to keep winning. You only have to make these changes once you're not doing as well as we once did. Once you're either losing or winning so little you can't support the family on it. And especially if your bankroll has gotten to dangerous levels. So I... my guess yeah, you're is, In your wife's eyes, it's only a problem when it's a problem. Yes. You know I mean. Yes. It's, it's only a gambling problem when you're losing. So I can't see any wife saying, you've won 11 straight years. Damn it, you better not do this the 12th year. <laughs> what wife yeah, would ever say that? would be like someone saying, don't go to work this year because you, you've been making money every year. Yeah. Uh, that wouldn't, doesn't make any sense. And it's not even like he had one good year and his wife said, no, no, don't go back. That would make sense. He's, he played 11 straight years at least. Actually, I think he claimed 20 years, whatever it is, even 11. You play that many years and don't have one losing year and have you know, some really good ones in there, then your wife should be thrilled you're continuing not demanding that you sell parts of yourself. So, so obviously that was BS, but I, did, I said, okay, if he's broke and he's just trying to save face and saying his wife's making him do it, not that big of a deal. Again, that's uh, it would be helpful to know what state his mind is in before backing him, but let's face it, a lot of people who get backed don't want to admit that they're broke and that's why they need the backing, especially big names like Greg Raymer. So I, I was able to understand that and not really hold that much against him. However, uh, however, the way these stakes have been going, I don't like one bit. And last year I did a long segment on this, and I'm not going to repeat the whole thing this year because it's, uh, you can go listen to the last year's show where I mentioned it. But still, this year he's pretty much doing the same thing. And he's actually doing it on a site that you are affiliated with, Ustake. Uh, dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. But I, this isn't uh, CalWatt's fault or anything. This, I'm not, actually, not, I have nothing against Ustake on this one. It's just about uh, uh, Raymer himself. So th- in, in 2016, just about exactly a year ago, I, I made a long post and, and radio segment about the 2016 deal. So the, in the 2014 deal, and there's also a 2015, but I just somehow never got the information on that. So in 2014... The way he did his stake was he would collect $80,000 worth of stake money and put twenty k in of his own money. Then he'd use the hundred k to enter a, quote, variety of tournament and cash games. And then when the stake was over, he didn't make the timeline clear, he would pay himself 40% off the top and then gave 80% of the rest of the money to the investors because he supposedly bought 20% of himself. So ever since then, it's been pretty much that, but some kind of small variations of it. So it, this year, again, it's pretty much the same. 
I don't know his results in 2014. He just recently posted on Facebook when he was asked that in 2016 he qu- he claimed he quote won a tiny amount, so it probably pretty much broke even, and 2015 quote lost big. <laughs> so hopefully you didn't invest in 2015 or you lost uh, pretty much everything you put into it. Uh, 2000, so 2017 now, there is another staking offer. This is what he wrote on December 27th on his Facebook. Happy New Year. I'm accepting investments into a bankroll for all of my poker play in 2017. I still love the game and I'm looking forward to a great year and I would like you to be part of it with me. If you're interested, please read below and contact me any questions you may have. In 2016, I had 131 tournament entries, as well as playing some satellites and cash games. My schedule for 2017 is unclear at the moment, and may be similar to what I did in 2016. I'm currently t- talking to a small number of poker rooms about relocating to, their, lo- relocating to their area and being their full-time ambassador. You know people are in trouble when they have to do that, when you have to start moving to go represent a small poker room. You know you're in trouble. Or a cruise ship. Yeah, or a cruise ship, like Jamie called. If this happens, a lot more of my play will be in cash games, whereas the last few years my play has been almost entirely tournaments. I still expect to play a lot of tournaments, including a full slate of World Series events this summer, but now when I'm home, it'll be in a new city, and I'll be doing stuff like hosting games and playing small daily tournaments, something I've done very little of in recent years. Ugh. Small daily tournaments he's reduced to? Uh, Would you rather do that, Druff? Or work at that call center. I think I'd go back to the call center. The small daily tournaments, to do that every day is just brutal. Uh, This should add a lot of volume to my play, a lot of it at lower limits, which will probably add a lot of small profit results of the year. I don't know about that. Those have such high rake, I can't see how he's going to profit much. Uh, I still expect to travel around the U.S. and Canada a good bit to teach my seminars and play in the events at the poker rooms that coincide with my seminars. Uh, I'm going to stop here. Notice that he says he doesn't even know what his schedule is. And in 2016, he didn't know what the schedule was. And this was a big hole in what he was proposing. And and I'll explain in a second why that's a huge hole. But he goes on to say, I'll be emailing a report to the investors about once a month throughout the year with results as well as stories and hand histories from the games I I competed in. During the World Series, report emails will come about twice as often. That's not very... (laughs) During the World Series, they'll give a report once every two weeks? That's not very good. Now, now, Cal, why do you, you see my Twitter when I'm playing the World Series? I give a report like every five minutes. You can do it once every two weeks? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I prefer transparency when it comes to these things. Yeah. You know? But, I mean, if he knows enough people and is a big enough name that, you know, he can get people to invest in him. Without that stuff, I mean, I guess, but I... <laughs> but he's saying, like, the good thing. like it's a, it, you know, a lot of the entertainment for the people who invest in players like this, and I know this from someone who sells pieces of myself in the World Series, a lot of the entertainment comes from those who feel like they are there with the player, with, how, with, with the updates you're getting, and you get to experience the ups and downs with them. Last, last year when I was going up and down so much in that first Limit Hold'em event I played where I ultimately finished 40th, I, I had someone message me that he actually wanted me to keep the piece he won because he got so much entertainment of watching you know, my ups and downs and then my my constant updates about it that it was worth it to him and that's so why he actually uh, donated it to the uh, to the upkeep of the site 
and I appreciated that. But uh, that's what people enjoy, and that's why a lot of people have bought pieces of me, because I, I give such detailed and frequent updates where they get to feel like they're there. Uh, once every two weeks, <laughs> the World Series is crazy. I can understand why he doesn't constantly update small daily tournament. Uh, that We're not going to care if he, his aces beat kings in a, in a $40 tournament. But... Uh, Anyway, going on. He says, in the investment deal I had from 2002 to 2004, leading up to my main event win, the investors were all very happy with the final result, as you would imagine. However, many of them later told me that even though I had been winning for them throughout that period, the main reason they continued their investment was the fact that they really enjoyed the monthly email reports. What? The monthly email reports? Like, that's that, that's not good. <laughs> that's, he's bragging about something that isn't good. The monthly yeah, I'd email prefer reports. if he just longhand wrote me an update you know once a year put it in the mail <laughs> and it's, it's seriously it's ridiculous like he's on twitter yeah you, you can't yeah, you I can't mean, at the end of the day say uh, this happened today you have a monthly report that's why people that's why they stayed is that could be kept in the loop once a month <laughs> well i i mean i think it's fine if it's a like an accounting style report because i could see how you know that might be yeah semi-knowing but he, here's <laughs> Some of the irony here is that, you know, he has been using Ustake uh, to do this stuff, and they have the facility to do essentially real-time updates. Of what's yeah, that's up. true. It's really bizarre. Yeah, so he says, while I can't promise anything, I'll try to make them fact-filled and entertaining. So that's great. Every, every month you'll get a fact-filled and entertaining report from him. Uh, so the way the deal works is I play poker at my discretion, tournaments, satellites, cash gains, and even online, though I haven't done any of that since 2011, using the bankroll. I will not enter into games that are too big for the current size of the bankroll, with the exception of the World Series main event, which we will enter with a bankroll regardless of its size at the time. All the results in these poker games will be accumulated, and, and we will split the bankroll at the end of the year uh, of the following terms. If we break even, everyone gets their full investment back. If we lose, we all lose equally according to how many shares we've purchased. I will be purchasing at least 20 shares. Now listen to this part carefully. It's just like in the previous years, but it's got a big problem. I'll be purchasing at least 20 shares. That means 20%. If we are a net winner, I will receive 40% of the win for being the player, and the remaining 60% will be split evenly among the investors by shares purchased. That is, if we win, I get 40% of the profit as a player, and the investors, including me and the shares I bought, will split 60%. If we lose, all investors will lose equally according to the number of shares purchased. As I am co- Also, I am covering all travel expenses, and these costs are not being deducted from the bankroll, as discussed below. The price of each share is $1,000. So what he's trying to do is he's trying to sell a per- percent uh, at $1,000, and if 100 shares are bought, which he claims he's, bu- he claims he's buying 20 himself, so that means 80 are for sale. So he's trying to sell 80 shares at 1,000 each to collect 80K. And then the bankroll will be uh, 100K. Though he's, what's weird, he's saying I'm, trying to, I'm looking to raise a total bankroll of 60 to 120K, which is strange. And how is the price of each share 1,000? I, I, I guess he can change a share to where it's not a percent anymore, according to what's there. But anyway, that's what he's doing. Now, let me, let me tell you the problem with him buying 20 shares of it. And I, I mentioned this last year. Without an exact schedule of what he's playing, you don't know if the 20 shares he's buying are actually going to be used in the stake. And that becomes a big problem. Because he could, he could own 20% of himself that's never at risk. And, and that can be a big issue. So uh, let, me, let me give you an example here, of, of uh, an exaggerated example of why this could be such an issue. Let's say I had uh, a, uh, 
afford, uh, let's say I claimed I need $400,000 to play poker this year for all the things I'm going to play. But I tell everybody, I actually have 300000 of it. I have 100000 of my own money. And my dad is also giving me 200000 He's buying half of it. And I'm buying a quarter of it. So all I need is from the rest of you guys to contribute the other hundred k to make it 400000 To where you guys will collectively own 25% of me. And then on top of it, of course, since uh, I'm not playing for nothing, uh, you're only going to get 60% of my profits of that 25% you have. So you agree to that, and let's say you all collectively buy in for a, you know the shares to where it adds up to 100k. But in reality, I'm actually broke. And in reality, my dad didn't give me 200k. In reality, my dad gave me nothing, and I gave myself nothing because I didn't have anything. The only money I really have is that 100k, which you guys gave me. So you guys should actually own 100% of me, and you think you own 25% of me. So, so the problem is here. That, um, number one, I could falsify my results, especially in cash games and small tournaments where there's no record of it. But, but even putting that aside, uh, I could lose. So if I'm losing, I could actually stop playing to where um, I don't have to ever use my own money that I never really had. And, um, and, and then you'll never really know the difference. So, um, so, so that's the issue here, and then I can then I can exaggerate the numbers so I never really have to, you know, that I actually lost, so I don't actually, because you know, if I, if I were to tell you I lost a hundred thousand, then what would really happen is, you know, you you owning twenty five percent of me would mean you only really lost twenty five thousand. I'd owe you seventy five thousand back. But uh, but if I just claimed I lost the whole four hundred thousand, and you you had no way to check into it, uh, you wouldn't know the difference and it'd be gone, and you'd have no way to know if I ever had that money behind. So the problem is, you know, he he may he may or may not really have that money behind. And without a tournament schedule, without a cash game, without, without anything that uh, you can see what he's going to play, the money he claims behind is, is, is meaningless. Because that, that money may, may not exist or may never be used. Now, I'm yeah, not didn't, s- he, didn't he get flamed on this for 2 plus 2 last year? Wasn't well, there a sort of. thread and people were calling him out for it and everything? There, it's sort of. Half and half. Yes and no. Like Some people were, but he had other people, other fanboys saying, he, Greg's never screwed anyone. Greg's a great guy. And I'm, saying, I'm not saying he is screwing anyone. I'm not saying he's a bad guy. I'm saying that this is very non-standard to say, you're just staking me for just unspecified events and cash games. And, and I'm already buying in uh, part of my own money. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm buying in part of my own money, but you're never seeing that money. And it's just, yeah. and and this kind of thing happens in the poker world all the time. But it's usually between friends, you know, people that know each other and know the uh, you know explicitly trust the guy because they have a personal relationship with him. It doesn't usually happen when you're talking about taking money from random people that. You don't know. Yeah, and that's not how stakes works. The way stakes yeah. work is that you you are being bought into certain events or games, and it's very clear what you're buying in. You know what's being bought in for you there, and uh, and so like for example, the the what I what I run at the World Series where uh, yeah I sell certain events, and then you know let's say I sell forty percent of it. Well, you know for that event, whatever I cash that the players are getting collectively forty percent, and I'm keeping sixty percent, and you know that. I really am putting 60% of my money into it. You, know, you see that I am playing that event. It's all very transparent and clear. Yeah. And, and, then, and also what you're owed is very transparent and clear. If I don't cash, you're owed nothing. If I cash, you know exactly what you're owed, and it's right printed on the World Series site what, exactly what I cashed. So I, I, even if I wanted to screw you, other than just running off with the money, I couldn't. So, 
Yeah, and it's like, uh, you know, if you approach a bank for a business loan, um, you'll have to lay out, like, exactly what you're planning to use the money for, right? Yeah. Uh, and it, it's a difference between that and what's essentially an unsecured line of credit. Yeah, that, which that's is a good example. Like, Here it is. That you is know, an, that's do whatever good example. the fuck you want. That's pretty it. much what this is. It's like, hey, I'm just going to just give me this money, uh, and, and trust me, when I win, I'll tell you. And when I lose, uh, I'll tell you that too. You know, and I'll tell you everything accurately. Now, am I accusing him of stealing from from the stake or, or cheating people? No. But the problem is, you have no way to know. And, and to trust someone to play something that uh, number one is a very non-standard stake, and number two uh, is unverifiable because a lot of his cash games and small daily tournaments apparently. You you have to really 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 know and trust the person. Not just they oh they have a good rep or oh you know I, I I like him from what I've seen of him in the poker world. I mean someone you really know well that's not going to screw you because first of all somebody who is broke can be as once someone said on a forum a very dangerous animal because they they start to do things that they didn't used to do because they think about how they really need the money and maybe they should cut corners or do things that they otherwise would not have done so. Let's say someone who's broke is running a cash stake, and at first they're they're thinking they're going to be honest about it, but then they win four thousand dollars in a session, and they go, "Wow, I just did really well. I just won a lot of money for my backers." You know what? My backers only won two thousand. Yeah, my backers will be happy if I won half of that. Yeah, I'm just going to keep mm-hmm. the other two, and I'll say I won two, and everyone's going to be happy. And you know, and I did good for them. I, I did a good job for them. I just won the money. You know, I they just sat at home doing nothing, and I, I went out and played, and I won this money, and. I'll give them. I'll, I'll just tell my one half. They'll they'll be happy anyway. And look, I I really need this money. I, you know, I'm gonna. Um, I, I can't pay my mortgage. It's either it's either take some of this that uh that and, and help it to pay my mortgage or but they'll they'll be happy anyway. Everyone will be happy. It'll be good. And that, that, that I mean, it, it's it's hard enough, Druff, to make money in poker staking. I mean, just ask Ryan Hastings, right? And he just complaining he lost like two thirds of his yeah life roll to that. It's hard enough to make money in poker staking. In in a good arrangement where everything is clear and transparent, let alone something like this, yeah, it's just where ver- it's entirely opaque. Yeah, it's it's very 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 opaque, and and you have to totally trust him, especially if you really believe he is having money problems, which I'm sure he is to be doing this this whole stake here for. It's, it's not even like he's getting staked for some massive events where he's going to be entering a million dollars worth of events and doesn't want to risk it. This is a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, it's a hundred thousand isn't a small amount of money, but it's. If if he's not broke, he should be able to earmark a hundred thousand dollars to play poker with. It, it shouldn't be as a poker pro that shouldn't be prohibitively expensive. So th- this is uh, obviously indicative that he's having financial issues, and so you have to trust that while he's having likely financial issues, that he is not going to shave anything off. And again, I'm not saying he is doing it or will do it. I'm saying that this is something you have to really, 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 really trust the person and know them very well. So like if if I had my mom playing for me. She doesn't play poker, but if she was. I would. Just, I would trust my mom is not going to screw me like this. If I had uh, you know, a, a best friend doing it, I, I would trust they're not going to do it. If I, if I had my brother or sister, doing it, I would trust they're not going to do it. But just some guy I, I like, but don't know all that well, or, or even if I know him fairly well, but we're not really close. Even if I trust him, I, I I'd have a very hard time doing it. Just thinking he might skim off the top, especially if he's broke. Yeah, I mean, I, I disagree slightly, only from the point of view that. When we're talking about tournament pro- poker, I, I almost don't. You, you'd have to have an enormous amount of money for me to think it's not a good idea for you to sell pieces. 
you know, just because of the, the variance of it. But he's talking about a mix of, like, all sorts of daily tournaments and lower state cash games and stuff. So, I mean, you're right. It does kind of sound like... Well, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm talking about that. Yeah, like, the, the, like yeah. the tournament, the regular tournaments itself that, that you can at least uh, get an indication whether he played or not. Uh, and, and of course, see if he if he won anything from online reports. That's that's a little different because at least there's some transparency. But the cash games, it's it's just very very hard to uh, to know for sure. And you say, well, I, I trust him. Everything I've seen about him, I trust. Well, let's go back to the prostitution thing. Unless his wife was okay with it, his wife couldn't trust him. So <laughs> it's, it's you could say it's a different thing, but I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, yes, it's possible for someone. To cheat on their wife, but be very honest in financial matters, because you know one is sexual and, and the other one is is financial. But a lot of times they go hand in hand. So you've you've got to <laughs> yeah, they go hand in hand, especially when it's <laughs> prostitution, right? right? So sex and money definitely goes hand in hand. So you just you can't just trust someone on reputation alone with something like this. Even me, who I always like to put myself out as as a poker player, you can trust. But I would say. You would be foolish to give me a cash game stake, not because I would steal it from you, but because most of you do not know me well enough to know if I would or not. Even if you think you know me, all of you who listen to the show don't actually know me that well. And I'm not saying I would steal it from you. I'm saying that you don't know me well enough to know that I wouldn't. So, And, that, and that's kind of a weird thing, because I know <laughs> a decent number of people that, um, you know, in, in their own field, they're you know, semi-famous or however you want to call it. And that dynamic does exist, that people feel that they know you because they've listened to you for so long or they've seen you for so long. But, I mean, the God's honest truth is you don't. Yeah. Just just because you saw this Raymer guy on TV and thought he was nice, it doesn't mean you know the guy. Yeah. Like, like, I, like I've had people, like, have me escrow money for them or whatever. That you can trust because there I have a reputation that goes back many years. And if I were to screw someone in an escrow situation, then it's very clear. It's very transparent. Either I, I did the escrow as asked and as uh, as agreed upon, or I didn't do it and screwed people. And then you can prove it and, and then ruin my reputation. So so you would know that if, I, if I've never screwed anyone in this way in all these years, and then, number one, I'd be very unlikely to do it. And number two, if I did it, I would throw away all the years I've built up of trust. So, so you could feel confident. Confident that I'd be one who would be very unlikely to do that, but but in something like a cash game stake where I could screw you and, and skim off of it, and you'd never know, that would be something which uh, you couldn't be confident with because I could do that, and still my reputation would never suffer any hit because <laughs> you'd have no way to prove it or even know. I, I've got a very very short list of people that I would have that arrangement with. Yeah. You know? So so anyway, he's he's doing this again here. And uh, he, then he also uh, he goes on with this whole thing about he may need your social security number for taxes. Well, that, that's fine. That's understandable. And as I said, when he was asked on his Facebook how last year's stake did, he said won a tiny amount last year, lost big the year before. He didn't mention what happened in 2014. He said 2017 is time for a big win. So all of my concerns are as valid now as they were a year ago. Uh, it, it, not just Greg Raymer, but for anybody who you're going to stake, number one, avoid the cash stakes unless it's an online thing which is tracked well where you can see what happened. If, 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 it's ever, if there's ever any results you just can't see, I would advise against ever staking anyone for anything where you just can't see for sure what the results were. And number two, even for tournaments, you want a list of what they're going to play. You don't want just like, I'll play what I feel like entering 
and and you're automatically backing me for that. And oh, by the way, I've bought such and such percentage of myself. As I was mentioning before, you don't know if that money really exists that he's buying for himself. And uh, that also becomes a situation where it's not completely transparent. The only way that it, it really works for tournament staking is for is you know what tournaments you're buying, you know what percentage that you are buying of that tournament, and you know that tournament is going to be played. And that you know what would happen if they don't play it. So if they don't play it, then there's some sort of refund procedure that's already set in place. So you know everything in advance of what to expect, what tournaments to expect, what will happen if they don't play those tournaments. Th- that, that's what you want. You don't, you don't want the, all this weird stuff that's totally non-standard. When, right. Anything that's and, weird... And, yeah. and Drew, just to, just to make an analogy here, I mean, this is... <laughs> This type of investing is nothing new, and this is a, a problem that has been solved uh, in, in, the, in the business world for a very long time. If you look at any publicly traded company, by law, they have to put out a, a financial report that discloses where the money went. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it, it, it just blows my mind that people would, you know, they would never buy into it. Would hope they wouldn't. They would never buy into a company that. Well, okay, I take it back. People would because they get ripped off all the time. But you should not buy into something uh, into a company that will not tell you where the money went and how much money they made and where they made it and what was spent. And that's what uh, these financial disclosures are all about for business investing. And it should be the same for here. I mean, this, this is a monetary investment. The fact that it is a poker player entering a tournament i mean it's pretty much irrelevant you know it's the same type of thing you're giving someone some capital expecting some kind of return on it you are at the very least owed a transparent accounting of what happened and you're right in these cash games and the smaller untracked tournaments there is zero way it can be tracked other than by their you know the your faith in the honesty of the person who's doing it yeah, um, and, I, and I'm with you. I'm not saying anything bad about Greg Rammer because I've, I've never heard anything bad about the guy. I just wouldn't do it for anybody. <laughs> yeah, I, I, w- I wouldn't either. And that's and also uh, something about these small games, these low limit games, and and small tournaments. Even though the competition is weaker, I don't know if you can even beat those because the rake is so high, and and there's a lot of luck involved in these. Like these small tournaments, the structure is terrible, and at some point later in the tournament, it becomes almost all luck unless the player's horrible. And so that's why a lot of these chop, by the way, when they get to like seven people, a lot of times people just chop because it becomes just a, a luck fest at that point because everybody is so short stacked. Every single player at the table is short stacked compared to the blinds that it's just all in, all in, all in. And whoever just gets dealt the better hand or, or hits the better flop wins. So there, there's very little skill involved at that point if you just have like half of a clue how to play these. And this makes them a lot more luck based where even an excellent player loses a lot of his edge. You make a good point about the rake, too. Yeah, and so so between the poor structure and the rake being so high, it's very hard to say, oh, I'm so much better, I can still beat the rake. I don't know about that, and if you can, you're going to beat it by very little. So that's kind of a weird plan, too. The, really, the goal here on a stake should be to find... A stake like this, I would say, to find medium to semi-big buy-in tournaments where the field's soft and then hope you'd run well enough to win. That that should be the goal here, to where, yeah, play the $1,500, $1,000 type tournaments, maybe some 500s, uh, which have a, uh, a big field to where if you get really deep, then you win. 
and uh, he won a lot of money, something like that. Now, and, and, and really, the you know, from my point of view, <clears throat> the right thing to do if I'm him is to put aside my own money to go play in the cash games, and then whatever amount that I have left over put that into the tournaments and then sell the rest of the tournament. Right. I don't understand this. If he's got 20K, why isn't he playing the cash games on the 20K, take out the lack of transparency, and then make a super transparent stake with only tournaments? I, that's a good point. Why doesn't he do that? So, that, I mean, that would my from my point of view, that's the right way to do it. Yes. Because there's no way to be transparent otherwise. Yeah. So that's I, I would advise very much against this. And now what's funny, this is a year ago, so I, I, I'm not saying this just happened, but Jason Moe, who likes to cause a lot of uh, ruckus on Twitter, he saw this a year ago, and he tweeted, if any of you want to stake this old idiot, I'll offer a much better price on this package. <laughs> So, so, so what he was trying to say is is almost like uh, re- reverse staking it that uh, that uh, you can that that he'll he'll sell it to you at uh, a lower price than what Raymer's selling it to you as, and then if Raymer wins, he pays you, and if if uh, he meaning Jason, and if Raymer loses, then uh, then you don't get your money back. So that, he's basically saying he'll 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 run the stake with his own money. And he thinks Raymer is offering such a terrible deal to the players that uh, that he'll actually offer a better deal than that and back it. So that's that's kind of funny. That's well, kind of like what Timex. Was yeah, doing. I was going to say that's kind of what uh, Timex is doing. Yeah. So, in fact, let's uh, let's transition to this Timex uh, topic because that's. Uh, kind of an interesting thing itself. Of uh, because people hadn't thought of this before. I don't think before Timex was doing it, I really hadn't heard about this, and that is like running stakes on tournaments that you're not even necessarily in. That you you can even do them on third parties. You could just say, we're, we're, you know, you can buy pieces of such and such players uh, at this markup and buy it from me, and I'll act as if I'm that player. And you know, if the player doesn't cash, then I keep it, and if the player cashes, then uh, then you win it, and I'll pay you out. He's just a bookie. Yeah, that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of what it's like. That's all that that is. Yeah. So, so, so Timex. So he called himself the Bank of Timex, and uh, and that's what he was doing for a while. And uh, and then I guess he stopped for a while, but he started again, and he actually started a site called PokerShares dot com. And and again, I'm just I'm reporting this objectively. This is not uh, a sponsor by any means. Uh, I just found out about this today. I just think it's interesting. I'm not promoting it. I'm not suggesting you do it. But uh, you can even buy action at the PP at the PCA, which is going on the Poker Stars Caribbean Adventure, the very last year of it. And I don't know if it's going to. I mean, they're you know, Poker Stars are changing their tournament series. The EPT is ending. The the PCA is ending, and they're going to uh, rename a lot of the stuff. But I don't know if they're even coming back to the Bahamas. If you remember last year, I actually announced on this show an exclusive news item that. This is the last year they're going to be in the Bahamas, Poker Stars, and this actually got all the way up to the official spokesman of Poker Stars, who then said I was incorrect. But I got it from a pretty reliable source, so I don't know if, if uh, the source told it to me, and they just heard the PCA was over just because it's going to stop being called the PCA, which is true after this year, 
or if they really are just not coming back to the Bahamas. But they, they haven't announced they're coming back to the Bahamas as of next year, so I might end up being right. We'll see very soon. Uh, I did announce that this one would take place in 2017, but it's, it's going on right now between the 6th and the, and the 14th. But if, if you go to PokerShirts.com, it says right there on the front page, by action of any player, Poker Stars Championship Bahamas. And uh, what, what you can do here is if you click on it, for example, PCA Main Event, uh, you, you can choose what player you want to buy pieces of. And depending upon their perceived skill by Timex, uh, it's different rates of markup. So, for example, uh, Fedora Hulse is the one that has the highest markup of, of, of 2.7. So, uh, and some actually have, uh, looks like, lower markups where you can actually buy for, for less than, uh, for less than even. Some, like a fish that's, that's, a, that's assumed that they're going to uh, lose. You can actually buy, buy the, the less than the even. So uh, the 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 highest mark of two point seven to buy a piece of uh, of Fedor Holtz two point seven markup. Uh, Dan Negreanu two point five markup. He's the second highest. Bryn Kenny two point two. Igor Kurganov two point two. And it goes down there. Justin Bonomo two point two. Uh, Connor Drinen two point five. Strangely enough, it says request any player two point four. I don't know why, like some random player, you'd have to pay more than you had to for uh, like Bryn Kenny. That doesn't make sense. But that's what it says. David Yan two point ten. Morris Dadoon. I don't know who he is, but you get him for zero point sixty. So you get him for less than than even, <laughs> which is funny. But uh, and it, it goes from there. So, for example, so so what this is basically they're saying it's a. Uh, one percent is is fifty fifty euro, okay. So to buy a one percent of Fedor Hulse, it would cost you one hundred thirty five euro. To buy a piece of uh, Morris Dadoon, who you're actually getting a discount on, it would only be thirty euro. So you could actually get thirty on Morris Dadoon, whoever that is, who's a, I guess a fish. You could buy a percent of him for thirty euro when the buy-in's five thousand euro. So that shows you what they think of him. So anyway, that, that's how this works. And, and again, these p- particular players are not selling their action. These particular players have nothing to do with this. They're just players that are known to be playing the event. And then based upon their perceived skill, then you're paying a certain price for them. And if they win, you get paid. If they don't win, then win meaning, meaning cashing, then Timex keeps the money. And I get... Yeah, I was going to say, just like a bookie, the, the key is setting the line appropriately right you know i mean that's all it is right yeah so that, that's what they're doing here and and timex was doing this himself for a while and uh, in fact players will sometimes do this like, like what it's showing jason jason moe was doing to raymer last year sometimes to mock others that they think are selling themselves at too high of a rate so you have some player who isn't very good he says uh, i'm selling myself at one point for a markup and so someone says what i doubt you're even worth even in this you know what uh, screw this. I'm, I'm going to sell you at, at 1.1 markup. So anybody wants a piece of this person, don't buy it from them. Buy it from me. I'll sell, it to you. I'll sell you 1% of their action, at, you know, each percent at 1.1 markup. Yeah, it's an insult and a cock block. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it is. So, so sometimes that happens when, when one player gets angry at another or just uh, is, feels that a player is taking advantage of 
those in the community who don't know very well what someone's really worth. Uh, I I don't think it's like I I wouldn't get involved in doing that unless the person who was doing this is known to have payment issues or scams people or or if they lie about something that makes them seem more skillful than they are. So if someone's lying about their record or lying, then I can see doing that. If you're just someone who's overestimating how good they are and trying to sell themselves at a certain markup, I, you don't need to get involved in that because that's just it's kind of a dick move. I think every poker player overestimates how good they are. Oh, yeah, they, they do, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> they, no, I always say, you know, as far as your own skill, I've said this. If you're at a poker table and you think someone's much worse than you, they probably are. Like, if you think there's a huge fish at the table, they probably are. If you think that they're a lot worse, but not like a huge fish, they probably, they're, they're probably worse, but not as bad as you think they are. If you think that they are um, a little worse than you, they're probably about as good as you. If you think that uh, they're about equal to you, they're probably better than you. And if they, you think they're better than you, they're probably way better than you. That's probably how it really works at the poker table. Because everybody's got a warped view of their own skill, and usually it's in the direction of believing themselves to be better than they are. And that, that's the reason you even have fish at the poker table. Usually fish don't think down, sit down thinking, I'm terrible, I'm dead money here. They, they sit down thinking... Even if they know they're not that experienced, they sit down thinking, "Oh, I, you know, I'm not all that experienced, but I bet I'm smart enough to beat this game anyway." Occasionally, a fish will play just for the thrill of playing against better competition and, and like a learning experience or just a fun experience. But most of the time, the fish don't realize they're fish, and even the 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 players who are below average at the table but aren't fish think they're the best one or one of the best ones at the table. Yeah, or they're degens and. Playing poker is no different than the thrill they get from playing, you know, like three card poker or whatever. Yeah. But as far as like how they, as far as how they rate themselves, it's, it's very rare. Oh, right. Someone says like, like, oh, I, I think I'm one of the worst ones at the table, or I think I'm in the bottom third of the people here at the table. But the, you know, they're always usually there is a, a bottom third at the table, unless everyone's very, very close in skill. But usually there is a pretty clear bottom third at the table as far as who, who, how good people are. Uh, the only exception to this are some of these like games, higher limit games, where you have like five good players and one fish, where the five good players are pretty similar in skill. But. Uh, Anyway, this PokerShares.com, if you want to do this, you can. Now, of course, they, they have to make a profit, like all bookies. Uh, this is not a zero-sum game. So th- these markups that you're paying for these good players are not worth it. And you're, you're not getting a good value unless there's one you really think they're underrating. But with these markups that are well over two, like that's, that's a pretty steep markup. So, you know, as good as Fedora Hulse is, you really want to pay 2.7 markup for him? That's that's a pretty steep markup. I mean, we're talking about 1.4 being a high markup. I mean, imagine 2.7. Like, every every player that has a good rep in this field, they're all over two. So, what, what Timex is trying to do here is you see these players in the headlines. You know, Fedora Hulse just, you know, he's won all these different tournaments in 2016. And, you know, these other guys you see winning a lot. You go, oh, I want a piece of him. And then you buy it, and it, it just doesn't seem that bad of a deal to you if you see these guys constantly winning to, to pay some markup. But you, once the markup gets high enough, it becomes unbeatable unless you happen to find someone who's like, – like, for example, Will Kasuf, he's playing this, and he's uh, 1.6 markup. And that's still a pretty high markup, 1.6. But if Will Kasuf is as good as yeah, his, his results were in the second half of 2016 – then maybe that's a decent deal. I'm not saying to go buy him at 1.6, but that's I, I think that would be a better deal than any of these guys over two because at least Willing Kasuf is uh, 
he's been successful with this little talking act of his and with his style. Whatever he's doing has been working. So maybe he's someone who's underrated. Whereas uh, some of these other guys, even as successful as they are, Negranu and Fedor Holtz, to be paying this type of markup is just insane. So. Yeah, so Druff, I mean, you know that I've been involved in various you know aspects of the staking stuff, tasty steaks and you steak or whatever. One of the one of the ideas that I we we've talked about not not you steak like I and some other people have talked about doing for a long time that I thought would be pretty cool is if you treated these uh, individual stakes kind of like you would uh, stock shares, where people can buy and sell them, oh, and, you create, and you create like a little micro market. That you know? is interesting. I, I think that's even. I think that's a lot better than the thing that Timex is going on here. Yeah, you be like, I've, I've got Jason Mercier at you know one point six, and someone someone can put in a buy order, and I'll buy him at one point eight. You know what I mean? And basically create like a micro economy based on this, where you know you can buy, sell, and trade these things. And I, I always thought it was a really cool idea, but the <laughs> the, the thing that always concerned me about creating something like that. Um, is that I think it's just dying to have the SEC come in. Yeah, that's the problem. It could be illegal. <laughs> you know, thing, because yeah. you you effectively are creating a, a exchange market. Yeah, that's the problem. It's, it's kind of like the whole thing with with uh, exchanging Bitcoin for cash. You can start having issues with uh, legalities with that, even though it should be totally legal to do. But I, but I thought that was a cool idea because if you do it that way, because um, you know a lot of times when uh, pros list uh, you know pieces that they want to sell. They may be uh, pricing them too high or too low. You know, they don't know. So let the market figure out what your price should be. That way, you know, if if Ivy Phil Ivy lists his shares at you know one point five, and he really could have gotten something insane like three point zero, you know, let the market go crazy and do whatever the hell they want to do with it. Yeah, yeah, and and it also allows you as someone who buys it to say. I don't really believe the markup should be high for this person, but I think there's enough of a perception of this person being good that I'm going to buy it at this anyway because I think it's going to go up. Yeah, and then and you get all the, the wonderful uh, aspects that you have in markets like short selling and all that kind of fun yeah. stuff. And it, yeah. it just could be really interesting. Yeah, I think it's a great uh, idea. I, I yeah. do. I think it's a, it's a more advanced and a better idea than what they have going on here at PokerShares.com. But as yeah, you said, and again, it's nothing that original. It's really just replicating something that's already out there, yeah, just but I, in a I, different context. Yeah, I think it's a good application of it. Um, but again, one of the, uh, in, in addition to lack of time, one of the uh, concerns I had about what is was ugh, one of the concerns I had about it was that the SEC is going to be like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, and, and you're right <laughs> there. You're right there in New York too, which is like the worst place to be to, to yeah, be doing yeah. this. So yeah, I, I, I understand those concerns and. So that's that's going on with these uh, with these shares here, and let's see let's see what the chat room has to say about this. I haven't looked at the chat in a while. Uh, Lou Father saying in trade is a good deal. Uh, uh, then Larry Laffer says, "Haven't we, le- we learned from Bitcoin how bad a microeconomy can be?" Uh, then Larry Laffer says, "Timex is going to end up like Micon if it gets big. Uncle Sam will come and want his half." Who's worse, government or? Yeah, but but Timex is Canadian. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so it would be whatever Canadian. What do, what do they call? I don't know. Uncle Moose. I don't know. <laughs> that's a good question. Okay, so here's here's some texts I got. 
Uh, on behalf of the, this is from the 505, on behalf of the longtime PFA listeners, the people seriously complaining about the show's erratic start times can eat a big black cock. And I think this guy texting is black, so he probably has one. Uh, this is how we do in America. I know you and Lyman have issues, this is a separate text, but he's completely right about there not being any winning, winning tournament players. Their whole lifestyle is funded by other people. I can rattle off 10 Fedora Holtzes from a few years ago. They were nowhere to be found. Peter Jetton, T- Jonathan Little, Scott Seaver, F- Faraz Jacka, uh, just to name a few. Halcino Reen might be the best of the bunch. See, I, I don't ag- agree with that fully because, now I agree with you partially, that a lot of these so-called winning tournament players either aren't even winners when you add up all the buy-ins or once you add up the buy-ins and travel expenses are not winners. And, and that uh, it's very hard to do all that because there isn't a real resource you can go to to look these things up. So, uh, but I do believe there are some really, really excellent tournament players that, even with the travel expenses, are winning players. The problem is I think these people then make bad lifestyle decisions with their money where they just spend too much, they gamble too much on other things, they play cash games that they're not good at or are favored in, that, that are high stakes and lose, and, and pretty soon they're broke. So I, I think you can be a winning tournament player, even with uh, traveling the circuit. But number one, you've got to be really, really good to beat all the expenses, both the rake and the travel expenses. And number two, you've got to be super disciplined, uh, both you know, with your bankroll, with, with uh, what tournaments you choose to enter, with... Uh, especially with spending or gambling money on other things, which may not be wise. So I I partially agree with you. I, I can't say there's no winning tournament players. I don't believe that. I think there are players where if you take away the bad lifestyle decisions, would be winning tournament players, even on the on the circuit. But well, it also depends on when they quit too, right? What do you mean by that? Well, I, th- I think that there are a number of winning tournament players, but part of it is just that, you know, they quit after they won a bunch, <laughs> you know? Well, yeah. I mean, they, there, there are some guys that, I mean, you know, let's face it, some people are just going to run hot, and I'm not saying that it's all luck, but you can be, uh, you know, you could be a winning roulette player, too, as long as you <laughs> you get out at the right it, time. It is true, yeah. If, if some of these guys just quit and aren't broke, they just quit because they're done then that's a, a way to just get out of it. And when you're leaving, you're not necessarily broke. But I will say, I haven't seen that many that just say, okay, I'm satisfied, I'm quitting. And the, one of the guys that was very successful, not in tournaments, but in cash games, who just seemed to quit, was a, a, a Swedish guy named Texas Limit King that played on Full Tilt years ago. And uh, he decimated Neverwin, in fact, I remember. But he was playing, he was like uh, uh, the king of Limit Hold'em on there, 1,000, 2,000, and he just won so much money. And then just one day he vanished. But then it came out later that he vanished because he was being threatened by the uh, Swedish biker banditos. <laughs> and uh, he got in a whole mess with them. And they, um, so, so he actually got scared and ran away for that reason, <laughs> not, not because he was just satisfied with the money he won. So uh, there's probably a small percentage that say, okay, I've done well enough, I don't want to give it back, I'm quitting. But it's very, very hard to do that. It's very hard to say, I just did really well in tournaments, but I'm going to stop because I think I was just running hot. Everybody, it's it's so hard to not want to continue something where you're just killing it. And, it's, 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 and I, I've seen this myself. I've seen this myself when something's going well. Even if I say to myself that I've been doing much better than expectation, it's still very hard to stop. And really, when I, when I apply the brakes... In my play, with anything, whether it's uh, poker or 
other forms of gambling, sports betting, whatever. When I apply the brakes is when I'm losing. That's when I say, wait a minute, whatever's happening here, whether it's bad luck or I'm, I'm not a favorite or whatever, something's not working here. And I've just got to stop before this gets too bad. And then I just stop. That's, that's, that's how it works with me. But I, I'll tell you, when I'm doing well on something, I never quit. I think and there are a couple. Like I think Peter Eastgate was one that I think he just quit. Yeah, um, yeah, he did. He was he was one of them. And you know, I mean, all I'm saying is that um, I totally agree with you that there are people that are winning tournament players, um, but you know, some percentage of them are just guys that just quit at the right time too. You know. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that they weren't good. It just means that they they happened to run really hot and they were smart enough to say, "Okay, see you later." From the four one two, another fan is probably in Pittsburgh, also maybe in a residential neighborhood, asking, "Is bad guy on tonight?" So far, the answer is no. Uh, from the four one zero, Greg Raymer was fucking hookers for his wife's sake. <laughs> Basically, that his wife doesn't have to then have sex with him. Well, we haven't seen his wife, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not saying anything one way or the other, but you, you got to see both to, to make that statement. This is from uh, Scott from the East Coast. Uh, he says, I have PPC news and a local scam from a radio station involving it. They said, done listening for the night, Ben, fun. I was not mad I didn't respond to him. I, I just didn't see this till now, Scott. But anyway, the... the uh, um, yeah, the, the radio station, actually, I, I know about this, too. Let me tell you about... Let me just jump to that for a second. He said, I did forget to report that on this show here regarding the Aruba PPC. But they had four radio hosts that uh, they gave to the 2016 event for the PPC. <laughs> they gave they gave free seats to each of the four DJ involved. This was on uh, uh, in Maryland Live, the 106.7 The Fan. And this is actually still up on ppcpokertour.com. I posted a link on the thread on Poker Fraud Alert, but it says the, the third annual Junkies PPC Poker Stop of Maryland Live Casino that's, that's an appropriate name, Junkies PPC Poker Stop, given what happened, uh, is April 24th, uh, 2016. Uh, bring photo ID to the poker room, blah, blah, blah. Uh, uh, registration includes a free brunch in the lounge of, of pr- the Prime Rib. Not of Prime Rib. It's, oh, at the Prime Rib, not of the Prime Rib. Winners receive a $4,000 prize package to the PPC Aruba Championship November 2nd to 8th, including entry to the $2,400 buy-in PPC event, four-night hotel stay at the Hilton Aruba Resort, where it takes place, and $400 flight credit, by the way, which they only give to you once you're actually there, and then make excuses that they forgot their checkbook. That's really what happened. <laughs> so, But apparently these, uh, uh, these DJs were also given a, a seat, which was supposed to be money in the prize pool, which, again, I'm sure was never put in there. So it's easy to give away free seats when you're never going to actually put the money in the prize pool. Uh, from the 920 trying to correct me here, LOL at Raymer being arrested for prostitution. I think you mean solicitation of prostitution. <laughs> what would he charge? <laughs> yeah, you're right. I, I kind of skipped a few words there. But yeah, so he wasn't arrested for prostituting himself, but for, for soliciting a prostitute. Uh, let's see what else we have here. On the topic of fast food, this is from the 530. I always do the same thing, re- referring to the no drink. Back in college, like four years ago, 
I always used to go to McDonald's, and the McDonald's McDoubles were a dollar. I'd add lettuce and Big Mac sauce. The price was a dollar forty-two after you added ingredients and tax, versus a real Big Mac at four dollars plus tax. It's interesting you mention this because I didn't do that, but I used to work right next door to a McDonald's, like right next door to one. So I went there a lot just because of the convenience. I didn't have to drive anywhere. So I'd walk in there, and and I'd get a burger. I noticed that at the time they had a Big and Tasty, which was ninety-nine cents, and then they had all these other expensive burgers, including like the quarter pounder with cheese. Now, I don't ever get cheese on my burger anyway, but the quarter pounder was like a few bucks, and the Big and Tasty is 99 cents for the exact same patty. So I said, this doesn't make any sense. Why why would anyone get these more expensive burgers when you could just get the Big and Tasty and add what you want to it? Like, if you want cheese, you should say, okay, add cheese to the Big and Tasty. You know, what is it, uh, 50 cents? So I, I just kept ordering the Big and Tasty, and I found out, uh, you know, t- two years later or so, they discontinued the Big and Tasty for exactly this reason. Everyone else figured out, why would I buy the more expensive burgers when I can get the Big and Tasty for 99 cents? So even though the Big and Tasty was very successful, it was successful for all the wrong reasons. So, yeah, you, if fast food places, you do have to watch out for that, that sometimes you're buying basically the same thing for a lot more money. So I see How that. the fuck does anyone remember that they spent a dollar and 42 cents for a burger like 10 years ago well, it was four years ago and he said he was going like all the time so i guess oh, okay. i guess he like so often was going buying the same thing a dollar 42 please dollar 42 please like probably he's so used to paying a dollar 42 that he remembered it so that was from the five three of someone in the uh northern california area he also said just finished driving back home from the lake tahoe from just finished driving home from lake tahoe uh, was slated to stay till Sunday, but came back before this weather system goes insane. Smart idea to reschedule. So he agrees. He says, there was for one good day skiing, and yesterday conditions were perfect. Other than that, this week sucked, and next week will be even worse for skiing. Besides, most of the days, besides tomorrow, will be snow, so I think we even lose snow, uh, even if we lose snow from the rain, next week we'll dump even more than was already there. Yeah, it's true that, that there's going to be snow later, so... But it's, they should just have a ton of snow after this whole storm system. They're not going to because of all the rain. But uh, Mammoth, which isn't going to get as strong of a storm, but it's colder there, so it's not going to rain there. So they're And they already have a lot more snow. Mammoth just gets a lot more snow than Tahoe, for those of you that don't know the California, Nevada, Sierra ski resorts that well. Mammoth is the best one. Okay, so let's go on here. What else we got? I'm impressed well, you found a picture of Greg Raymer and his wife. I think I've seen it before, but uh, are you going to say that his wife uh, should be okay having sex with him? Is that going to be the, the verdict? I'm not getting into their sex life. Okay. No, I think I've seen a picture of her before, and he, he does not have like a, like a hot young wife that you're like, what is she doing with him? I, yeah, I, the, the only thing I was going to say is it seems, uh, you know, ball, uh Ballpark appropriate. That's what I was going to say. Right? I, I had remembered that they looked like an appropriate couple. That it wasn't. Right. It wasn't a matter of like a rich or well-known guy, you know, getting with a hot chick. It wasn't like that. It just. It's kind of like the woman you'd expect a non-famous Greg Raymer to be with. Yeah. So okay. Uh, let's see here. The winning poker network. If you get rake back on there, you should be aware that. It will pay to be a loose, aggressive player, and if you're not one, you're going to get less rake back. Uh, rake back is contribu- the way they figure this out 
is based upon what rake you supposedly paid. And the question always is, what rake did you pay? And it's not as simple as you think. Because if you're in a hand and fold preflop, let's say you're, you're not on the blinds, you fold preflop. Did you pay any rake? Some would say yes, some would say no. You could say yes because you were in a raked hand, even if you did not win the pot or contribute anything to the pot. We could also say no because the person who paid the rake was the one who won the pot. Or it could be in the middle. You could say that someone who contributed money to the pot that was raked ended up paying some rake there, but that someone who contributed nothing to the pot paid zero rake. So up until now, the winning poker network, the way they considered rake was that anybody who's dealt in the hand paid an equal amount of rake. No matter how far they went in the hand, no matter how much money they put into the hand, they paid whatever fraction of the rake of how many people are at the table. So let's say there were six people at the table and $3 rake was paid, then you are given credit for 50 cents no matter what happens in the hand. As long as you're dealt into the hand, you, you got credit for a sixth of the rake paid. Holy uh, shit, Druff. Do you have that breaking news thing? Uh, you know what? I'm, since you said holy shit, I'm going to have to bring it up. Yeah, usually I don't like putting these delays on here, but uh, I think the word holy shit makes this worthy of the breaking news song. Go ahead. Yeah, so check the chat. It looks like they were able to uncover uh, some mugshots from not Greg Raymer, but his wife, Cheryl. Whoa. <laughs> uh, really? I'm assuming that this is the same person. I mean, it's Cheryl Elizabeth Raymer. Oh, yeah, and it's, it's in uh, the right city, too. It's in the right place. Yeah. And it looks like, I mean... Based on the last photo, it looks like she's, you know, meth or something. I mean, yeah, something. It, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, there's a weird marks on her face. This is on uh, wakemugshots.com, and I guess you can search there. If you go to wakemugshots.com, W-A-K-E, mugshots.com, and you can do a search for Cheryl Raymer, or just search Raymer, you'll probably find it. And it says she was arrested on October 21st, 2015, for driving while impaired. Hmm. Mm. This is just such a mess in that household. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming that's her, right? No, I'm sure it's her. It's, I'm not 100% sure, but it's, it's in the same area where he lives. And her She looks very different than the picture that I found. Isn't her name, is her name Cheryl? Did you find that? Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's got to be, be the same person. I think it is, but I'm just saying, in other words, I'm saying that something happened with her to transform her looks, like, significantly yeah uh, you know lost a bunch of weight looks a little sketchy i mean i'm not you're right because it, saying anything you're, but. Right, you're right because i'm looking so i'm looking at a picture of greg raymer i don't know when it was taken but i see a picture of him i googled to cheryl raymer went to google images okay and you see her sit, standing with greg and right. she, she she doesn't have any like blemishes on her face she just looks like an overweight woman not, not right. even like she doesn't even have like an ugly face she just looks like a very overweight woman with, uh, you know, standing next to Greg. It's just, you know, two, like, it's like an overweight couple together, which I'm not saying to be mean, that's just what they are. But, but, but like, she doesn't have any blemishes on her face. She, does, she doesn't even have an ugly face. It's just, she's just big. So, anyway, that's, that's the way she looked. And then these, the picture I see of her here. She looks a lot thinner. Yeah, she looks thinner, but then her face has all these blemishes on it. Yeah, it does. That's really weird. Wow. Is that even the same? You know, I, I don't, I'm not, 
saying anything. I'm just saying yeah, I've seen like pictures before and after, you know, some meth and some other stuff like that, and they kind of look like this. You know? Wow. Hmm. I, I don't. I don't know that that's the case. You know, who knows what's going on? But it does say driving while impaired. Yeah, it's true. It may not be drunk driving. Yeah, it could be something else. Wow. This is from October twenty first, two thousand fifteen. Weird. And then some people in chat also found, uh, you know, based on that address, they looked up their house. It looks like a quite a nice house, actually. Yeah, see, I had always assumed that uh, they probably, okay, they, they didn't uh, split up after the prostitution thing in 2013. So I thought, okay, maybe Greg is like house rich and cash poor to where, to where he has a nice house, but uh, to get any cash, like I mean, he's, he's taken the most he can out of it and that that's it so now he has to resort to the stake i, I said that back or, or the wife won't let him take yeah or, or the wife said that's it you know you, you're risking your house at this point which is smart but uh I, I was thinking maybe that's part of the reason of what even kept them together who knows uh this yeah this is a really weird picture if you go to wake yeah. and uh let me just make sure i have a way i can check that cheryl elizabeth Raymer. The age is right too. Is it the exact? Is it the exact age or? Well, I mean, it says that uh, the this... older picture said that they were. She was forty-eight. Um, let me see if there's a date on here. I mean, it's <laughs> it's a hell of a coincidence if that's not her. Oh, yep. Larry Laffer says that's definitely her. Uh, her background pick. Oh, it's our Facebook page. Okay, yeah. Wow. Okay, wow. That's weird. Well, let's post it on the forum. See if people can find. That's that's really odd. I mean, like I, I, I know his wife hasn't been involved at all in the poker world. So, like, you know, in one way, I feel a little bad digging about her. But it, it is interesting, you know, because there's something going on with Greg Raymer with having to get these stakes for 100k and uh, the prostitution thing to, three years ago, four years ago, whatever that was, like. There's just kind of something going on that isn't totally apparent to all of us here. Is, is That's just my opinion. I don't know for sure, but that's just kind of what it looks like to me. And th- this throws a whole new wrench into it if his wife has some kind of Oh, yeah, that's issue. definitely his wife. Yeah. Uh, one of the uh, – it looks like Lou Father found – I think he's the one that found it – found a picture on her Facebook uh, that is definitely the same picture that's in that mugshot. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Yeah, and I found, yeah, I looked at, if you look up Cheryl Raymer on Facebook, you can find her. You'll even see she has friends like Rich Muni and Karina Jett. So obviously, right. obviously it's right. her. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you see the same blemishes. This is so weird. <laughs> this is so weird. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, because she, like, lost weight, and but then she has these blemishes on her face that she didn't have before. Now she drives. Where you know, have I seen that before? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> this is so odd. But like, so still- I mean, you know, he got arrested in twenty thirteen, yeah. right? Yeah, does he, you know, go off the deep end after that, or yeah, who knows? A, a, a lot of times, just there's people that everything seems okay on the surface, but then like their personal life is such a fiasco, and you never know it until like something really big happens. Like a lot of times, there's a lot of stuff that's happening behind the scenes that you'd be shocked about with people that seem totally normal and well adjusted. So, it's sometimes make you feel better about your life. You like, you sometimes look at your own life and say, oh, "I'm kind of screwed up." 
Check out the, the LinkedIn profile. She's got a different middle name for some reason on the LinkedIn profile. But she's the director, marketing and communications director slash management for Fossil Man, Inc. <laughs> that's definitely the same person. So in other words, that's her managing his career. You know? Yeah. Wow. So, I mean... I don't know what it is, Drop, but something happened with this this chick. She looks a hundred times different than she did. Yeah, she does. Episode. Yeah, it's so and weird. In a very short time. Yeah, in a short time, she lost a lot of weight. And her face got blemishes on it. Yeah, for sure. And it almost looks like a different person, but it's not. Something's going on. Yeah, if you look up, yeah, if you type in Cheryl Raymer and then LinkedIn, you can find her LinkedIn page for those of you listening. And. Oh, it's forum. It's forum wars that found the gold. Okay. Okay. Well, he did a lot tonight. He found that. Yeah. He also donated seventy five to the free roll. Uh, also, uh, it says she worked for. And this is from March two thousand two to present. Serenity Energy Transformations. <laughs> and and here, here's uh, th- that's the name of her company. Here's the things they do. Uh, starting from nineteen eighty eight. Nineteen eighty eight. What? Uh, t- tarot cards. Uh, energy trainings, 2005 to present. Signature cell healing certified. What does that mean? Signature cell hearing, uh, healing certified. What, what's, what's a signature cell? It's just bullshit. I mean, do you have any cells in your body that have a signature? I don't know. Uh, human design system analyst. <laughs> so, I've heard of a system analyst, but not a human design system analyst. And then uh, also unconscious and conscious channel medium light worker. Energy light worker, able to facilitate trainings for others to channel their high spirit and energy, guide for life growth and balancing, resource for spiritual healing, and and uh, resource for physical healing and spiritual healing. Uh, people like that just tilt me so hard. You know, they get the crystals and magic eight balls and all that bullshit. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Also, she's a member of a guild. Not the Lollipop Guild, but she, of course is a, she is. She's a member of the Red Sword Guild. For seven years and five months, event planning, fundraising, event management, nonprofits, social media marketing, leadership, data, and en- data entry. <laughs> what? <laughs> How do you go from uh, you know, event planning and fundraising to data entry? A VIP, when you're the only one who's doing it. Yeah, VIP events, social media, and public speaking. She's just left out the data entry. That's a, I don't think anyone's going to say I'm going to hire her because she's good at data entry, unless it's for a data entry job. Hmm. This is sometimes people's LinkedIn actually. Hurts them more than it helps them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's just better not to have one. You, like, what you should do, speaking of constructive criticism from earlier, you should take your LinkedIn to someone who's going to just be honest about it. Like, the, the best you can do is just bring it to people that are willing to say something that will hurt your feelings if it's true, but not a troll who wants to hurt your feelings. But, but someone Absolutely. Who also, someone who doesn't feel bad about telling you the truth, but at the same time is, is not going to purposely say bad things to piss you off. That, that's who you need to bring these things to and just say, like, what do you think of this? Or, or just, like, tell me honestly what would you change if, if you, know, you read this? What type of things don't look good to you? And just be honest with me. Like, that's, that's what anyone should do with their LinkedIn because I've seen so many LinkedIns that just look stupid where they're just better well, off. Well, that right there tells you their judgment, right? I mean. <laughs> yeah. A lot, of, a lot of times they'll list jobs that are embarrassing or weird-looking or... Uh, 
Yeah. Well, Drew, are you, are you, you know, kind of getting back to Cheryl, are you with me that, you know, some kind of dramatic something happened with yes. this chick? Yes. I don't know what it is, but something something odd is going on there. So there's been and, a, and, and there's a driving while impaired mugshot. Yeah. Something weird's going on. I, I can't say what it is, but uh, something weird is happening. And I, I invite the listener to go, go take a look. You know, it's just, uh, just something to see. It's something that I'm sure you'll notice, too, if you take a look, that uh, you can see the pictures of her from a few years ago and the current pictures, the pictures as of 2015, and there's a dramatic difference. I, I think you'd have to be blind not to see that. I mean, if she was just getting her life together from the point of view of losing weight and being healthy and everything, then great. Good for her. But the fact that there's also a driving while impaired mugshot in there makes me think that <laughs> something else is going yeah, on. Yeah, you know? right. So it could be something innocent that she's lost a lot of weight and her body, her body reacted a little funny to that and it created some skin problems right. or uh, or something much worse than that. It's just... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, the driving while impaired does. Although totally driving while impaired, can that can you get that for like if you're texting? No, no, drive? no. Oh, it's okay. physically impaired. Okay. Yeah, that's that's gotcha. something something physically like like drunk or on drugs or something that uh, made it. I, I don't even think tired driving could count as that. I think it actually is like on some kind of substance. Gotcha. And maybe they can't identify what it is or something. Yeah. So that's. Uh, well, that's interesting. Thank you, chat room. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, interesting. <laughs> so, th- thank you for wars for that. It's, uh, our, our chat room finds good stuff here. I'll say that. See, we we have a good chat room. We have a chat room of people that find good stuff like this. We don't have the the fast scrolling uh, juvenile chat room of uh, certain other internet radio show hosts that uh, are painful to read and. This- but I still banned on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I, I should mention that. Did, I, did we mention? Oh no, we mentioned that before. Yeah, we talked yeah, about, we talked about it before. Okay, so in case you didn't hear before, Lyman is banned on Twitter. So a uh, a German man. Oh, let me, let me get back to the winning network. Someone we get away from that. The, the winning poker network. They, they're switching their rakeback model from. Standard rake of just whoever's in the hand automatically gets credit for rake to a weighted contributed rake model. The way that works is whatever you put into the pot, it goes toward the rake that uh, was paid. So if you fold pre-flop when you got a free hand, then you get credit for a zero rake paid. The more money you put into the pot is you know gives you more of a percentage of the rake paid. So wh- I guess whatever your contribution into the pot was is the rake credit you will get. So under that model, who gets the most credit for rake? Loose aggressive players because they're in more hands and in the hands they're in, they're putting a lot of money in. So if you're a loose aggressive player and you win the same amount of money in the exact same amount of hands as a tight aggressive player, the loose aggressive player is going to get a lot more credit for rake paid for that reason, for rake back purposes. So just know that if you get rake back on the winning poker network, if you see it suddenly drop or raise from what you were getting before from essentially the same play, you'll know why. I don't really have a comment as to whether that's fair or not. There, it really, there's really no answer to that because there's, it's subjective about what's fair for rake back terms. I could see both ways the arguments of 
is is it is everyone just paying the same rake if they're in the hand? Is it the winner of the pot that, that's really paying the whole rake? Is it the whoever contributes money to the pot? There, there's so many different ways to look at it. I don't even see which way is right. There probably is no right answer to that. So they're just changing the way they're determining that. I think they are changing it because the ones who are likely to be paying more rake are probably the fish because they're in more hands. It just happens to also benefit the winning loose aggressive players. Uh, a German man is seeking to create clothing that can defeat casino recognition or casino facial recognition because they have cameras that are hooked into computer systems that can look at your face and determine if you've been there before or more importantly if you shouldn't be there. Uh, These facial recognition systems go back many years. It's not a really new thing. But they are utilized uh, for a few purposes. First of all, to better spot those that have been kicked out of the casino, either for cheating or for uh, card counting or for other offenses. And number two, to be able to see through disguises. Because while the human mind uses a certain procedure to recognize faces... A computer uses different procedures to do so. And a disguise is much less effective against the computer using a strong facial recognition algorithm. So, for example, if you just put on a fake mustache, let's say a fake mustache that's convincing looking, that could change your appearance to a lot of humans. Because if humans see you with a mustache, you you can look different. A mustache and a beard, you even look more different. A mustache and a beard and a baseball cap even look more different. So it's easy not to recognize someone you don't know that well uh, when you see the same person that you had seen before when they didn't have these things. But a computer doesn't do facial recognition the same way and it's not going to be thrown off by the mustache and the beard and the the baseball cap. So the computer just needs a good look at your facial structure and then it can tell that you're there. So a, uh, a German man who's actually an artist, and why, why he entered this undertaking, I don't know. But he decided that he is going to try to use facial recognition, uh, try to beat the facial recognition through uh, clothing to basically throw off the computer and not have it uh, be able to see the person who was in the casino. So, there's a guy named Adam Harvey, who's actually a German. It doesn't sound like a German name, but it is. He is an artist in Berlin, and he is designing anti-surveillance clothing that's designed to make the wearer's face unreadable by facial recognition software. He said it uses algorithm-specific optimized false faces which reduce the confidence score of your true face. So what that really means is that each the way the facial recognition works is when it sees your face, it, it tries to match faces, you know, faces that it's seen before. And it, it comes up with a confidence score, a, a percentage of what it believes is, is, is whether it's the same person or not. And when it exceeds that percentage, then it, it believes it's seeing the same person. And if that person's not supposed to be there, it, it, it warns casino personnel that person is, is in there. And then the 
human security guard goes down and checks on that person and says, let me see some ID. And if it is the same person, they, then whatever consequences occur. So what this guy's trying to do is through the clothing, confuse the computer system to where the confidence score is too low and then the system isn't able to report that you're there. And, and what it does is it's using patterns on the, on the clothing to where the patterns also look like a face. And it's not as simple. You could say, well, why don't I just walk in with a shirt with a bunch of faces on it? It's not that simple. It's not that simple. They, because the, the computer, again, does not see faces the same way that you see faces. So just wearing a shirt with a bunch of people's faces on it is not going to do it. But uh, this guy has found by, by making certain patterns that kind of look like faces, but they kind of look like very crude, line-based faces, uh, and it's all over the shirt with a lot of other little patterns, that it, can, it, it basically overwhelms the software, and it ha- the software has a hard time even seeing where your shirt ends and your face begins. And uh, he said, I got inspiration from the false coloration in the animal kingdom. So he's referring to animals that will camouflage to where an animal will look like it's part of a tree or or an animal in the sea will look like it's part of the ocean floor. He got got inspiration for that. And he said he he tried to reimagine the figure-ground relationship of the human body to our environment in the context of computer vision. So it's, it's like a camouflage of, of the human face as far as a computer sees it. And it, now this is not available. This clothing's not available yet. Um, but he's he's in the process of doing it. It will be, well, maybe he, he is finished. It's not available yet, but it's going to launch as a textile print called Hyperface on January 16th at the Sundance Film Festival. It's kind of a weird place to launch it. I mean, are people at the Sundance going to want to buy this to defeat facial recognition. And it's not just for casinos. It could be used in other places where there's facial recognition going on. But he actually released a prototype of it. And it's really weird looking. Have you, have you seen this? I have not. Yeah, if you go to... Uh, I, I guess I can send you a link in, in the Skype. And you can take a look. It's like it's really weird. You see like, like little kind of crude faces all over the shirt. But it's not what you'd expect. Here, I'm going to send it to you right here. Uh, did he get it? Or should I, I, send it via Skype? Or? Here, I'll, I'll send it again in this place. Did you get it now? Oh. On Skype, yeah. Weird. Did it come through? Yeah, it came through. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Got the link, opening it. Yeah, if you scroll to the bottom, you can see the, the prototype. If you guys want to see it who are listening, if you go to the Casinos in Las Vegas section of the Poker Fraud Alert Forum... And then go to the thread about this called Berlin Artist Seeks to Create Clothing to Defeat Casino Rec- Facial Recognition. Uh, you'll see it right there, the prototype. Hmm. It's, it's, yeah, it's like you kind of see faces there, but the, I guess those are, are, he believes, are confusing to the computer. And I don't know how he's testing it. Like, does he actually have a facial recognition system? He must be, he must be doing that to test it. Otherwise, how, how do you do this? I don't know. I mean, maybe it will work for one specific algorithm, but, <laughs> you know, I don't know if you know, but the the way there have been some big leaps and bounds that have been made in AI, both in terms of voice recognition and facial recognition and such, 
And the way that they work is, so the old way of doing things is you hired linguists and you tried to teach the computer rules to follow, to be able to, you know, recognize speech, for instance, right? Yeah. And they didn't have very good results with that. And what they're doing now is something called machine learning, where instead of trying to set rules and trying to, you know, teach a computer how people think, uh, because honestly, we don't even know how people think, so it's kind of hard to do that. Uh, what they'll do now is they'll just feed it like uh, 10,000 pictures of a dog and then 10,000 pictures not of a dog, and the computer just learns what a dog is. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, it's, it's similar and, to, the, to the, the way they've taught bots to play, like that, that Texas Hold'em right. bot, that heads of Texas Hold'em bot. They had it play itself for like billions of hands to just learn what strategies work and which don't. And what I'm saying is, okay, he can come up with whatever pattern he wants, but they can just start feeding it in. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the computer can learn, hey, don't get confused by this. You know? Yeah, that's it, it, right. If it come, especially if it becomes prevalent enough, right. then yes, they could easily beat it. And uh, I, I guess maybe he's hoping it doesn't become such a success that they feed that in. Uh, also, this uh, stealthware that he's going to release, he also designed a line of clothing that's supposed to make the wearer invisible to drones by uh, fabricating the items with a silver-plated fabric that reflects the thermal radiation. So overhead thermal surveillance won't work, he claims. So I'd love to see these two in action. I'd like to see some kind of test. Like, a guy walks into a casino whose face is fed into the computer, don't let this person in, and see if the computer can catch this guy wearing this stuff. And with the, the drone thing, that there, you know, a drone has flown over someone who's wearing the, the, the anti-drone fabric and see if that works. Some of these you know, things in concept sound good and then don't actually work in practice. Yeah, this reminds me of, uh, and, and I think the idea has been floated a few times before, but there's a, a company that's floating the idea of a uh, radiation-blocking underwear. For no, I swear to God, for people that work in tech, you know that it's supposed to uh, keep your family jewels uh, free of the radiation from cell phones and God knows what else. It's just kind of like goofy clothing concepts, you know. <laughs> it's called the Spartan Boxer. It's the newest one. Yeah, but it's honestly, this thing has been tried a whole number of different times. Yeah, I just love to see if these things work. A lot of times, these things are claimed, but then they don't actually work is designed like i i wouldn't just how did they actually test it that's what i'm i'm i when i read this thing i was waiting to see that he got a hold of some sort of facial recognition software or or hardware they're using or whatever he he got one of these systems himself and and tested it somehow but it doesn't say that it doesn't say how he tested it i can't see how do you do this and never be able to test it how do you know you're not totally on the wrong track you have to be able to test. Yeah, otherwise, <laughs> otherwise there's no way. Otherwise, the, how could you know? Now, maybe he doesn't want to say this because maybe someone's helping him that shouldn't be, that works in the casino industry or something. But I would love to see one of these things put into a test. And uh, and how do you test the underwear? I mean, do you, <laughs> do you radiate people's balls and the ones that you make sterile? You go, oh, sorry, I guess it didn't work. You know, if you're going to give a uh, a sperm sample to be tested... They tell you not to use your laptop over your lap for like a minimum of three days. And they also tell you not to jerk off for those three days. So. <laughs> that's just, well, that's you, just you couldn't, uh, 
then you wouldn't be able to use your strategy at the World Series of Poker. No, no, no. But I, I mentioned before that with the, with the jerking off strategy of the World Series of Poker, you, you have to be careful because doing that can also make you tired. So you, you've got to just like, if you're tired, then it's better not to jerk off before the tournament because it'll make you tired. But if you're not tired, then it probably is so you don't have distractions. So it's, it's, a, it's a delicate balance there as far as knowing whether to jerk off before a World Series event. And, uh, you know, I, I have to utilize this judgment myself when I'm there for all those weeks in a hotel room by myself. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, got, I've got to balance, you know, how much sleep did I get? How do I feel? How many distractions I think are going to pop up? Also, if you're in the Amazon room and it's, it's a later tournament and there's probably not that many people there and there's probably mostly dudes around you, you may not have to jerk off. You're not going to see much there that's going to distract you. So you got to factor that in too. Where if it's like a, a 12 noon tournament and uh, they have a lot of those booth girls there that they hire, then, then maybe you want to do it before the tournament. This is lots to think about, Drew. It is. You, you, you've got you've to enter a lot of different considerations before each World Series event, how you prepare. You're taking the whole spontaneity out of it, and you're ruining it. <laughs> it's ruining it, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I do have to say that if you, if you feel obligated to have to do it, it's a lot tougher. Well, it looks like Larry Laffer is saying that uh, Cheryl Raymer actually has two DWIs, hmm. or t- two driving while impaired. What, what was the other one? Um, I don't know, but he, he found... He did a mugshot search and found two entirely different mugshot pictures of her. So oh. she's been busted on more than one occasion, I guess. Huh. Wow. Well, you know, that, that, let's say, I'm not saying she has a drug problem. Let's say, hypothetically, she had a drug problem, okay? Right. And, and Ray Raymer had his issue with going to prostitutes. We know that for sure, and at least in 2013. And it probably wasn't his first time. I'm, gu- I'm guessing, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing that he didn't just get busted on his one time ever doing that. If he did, he ran really bad, but usually when that happens, it's because you've done it a number of times, and this one yeah, got he, caught. he's not running like a main event champ if he's busted on his first shot. Yeah. So uh, so maybe, you know, that's why she didn't leave him. Maybe she's got her own issues that he's put up with. And uh, But but in 2013, I don't think she already looked like this. I think in 2013, she was still heavy and had clear skin. Yeah, she looked like a cherub. So, I don't know. It's, it's a lot of weird stuff that goes on behind closed doors. So, I know. I now know more about his home life and his wife than I ever wanted to know. Yeah, I, I, me too. I, for some reason, like, <laughs> I, I, you know, it's funny. I'd seen this picture of her before. I kind of forgot exactly what it looked like. I, I kind of remembered she just kind of looked like a, like a middle-aged, overweight woman. And I just had, for some reason, I just pictured like her as a sympathetic character. I pictured that she was, was there at home and uh, you know, that he was going out to play poker she didn't know where he was you know at all at all times so then she wouldn't know and he's seeing all these prostitutes and then she finds out and she's like oh, well, what do i do now do i leave you know i have to sell the house what a pain in the ass and i've been with him for so many years you know i'll just forgive him and like i kind of felt bad for her i was thinking that maybe he's just cheating on her because she's overweight and you know he wants to be with some hot young chick that he can pay for but now that i'm seeing all this i'm like you know who knows what's going on there maybe uh Maybe there's issues on both sides. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, it, it's kind of interesting because this all kind of came about because we're talking about, you know, uh, Greg Reamer uh, is a prostitute. And I'm like, well, you know, it never never really looked at uh, the other side to see if, uh, you know, 
Wait, you're saying, she was you're, cheating you're saying, on him you're, for... You're saying it out, too, about he, he's a, he is a prostitute. <laughs> well, right, we've, right. we've both done so, I'm not saying it well because I'm tired. So what I'm trying to say is that this all came about very, very accidentally, where you made the mistake about saying he was a prostitute and then said something about, oh, uh, maybe his wife is glad that she doesn't have to, you know... Yeah, that's right. ...from anymore, and, and that... And then I said, well, I don't know. I've never seen what she looks like. I don't have any idea. And then I think from there, some of these guys just started saying, huh, let me see what she looks like. And boom, look what comes up. Pretty yep. crazy. Yep. Our, our forum, they find it. They find the stuff. The people in the chat room, the people in the forum, it's, it's hard to get anything past them. It really is. So, yeah. I guess North Carolina, they, they really... Uh, provide the information this looks like a, like this this wake whatever i think is for wake forest this wake uh, mugshots.com and then the, there's an official one from the government of uh that larry laffer posted from uh dws live scan.co.wake.nc.us so like i think most of them do it don't they maybe i don't know i think i think most police departments just post it and maybe they think it's a deterrent that you're going to be publicly shamed on the internet i don't know by the way we have someone else trying to go to sleep during the show ftp jesus who i know listens to every show he said i should be in bed i fucking took meds like two hours ago shit is slow kicking in i wonder what meds he's taking because i i I never have to take any meds to go to sleep except when i have a cold then i'll take nyquil which is effective but and take it from cheryl raymer do not drive yes while you're on these meds (laughs) bad idea and uh, FTP Jesus says he was living in North Carolina when Raymer got busted. Oh no, he wasn't. He, you know, he he thinks it was longer ago too. Like I, I thought it was a long time ago, but it wasn't. He he, he lived there from 2009 to 2012. But no, he got busted in March 2013. That's just one of these things that seems like a real long time ago. Like I hmm. I think of some things that happened in 2013, either just events or things from my own personal life that seemed like they were very recent, and I'm shocked when it was 2013. And there's other things that seemed like they were ages ago. And when I hear they're 2013, I go, wow, that's a, a lot of time since then. I even, like with this show, I'll sometimes go through the list of shows, and just from the title, I'll remember the show itself. And some of these things seem like they were a long time ago when they weren't that long ago. And other ones seem like they were fairly recent, and they were like two or three years ago, or four years ago. So, like, like one of the things that seems like it was really long ago, but it wasn't, was when we had the show with uh, Matt Marifiati first rambling about photo will and all that stuff. That seems like it's a long time ago, but it was only a year ago. Hmm. So it's it, it, it's weird the perspective of time you get when you look back at uh, old shows. Oh, hey, you know, speaking of that, and before I forget, and I honestly don't know the answer to this, um, did Drexel end up doing his show? Oh, yeah. How did I forget to mention this? Yeah, it's a good question. No, there was no Brandon show on January 3rd, and he said he still plans to do a show, but uh, he's unable to do so for unknown reasons. And I believe he's actually at the PCA right now. Oh, uh, nice. I don't know for sure, but he was, uh, Jeannie had invited him, and... Uh, Last I had heard, he was going to go. That's the last time they're doing it, right? Yeah, it's the last time. It's not sure it's going to be the... I mean, it could be back next year. It won't be called the PCA, but there's no announcement yet that it's going to be back next year. I, I actually hope it's not, so I pr- I'm proven right and PokerStars is proven wrong. They actually they actually came out and said, yeah, Todd would tell us it's incorrect. We're, you know, we, we haven't said we're not coming back after 2017, but I'm, I'm hoping so you, they you want an entire tournament to be scuttled just yes. to make you feel better yes yeah I, I oh want, my god i want the whole tournament over and then i can just throw <laughs> it in their face and say ha i was right the whole time and oh you guys denied god. it 
You guys denied it. Okay, so... Uh, yeah, I asked him on Tuesday, if, are you going to Atlanta? He said, yes, I'm going. And then I asked him if he wants me to help him with the laptop settings. And he said, yes. And I said, later today I can do it. And then... Uh, I think... You know, I, I actually never told him when I could do it, but uh, but he did say that uh, earlier in the text message that he wasn't going to do be doing uh, the show. He said, no, unfortunately, have to postpone. Uh, so he, he did, un- unrelated to the laptop settings that I never helped him with, he independently said that he was going to have to postpone. So the, so the, short answer is, the short answer is he's still planning to do it, but it did not happen on the 3rd, and if he's at the PCA, you have to wait till he comes back from that, whenever that's going to be. And then I will give you guys more information as I get it. But that, that was a good question. Okay, let's see what we got here. Uh, I think there's a suggested topic I want to cover. Oh, yeah. Speaking of the PCA, actor Kevin Hart played in the $100,000 buy-in event at the PCA, which is... Uh, Surprised a lot of people. A lot of people did not even know that Kevin Hart played poker. And here he's entering for a uh, $100,000 event. And let's see. I, I heard that tonight he busted, by the way, which is shocking. I, I thought he was going to win the whole thing. But uh, I guess he's rolling in dough and he can afford to do things like this. That was surprising. He, I, I have to imagine that they knew about it at Poker Stars in advance, but uh, that's the dude that was in the movie with uh, Ice Cube, right? Yeah, and it says, let's see, oh, if you, so I guess uh, Charlie Carroll is is the leader after uh, in the final seven. After uh, in that high roller event, he's been he's been really hot. This Charlie Charlie Carroll. You know, I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to anyway because the person kind of just hasn't written back to me. I'm not going to say who they are, but uh, I, I was contacted by someone who claimed to be Charlie Carroll's ex girlfriend, <laughs> and uh, and and wasn't very happy with him. And they, uh, they they found the site by doing some kind of Google search. And uh, I guess Charlie Carroll is, is into this whole uh, polyamory thing like Justin Bonomo is. Mm. And this person was unhappy about that. And I guess Googled it and then found a post I made on it where I was critical of it. And then told me that they were Charlie Carroll's ex and that he, he does this too and that he was very... Uh, Difficult with her when she wasn't on board with it. But then I have to say that I'm not 100% sure the person was being honest with me. Because number one, they were from a foreign country. And number two, they uh, I couldn't find any proof that they were ever really with him. Because I actually went to his Facebook, which was wide open. I'm not friends with him on Facebook. But I went in and looked him up. And looked at his, he had his pictures open. And I went through all these pictures in the last year or so. With, with him and girls. And none of them were the girl who were writing to me. So I asked her about this, and I said, it's kind of funny, I looked at his pictures on Facebook, and he's, you know, he's with a number of different women, a lot of hot women, by the way, but none of them were you. 
And I hadn't seen a picture of her, but I, I looked at who these women were. They were tagged, and none of them were her. And she said, yes, I was never, either never on Facebook, or I never uh, took any pictures with him. It was kind of weird. Like, she claimed she didn't want all the drama for being uh, his girlfriend since it was a short thing. But I don't know. It could have been some... I mean, I could have been talking to a dude for all I know. That, that's the type of emails I get sometimes. <laughs> Supposedly an ex-girlfriend of Charlie Carroll who's pissed that he wanted uh, a polyamorous relationship. Now, I, on his Facebook, by the way, it did say that he's, quote, demisexual. What the fuck it, does that mean? I'll explain in a second. It's, it's stupid. But uh, he, he's like openly demisexual, but uh, didn't say anything about polyamory. But I, I do have to say, someone who calls themselves demisexual, like I could easily see they're into the whole polyamory thing too, even though they're not directly associated. But demisexual means that you're only attracted to those with whom you have a deep emotional connection. And I go, that's not a sexual preference. That's just a, a subset of, uh, of your standards. For, for entering relationships. That's not well, isn't, isn't polyamorous just a, a kind of synonym for being male? <laughs> yeah, well, no, it goes beyond you know, A way that, to so convince it, girls to, to, you know, let you sleep around? Yeah, well, so it's supposed to be that you actually love more than person. It's not swinging. Swinging is that you just have sex with random people, but you only love one person. Uh, polyamory actually means that you actually love several people at once. You actually have, like, serious relationships with a few people at a time. Right, so exactly what I was just saying. Yeah, right? but it goes beyond sleeping around. It's actually, I think it's, it's even, it's worse because you're, you're, if you have a girlfriend and you only want to be, you want to be polyamorous, she doesn't have to just put up with you having sex with another woman. She has to put up with you having sex with and having feelings for another woman, which makes it much more likely you're going to leave her at some point for the other woman. Right, I mean, well, like the old cliche states you know guys use love to get sex and girls use sex to get love right yeah this is really just an extension of that it seems to me yeah Yeah. i I can't imagine why any girl would be up for that because at any moment you the the guy's just going to say you know what Uh, my feelings were stronger for this other girl than you and you're out and it's very easy to happen when you you just kind of get bored with someone or you or you start having problems with them and then the new person like you've got everything you need with a new person you've got the sex you've got the emotions you got you like who needs the first person at that point well yeah and it, it could work either way i mean the girl or, or the guy could do that right in the in the relationship well but, yes i mean you, you know cuz you've been through it but relationships are hard enough just one on one i can't even imagine like <laughs> I can't forget it. No, these these you know rarely I mean? work, right? These it just ra- sounds like a giant pain in the ass. No, they, they rarely work this way, and then people who think they do, like they, when they think they're working, it's really not. And then within a short time, they realize the whole thing was a bad idea. Uh, and and I do believe a lot of the guys who are into it is just it's just a slick way for them to be able to have sex with a lot of different women. And, yeah, I mean that's nothing new. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, not, and not have to call it cheating, or yeah. even even have a way to establish. Uh, new relationships when the old one's starting to get stale or you're not that happy with it anymore where you, you no longer, it's not just about the sexual satisfaction. Now you also get the emotional satisfaction with someone else. And then when that becomes good enough, then you can dump the first person and move on. Well, so. we always just call that Tarzan dating, you know, yeah. <laughs> you never let go of the first vine until you've grabbed the right, second. Right. <laughs> and so anyway, that's, I just noticed that because I just looked at the Poker Stars blog and it says Charlie Carroll is uh, is leading. So that's the, the high Charlie roller. Charlie Carroll is. I didn't know either. She says like, okay, this is what's funny too. She's like, 
Uh, I'm, I'm da- I dated a few poker players. There's one that's, that's really well known, but uh, Epiphany seventy seven apparently never heard of him. I hadn't either. So she said, she said, uh, but I'm afraid to tell you who it is. I said, well, come on, you can just just tell me. She says, well, okay, he's known for colorful clothes. I'm like, uh, I don't really. Know. I know Justin Bonomo has color for color for hair, but not. Uh, the clothes. Right, I, I found pictures of them. Yeah, it's like I, I don't know. And then she says, "Then she says, okay, it's Charlie Carroll." So I'm like, "Oh, okay, I see what she's talking." But I, I hadn't heard of him before then. But then I saw he's really been like kicking ass in the last uh, nine months or so in the tournament scene. So he really has been very successful, and he's like 23 years old. So he's got the old emo haircut. Yeah, he, he's, he's very like emo looking. Yeah, the, the emo and kind of just uh, me- I don't say sort of metrosexual looking and. I could totally see this guy being one who would be into the whole polyamory thing. He he has that look. But uh, anyway, I, I see he's leading right now with the PCA. But Kevin Hart, who entered, he busted on day one. And then when he bought, busted on day one, what do you do? Well, of course, if you're Kevin Hart, you just go and rebuy. So he rebought. So he's in for 200 k but uh, he didn't run it up, and then he shoved in with A6. Dan Coleman called with pocket threes. I wonder what the stack sizes were, because to call a shove with pocket threes, uh, you're usually in pretty bad shape. If, if, the, sh- if the stacks are short, then, then yeah, it makes sense, but otherwise you're in pretty bad shape because you're always either racing or crushed with pocket threes, unless you're against pocket twos. But otherwise, pretty much any two other cards are going to be over cards to yours, or you're behind a bigger pocket pair, which is a disaster. So, Danny Coleman snapped him off with pocket threes, and uh, <laughs> would you believe that uh, despite flopping an ace, he still lost because uh, Coleman hit a backdoor straight? And that was that. <laughs> so Kevin Hart uh, goes out in brutal fashion. I have to imagine at the 100k high roller, he was kind of outclassed there. And he put 200k into the prize pool. So, well, that 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 hand doesn't exactly sound like Coleman outplayed him. No, <laughs> but uh, but you're right. He probably was out. Oh no, no, it says he was down to five big blinds. Okay, it makes sense. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, five five big blinds. I understand why you call that. Yeah. So uh, anyway, Kevin Hart uh, threw a 200k there, but I will say, uh, rich actors are not always known for their responsible expenditures of money. So he just decided he wanted to play this and. Yeah, but why should they be? I mean, if you've got tons of money, I mean, spend it however the hell you well, want. Well, it depends. It depends if you... Uh, you have to keep the contingency plan in case you're not getting roles anymore. Right. So you, if you know you're going to be a successful actor for pretty much your whole life and get a lot of ex- lucrative roles, then fine. But a lot of these guys just like blow every penny and just think they're going to keep getting $20 million paychecks. and then. Uh, yeah, but on the other hand, if he's a guy who's got $50 million in the bank... I mean, he can do whatever the hell he wants, you know? Yeah, at the moment. So, anyway, that's what he, he entered. And I guess it was a surprise to people. And, uh, you know, poker stars, I've heard stories in the past how they would negotiate with some of these stars to come and sometimes would pay their buy-ins or pay their travel expenses or uh, sure, even pay them above that, actually pay them to appear there. I'm, I'm guessing that the newer um, you know, Amaya-managed poker stars didn't pay Kevin Hart to be there. But uh, it, it's possible that they could have made some kind of allowances for him, or it's possible well, he, he just they decides. might have paid for him. I mean, it's they could see it as an advertising expense. Well, they, there is a story that uh, was once told about Ben Affleck that they almost paid him a million bucks to come play. Sure, 
and the, and that they, it only broke down because he didn't want to fly commercially, and they had to like they they had to bring him in and uh, <laughs> some kind of helicopter thing, like something that was too hard to do, and that they, right. they some something fell through because logistically it was too hard, but that Isai Scheinberg was willing to do it and pay him a million bucks, but then. After the fact, they were kind of happy they didn't because they realized it wasn't going to be that good of value. But well, it's something a lot of people don't realize is that um, a lot of the way that uh, celebrities make money is by renting out their Instagram or their Twitter or whatever accounts. Right? I mean, there's a huge market for um, kind of subtle advertisements that are done. You know. Someone will tweet about a particular product or whatever, make it look like it's just something that they bought. Yeah. Uh, And there's a whole kind of underground marketplace of selling these things. And and the reason it's not public is they don't want to lose that that trust. Yeah, that's true. Well, a lot of these... uh I think a lot of these girls that get all this attention on social media, like Kylie Jenner, like if they're wearing some clothing brand or something that's got to right. really be huge for uh, a huge value to have someone do something like that. So. And, and they do it in the exact same way that movies uh, put product placement in there where companies will pay f- to have their product, you know, happen to be accidentally the one that's on the shelf behind the main character. Yeah. You know, or, uh, and it's, it all, it all goes on. So I wouldn't be shocked if they, uh, they did end up paying for something like that. It, I mean, I guess it is possible they could have agreed with Kevin Hart that if, if he comes and they act like it's a surprise that that they'll give him up to two buy-ins. They'll say like you can play, and and if you bust once, you can buy in a second time. We'll cover that too. Could be like that, or or to make it appealing to him, they could just say, "Look, we'll fly you down there and we'll comp you a room." You know, and yeah. maybe maybe he would do it just for that. Yeah, Who knows? it depends. Yeah, it's a, I some somehow I have to think that they knew. That he was coming, at the very least. I, I, don't, I don't think that they were shocked that he just like entered the tournament. I have to th- believe that they knew he was coming and that uh, what deal was made at that point, I don't know. I know the old Poker Stars would have paid him, but I don't know about the new Poker Stars. But anyway, he played, and people hadn't known before that he was a poker player. But he may not have been. He may have just been someone who liked to watch poker on TV. or Who knows? He could have even been someone in one of these big private games that like Toby McGuire played in that is there, there are these big private games that are full of, full of celebrities and, and rich businessmen that have no pros in them. And that pros are just not told about or allowed to come to them if they know about it. And that's how Toby McGuire clean, cleaned up in poker because he was one of the few good players in these games. And he honed his skills playing at the Bellagio in, in regular lineups and got fairly good. And then you put him against all these recreational players, and he has the bankroll to play against them. You can make a lot of money. Because to win in one of those games, all you really need you need the skill, and then you need a deep enough bankroll to withstand the variance. Like, uh, you know, if I was told I could enter one of these super high stakes private games with all fish, I probably still wouldn't do it unless I could find backers, because it's it just. Uh, I could go broke in one of those games if I don't run well, and it wouldn't. It, it, I'd just be too afraid to do it. Whereas uh, now, if I was backed by by a number of people or by even one person who's really rich, uh, then I would. But well, why don't you list something where you're going to play in these pi- private games? You're going to take twenty percent of yourself, okay? <laughs> and it's an undetermined number of games that you're going to play, and you'll report back whatever your winnings are, and you know, maybe you'll get staked. That is a 
fine idea. I don't know where you came up with it, but it's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's that happened there at the PCA, which may or may not return to the Bahamas. And I'll tell you why it may not come back there. And I've mentioned this before: is it's not that convenient of a location anymore because there's no U.S. players on Poker Stars except for Poker Stars New Jersey, uh, except those people who moved to a different locality for to play on Poker Stars who are U.S. residents. And for everybody else, the Bahamas, it's kind of a, a trek to go all the way from uh, Europe or elsewhere in the world. It's not very close to go to the Bahamas. It's true. So it's not the best location. And I'm wondering if uh, they just, they, they're just going to find a different stop. The Bahamas tournament started many years ago, more than a decade ago. And then it made much more sense because most of the poker stars players were Americans, and if if you lived in Florida somewhere there, it's pretty you know pretty close to get there. And even you know for most of the U.S. except for all the way in the West, it, it wasn't that hard to get there. If you're in L.A., yes, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a pain in the ass to get there, but the east side of the country, it's not that far. But to get to Europe and other places even farther than Europe, it, it starts to be uh, difficult to get there. Yeah, as soon as you said that Drexel didn't do his radio show because uh, he's heading to the PCA, I'm thinking, wow, this guy's balling out of control. <laughs> On the drop of a hat, he says, screw it, I'm going to head off to the Bahamas, play some tournament. You know what's yeah. funny? I could have gone there. I, I could have gone there because uh, and not paid anything. I mean, I, I, wouldn't have had to, I couldn't have entered the tournament for free. I'm not Kevin Hart. But I, I have a benefit with the Seven Stars program that allows me to go to the Atlantis and Bahamas with a lot of free stuff, like a free room. Like there's all these different charges they have. There's like the room. There's the there's the very high resort fee. There's some yeah, other it's kind not of cheap fee. there at all. The food is super expensive, like really really expensive. But like I get a room in in a, like the best tower. I think even like a good room in the, the best tower for free. I get the resort fees paid. I get like a food credit every day, which by myself I know would you know easily cover. Even even with being so expensive, like I could pretty much stay there free. The fl- flight would not be free, but yeah, I was about to ask about the airfare. But uh, I could go there free, so I could have gone this year. But it's just it, it would have conflicted with other things that I'm doing and, and too close to other vacations or or other traveling I was going to do. So, well, plus your call center job, you can't just leave it. Yeah, that's true. I, I might get fired from my call center job. So it, there, all these factors came in, and I ended up not doing it. Though I may actually. I, I might eventually try this uh, Atlantis. Believe it or not, I was a little bit <laughs> freaked out by the whole thing when we, you know, when we called up with the refugee camp and oh, pranked God. the refugee camp. And I'm like, you know, what if I go there and it gets back to them that I pranked the refugee camp and they come arrest me? Like, I, like it, was, it was on my mind a little bit. And I, but I said, no, I can't let this stop me. I'm just that not, would be hilarious. I'm just not going to tell any of you. When I go to the Bahamas, just in case there's some troll here who's going to report me to the Bahamian authorities... I'm going to just, like, totally fool everybody. I'm either going to just not say I'm going anywhere or just tell you I'm going somewhere else. You know, like, maybe my trip to Tahoe was really supposed to be my trip to the Bahamas. Maybe I'm in the Bahamas right now. I could be. You have no idea. But I'm not going to tell any of you when I'm really going there until after I'm back. Because I'm so... I I do not want to be reported for for my prank calls to them. Because this is serious business to... Prank the uh, the behavior. You need to get one of those facial recognition shirts. That's uh, that's what I got to do. I've got to wear to that to make sure that they don't they don't nail you when you walk in the door. I'm going to contact Adam Harvey 
<laughs> German Adam Harvey. Like, uh, how's his name Adam Harvey? It sounds wrong. Like, yeah. How, why is it Adam Harvey? Why? Why is it? Why is it not like, uh, like the the Gunter uh, Rickenmeyer? Why isn't it not that? Well, hey, Druff, people can relocate to Germany too, right? It's Adam Harvey. But I should contact Adam Harvey and say, I'm going to go to the Bahamas. I need a shirt which prevents refugee camps from recognizing me. Can you give me a shirt with anchovies on it? <laughs> I, I told Brandon before he went there, I said, you've got to get used to the taste of anchovies. Oh, you're, God. You're going to be eating them pretty soon. Maybe, maybe should have, you should have him do an on-location report from the refugee camp. Well, you know, nobody's heard from him since he supposedly left to the Bahamas. So what if he is in the refugee camp? We, will, we won't know. Oh, man. What if, what if he's never coming back? That, there'll just be, like, no Drexel show, and it'll turn out that he was arrested and, and put into the, uh, into the camp. And... Uh, mm. Have to do some emergency rescues, emergency PFA radio? Yeah, well, we can, that's what we can have, like, a, an action scene. We can have our action radio, where we, uh, we break into the camp and, and fly him out on a helicopter with uh like on a cell phone while someone else reports on the radio. I like it. And then we can we can also take other refugees with us, and save them. Maybe break down the fence and they they can all run out. Tell you what, I'll hold down the fort from here and I'll I'll be here. <laughs> you can do the on-scene reporting. How about that? Yeah, well, I'll feel kind of responsible <laughs> if this happens. If if he gets uh, put in the camp for this, I'll feel kind of responsible. I'm the one who made the call. <laughs> I made the call. I did the Colonel Fabersham thing. Like it was. Uh, All I did was send him for a fucking slushy. Yeah, the, yeah. I, I think Sonic is not going to come after you, but oh. I think I think the Bahamian authorities might. I, I sat all secure here, thinking they can't touch me. But what if I come right into the lion's den? Like, what if what if my cheapness forces me to go to the Bahamas <laughs> and, and puts my own personal? I can't safety? not use this free room and board. <laughs> I actually had this real discussion with Brandon, too. I'm like, can we go to the Bahamas now? Can we actually go, or have we just screwed ourselves? We can't go anymore. We actually had this discussion on the phone. Eh. And we didn't come to a conclusion, either. We we kind of ended the conversation not knowing what the right answer was. I would just chuck it up to, you know, I hate to say it, but third world incompetency. Like, they probably have no idea, you know? And even if they did know that you guys were talking about it, they would probably just not care. Well, I, I, when they freaked out on 2 Plus 2 that we made this call and they were afraid we we're going to get like some Canadians that were there in trouble, I'm like, well, first of all, they said there's no Canadians there at the moment. Because I said <laughs> I was calling about a Canadian. So they said, I said there's no Canadians there at the moment anyway, so no one's going to get in trouble. But it's like, even if they find one, like, uh, it, it's not like this is a secret. There's been news articles about this before. It's not like in the mainstream yeah. media, but I found news articles on the web about this. So it's not like I'm the only person in the world to know about this and... I'm exposing it. So, yeah, I think it's more like they're just going to be, in, as far as the government goes, they're going to be incompetent, and just I wouldn't worry about it. That's true. You can never underestimate how incompetent a third world government is, or any government for that matter. <laughs> yep. like our, our government doesn't always have the uh, the market locked on competency either. That's true. Okay, so let, let's talk about the. Another government that's the third world government, the Philippine government. They have a, a president. Wow, sick segue. 
I, I nicely always, done. I always nicely try to done. find a, a perfect way to go to the next topic. Thank you for throwing me that softball. Rodrigo Duterte, Duterte, I don't know how you say his name. Uh, he has announced that there will be no more online gaming in his country. That's done. And uh, Bodog, or Bovada, or probably even Ignition, though they claim they're a different company, they are all based out of the Philippines. So what does this mean? And perhaps uh, is this the reason that uh, Ignition split off from Bovada in September or October, whenever October it was? Mm. But uh, there's been fear for quite some time that this was going to happen, that they, uh, that the online gambling was going to end there. In fact, there was a company that was going to, that was, that pulled out of a major investment in like online or not like some kind of internet cafe with gambling in it, something, something like that, that someone pulled out of that was going to do a big investment because of fear that he would eventually clamp down on any kind of gambling in the Philippines. This guy is a, a, a massive authoritarian. He makes uh, Donald Trump look uh, soft. And this guy has uh, actually has a lot of support from a lot of the Philippine people, despite his very hardline tactics. For example, this doesn't have to do with gambling, but they, they had a problem with, uh, with drug addiction in the Philippines. And they had a problem where drug dealers were op- operating with... Uh, very little consequence. So what they what he declared is that not only are they going to go after drug dealers and kill them, but basically giving the license to anyone to kill drug dealers. That if you know a drug dealer, you want to kill him, you can you can do it. And and, and there there were a massive number of murders, including some that were thought to be not drug dealers that were just wrongfully blamed as being a drug dealer and, and killed that way. But that was his way with dealing with the drug problem, saying that we're coming after you and anybody else who wants to come after drug dealers, you can. So we're, we're just going to do away that if, you, if you're dealing drugs in this company, you're gonna, in this country, you're going to be dead. And then, and then followed through with it. So, believe it or not, the people of the Philippines were actually, in general, approving of these methods. Because they, they had grown so tired of the drug problem over there and some of the consequences of these drug problems that they decided that the even with the collateral damage, and even though this might be the punishment being exceeding the crime, that they were actually okay with these tactics as long as it ends the drug problem. So that that's one of the things he was doing. And, and also he's been very hostile to any governments that are critical of them, including the U.S. And he's had some very harsh words for President Obama and... Uh, it was wondered at the time, is he going to come after gambling next? And the answer is yes. And someone else has joined us here on Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Trader Ruski, hello. What's happening, Trap? Hey, Cal Watt. What's going on, Trader Ruski? Just walking down the Vegas Strip. Oh, really? With the dog. With the dog? Yep. Wow. Well, on the side of my hotel. On the side of your hotel. So your, your dog is crapping on the side of the hotel? Not yet, but hopefully soon. <laughs> so, 
Now, I, I, what if the dog craps on the side of the hotel? Are you picking it up, or you, is just the hotel is going to pick it up? Or you don't want to say? I pick it up. Oh, yeah, that's that's very responsible yeah, of you. Absolutely. I think I think most people with the side of a hotel would say screw it. Like it's, it's one thing like your name. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's like an an action scene. I think that's uh, I think that's someone. Uh, Fighting with Trader Ruski after his dog craps, and he doesn't pick it up. No, I, I actually just went to an article about uh, President Duterte and about the online gambling from CNBC. But yeah, it, you know, it's one thing to pick up after your dog in your own neighborhood, but uh, to do it the side of a casino—that's that's some real civic responsibility there. Yeah, well, you know, I walk around front. And I want to make sure it's all good here. I know the cameras are watching. Uh, that's true. And I don't take a dog room. Well, you know what you could do? I don't know if you heard earlier in the show, but you could got, you could wear one of those uh, anti-facial recognition shirts, and then you, your dog can crap with impunity. <laughs> I know. Well, if they, when, they, when they come out for once for dogs, too, we'll have to both wear them. That's right. You, could, you can get a, a doggy shirt for him. Okay, so... So anyway, this article in CNBC says it was announced. This is uh, from uh, late December, December twenty second. It was said that uh, he announced that he'll halt all online gambling in the country. He made the comment while announcing a two thousand seventeen budget that focused heavily on populist measures. He gave no time frame though on the ban or details on the scope. And uh, in August. A, a firm had a thirteen year monopoly on gambling in licensed online cafes, and they they scrapped. The whole thing. Uh, the Philippines gambling industry is one of Asia's uh, most freewheeling, it says, attracting many foreign companies over the last decade to set up servers aimed at overseas punters, referring to uh, Bodog's probably the best known one, and has lured investments of billions of dollars of casino in casino resorts. So this is a big industry over there. And for Bodog or Bovada, they had an agreement, a long-time agreement with the Philippine government that they are allowed to operate there as long as they do not offer games to Philippines residents. So they're like, you can, you can get the rest of the world addicted to gambling, but not our residents. And that was the agreement there, but uh, Duterte, he doesn't want that there either. He's, he's, he basically said it's going to end. Now, again, he didn't give details on when this is going to occur or the scope of it. So maybe... If you're offering it to other markets and not the Philippines, you still can, but maybe you can't. But the definitely there will be no online gambling of any kind in the Philippines. And I'm guessing maybe he's just shutting out the whole industry. So uh, I think Bovada still has a presence there. I know they've been moving out of it. And I think Ignition may actually exist elsewhere now, which is definitely them. But they don't don't want to admit it. They're a pretty resilient company. Bodog, Bovada, Ignition is a very resilient company. They they they've faced challenges from the beginning, and they always seem to come out on top. They always seem to manage to continue on. They've been the best at payment processing. They've been the best at avoiding getting busted. Best at avoiding scandals. They've they've done pretty well for themselves, and I'm sure with this. They will find a way to get around it or move or whatever they have to do. But I'm definitely not going to miss dealing with people in the Philippines. There, those, those customer service reps in the Philippines on Bovada are terrible, terrible. And uh, I've had more than one issue dealing with them in the past, as have pretty much anybody who's played on that site. And it's so infuriating dealing with them because, like, you can call them 24/7, but they're almost like reading from a script. 
and they they pretend like they have authority and they know what they're talking about and they really don't and anything deviates from something the script can answer they don't know what to do and they go to pieces and they get rude with you and it, it the whole thing's a mess the only thing i'll give them credit for is if you can get them to say something on the call that promises you something they will keep to it so like once you get them to promise something if you call if they don't actually keep to it and you call later and demand they pull the call they record every call and then they pull the call and if they do hear evidence you were promised that they'll make good that's the only thing i'll give them credit for that they've done that for me before so like I like one time I was promised uh, you know a bonus under certain terms and I you know I called it for clarification they gave me clarification which was wrong and then I didn't get the bonus and then they they made it right for me or when they promised to waive a fee and then they didn't like you know a lot of times I've been given wrong info and if if I was promised it they've they've made right but other than that they're terrible to deal with and I, I won't be sorry to see that being gone. In fact, when I call the Bovada customer service, I'm always so happy when I get someone in the Canadian office. They have a Toronto office also. But, yeah, they may be gone from the Philippines, and that may be one country that is no longer hosting gaming sites. So, Just something to watch for, but I don't think it's going to mean the end of Bovada or Ignition by any means. I think they're still doing quite well. Speaking of Bovada, I've heard an accusation of them recently, actually Ignition, but I heard an accusation about them. Uh, a poker player tweeted that he launched a cash-out request at the beginning of the year here. And it was like a day before Bitcoin crashed, and he, he did a uh, large cash-out in Bitcoin. And then while it usually takes about five days, which is what I've noticed too, that his was approved in like one day and that they approved the cash out right when Bitcoin was starting to collapse. And the reason that's significant is that if they believe Bitcoin is going to continue to fall, it is to their advantage to cash you out right then because then they have to send you fewer Bitcoin. So if they're seeing it on a downward trend and believe it's a crash... If they quickly send you the Bitcoin they owe, instead of waiting until the crash is finished, then they, they pay you a lot fewer Bitcoin. And it sucks for you, because then by the time you, you do anything about the cash out you receive, you've already lost a lot of money. So uh, this person was accusing them of doing this on purpose, because he said, this is the only time they've processed this cash out really quickly. Every other time they make him wait five days, here they did it in like one day, and it happens to be while it's crashing. So I think that is that definitely has merit. We can't prove it, but I could totally see them pulling that. So that that is one risk of cashing out to Bitcoin. Uh, when I've done Bitcoin cash outs, I've also seen some weird behavior. But I've never had a Bitcoin cash out when it's rapidly rising or rapidly crashing. So I have I don't have that sort of proof. But I have seen some other kind of odd behaviors with with the Bitcoin cashing out, and and I, I did see where they seem to be holding up my cash out longer than they should, when the Bitcoin was like a little bit unstable, and it, like the reverse where it was going up, and I think they were kind of hoping it would go back down and were waiting, and uh, or sorry, they were, they were hoping it was going to go up more, and then they could do you know, they could do it then. And the weirdest thing is when I called up and questioned why my Bitcoin was not were not coming, and why I saw other people on two plus two saying that they got similar cash outs like faster than I did, like requ- requested after mine, and they got there sooner. They put me on hold, 
At first they claimed they had no way to contact the department that does it. Then they put me on hold for 15 minutes and said, yeah, we just contacted the department, and they said they just happened to have processed it uh, you know, while I was checking on it. Like they, they were just doing it as I called them. <laughs> so sure enough, I went and looked, and, and, and my Bitcoin cash out was done. So it happened while I was on the phone. They claimed it was a coincidence. There's no way it was a coincidence. For whatever reason, they were holding it up, and then they did it right, you know, right when I called about it. And I, at the time, I thought they probably did it just because I, you know, I goaded them along to do it. But I always wondered like, what was the holdup, and I wonder if it had to do with the Bitcoin price. And now that this other guy is reporting this, the reverse of it, I have to be suspicious of this. So that's something you should watch out for if you do a cash out in Bitcoin, that this could happen. So if Bitcoin's volatile, you may want to hold off until it stops being volatile, or else they could play games with it. Now they do cash out at, at, at pretty much approximately what the Bitcoin price really is. So they, they don't play games with the actual Bitcoin value, but they, they, they can play with the trends. If they see something's crashing, then it, it would be smart for them to process it Im- immediately. So, let's see here. Uh, I guess this is a good segue into the next topic about the Bitcoin. Bitcoin... I mentioned in the last show, would probably eclipse a thousand for the first time in years. And it would probably happen in early 2017. Well, it did. It happened in very early 2017. Like on January 2nd or something. It, it breached a thousand. And it kept going up. And then it, then it really sped up. And uh, a few days ago, I think like uh, two, three days ago, it got as high as 1174 which is the tiny bit short of its all-time high of 1200. And I had wondered if 1200 was going to be the barrier that would prevent it from, you know, continuing to rise. Or, you know, would we just keep seeing a rise when we get to 2000, you know, in not too long or was it going to crash back down? We hadn't had a crash back down in a long time. Bitcoin's been moving up steadily since uh the middle of last year. So, we hadn't had a crash in a long time. But were we going to have one, given the uh, the quick run-up we had, and the breaking over 1,000, and the approaching of the all-time high? Well, the answer was yes. And Bitcoin crashed really hard from 1174 all the way down to, I think, 818 in a period of about uh, a day. Or day and a half. And since then, which is yeah, about a day ago, it's, it's, it's popped back up a little bit. Right now it's 9.34 as I speak. But very was volatile. Was it like a 10% slide or something? Uh, it, was, it was more than that. It was from 11.74 all the eight to 8.18. Oh, 11.74. Yeah. Okay. yeah, it was a big, big slide. It was like a, a 30% slide. Gotcha. Now, this was actually after a big run-up, including a, it, like a big long-term and short-term run-up. First, it was, it was slowly creeping up over time, and then it, it rocketed up starting in like, uh, late December. So we're still higher, substantially higher now than we were throughout most of December. So if you, if you bought Bitcoin like in early December, you're still doing well overall. But it's, it's very volatile again after it hadn't been for a long time. For a long time, Bitcoin was was fairly stable. Stable and rising. 
Yeah, it's been annoying me. I, I, as we talked about a while ago, I had some Bitcoin. I ended up cashing them out. When it got back up to uh, the value at which it was originally paid to me at, which I think was like 500 or something. I'm yeah. Like, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> well, so, so I've actually been keeping Bitcoin, not a whole lot, but but some, because for like a gambling bankroll, because there's so many sites that take it now that uh, that it's worth having just for that. And, and I don't want to just load them onto one site because then it's not flexible anymore because the cash out takes several days. But to load on as immediate, so I, I I take the risk with the with the variance with with Bitcoin's value by holding these Bitcoin, and for a while that risk looked uh, very good for me because it, was, it just kept rising. And there's actually a listener to the show that sells them to me sometimes. That uh, he gets them, I think, from his business. He has a web business, and uh, he asks if I want to buy them. I say sure, so I buy them from him. And it's just for that reason, just to have a gambling bankroll that I can load onto any of these sites that take Bitcoin. It's almost like the old days of NetTeller. It's very nice to have. But unlike the old days of NetTeller, it's very volatile. So what, what sucked is that on the night it crashed, I also ran really bad on Ignition and lost a lot of money. So I lost in two ways. First, I lose on Ignition. I go to sleep all depressed, and I wake up and I see my Bitcoin lost value too. So Yeah, the, that's awful. The one-two punch. The, actually, the the only uh, small consolation I had was that I had loaded two more Bitcoin onto Ignition because I was losing so badly. And I was like, oh, well, they lost value, so at least I'm not losing value on those two Bitcoin. Like, that was my only consolation, that the Bitcoin I loaded back on there because I was losing, that, that those didn't lose value in the Bitcoin crash. But other than that, it was brutal, so... Uh, I don't know where Bitcoin's going to go. Uh, it's it's very hard to say if that was just... And now, keep in mind, the reason for these run-ups and crashes had to do with the Chinese currency, the yuan, which, and I hope I'm saying that right, but it, it uh, there was a lot of, a lack of confidence in it, which, which caused a lot of Bitcoin to be bought there. I mean, that, that's where most of the volume is in Bitcoin is in China. So there's a lot of Bitcoin bought, and the price went way up. And then it had some gains, the yuan in China. And then all of a sudden people are like, no, nope, never mind. Let's sell our Bitcoin. We actually don't mind our currency that much after all. So it, it was uh, Chinese currency fluctuations that caused the Bitcoin fluctuations in reverse. And I also have to think some of the run-up was just due to people seeing it rise that fast and thinking they've got to get in here, you know, buy it for 1000 or 1100 and then hope it goes up to 10000 Or even if it doubles, they think they've made a lot of money. So, with it rising so quickly, it just seemed like, you know, why not jump on the train? But it's just impossible to tell. Something I've learned about Bitcoin is it's so hard to predict what's going to happen. Because there, there's, there's so many independent events that happen that make it fall or rise. Especially to fall, like like so many things can happen to make a crash that you could never predict. And, and at the same time, when it's rising, that almost it also seems to happen either for factors you're not going to be able to predict or ones that you wouldn't even guess uh, would cause it to fall or cause it to rise. Like uh, there's so many different factors that make it rise and fall that are, that are just very hard for one to speculate. So 
I wouldn't even be surprised if uh, this is a terrible year of Bitcoin, and, and you know, near the end of the year, we're talking about how it's worth uh, two hundred again. Mm. Maybe it'll go the other way. Maybe it'll be worth twenty five hundred near the end of the year, and we'll be saying, "Wow, you know, if only we had kept more at uh, around a thousand. Well, I can tell you that, at least from the Chinese point of view, one of the reasons why a lot of Chinese are interested in Bitcoin is uh, they view it as a safe place where they can invest their money that the government can't take it. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons why that uh, you've seen a lot of Chinese have been very interested in it. I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll find that uh, a lot of the kind of the new millionaires in China, um, they, how well they do or don't do, a lot of it depends on how well they curry favor with the, the government over there. And if they fall out of favor, they could very easily have all their money taken away from them and be thrown into jail, you know? Yeah. No, I know that the government very, very powerful there. And, yeah, yeah that's, uh, you're correct. You know, you have to be on the good side of the right people over there. So they see it as kind of a safe haven. I mean, it's, that's one of the reasons why uh, they do a lot of foreign investment, but also investment in Bitcoin. Yeah, and, and here's an article, by the way, from January 6th that said, uh, uh, China continued to squeeze the global market for the yuan on Friday, sending the cost of borrowing the currency in overseas markets soaring to a near-record high. Investors and analysts say the nosebleed rates are likely to continue as China's central bank battles to keep the country's currency from weakening too far and too fast. So th- this was the news, by the way, that stopped uh, the Bitcoin rise and made it fall. So this this is what made it happen. So... There, it, China really is pretty much dictating the Bitcoin price by things the government's doing, things that the, the attitude of the Chinese people toward Bitcoin. We're, we're at their mercy for the Bitcoin value. And if, if at any point China decides that they're getting off the Bitcoin train, then you're going to see a crash like no other. I'm not saying they will, but I'm saying if it does happen and China bails out, then... And when I say China, I mean the Chinese people. If it just loses favor over there for whatever reason and it happens quickly, you're going to see a big, big crash. So, uh, yeah, it's very hard to predict with Bitcoin. I don't even feel that good about holding them, but it's just a risk I take. I don't hold too many. But I I, I do like their flexibility with gambling sites. So, But I, I always have wondered, like, how does a site like Bovada feel about holding a lot of Bitcoin themselves? Either from deposits or cash outs. Like, are um, are they nervous about the fluctuations, and are they perhaps hedging here? You know, by are, are they protecting themselves somewhat by by playing these games? By when they see a crash happening quickly, uh, processing everyone's cash outs. So, could easily be happening. Now, I, I may have lost a few people here. Like, Hal, what are you still here? Trader Risk, are you still here? No, I think we lost them both. Gotta love the old Skype. I may have to switch Skypes. Always happens at some point in the show. We're doing so well here. Weren't we doing well? He could hear the sound effects. The old Skype is working. It says he's not online anymore. Try to put on Calwatt, then we'll try to put on Trader Risky. We lost them both at once, and it's on my end for sure. The person whom you're trying... Nah. 
See if we can get Trader Risky on. Otherwise, I'll have to switch Skypes. Nah, I think it's time to switch Skypes. What a pain in the ass, I tell you. I'm looking for a version of Skype that is old enough to not have these sound effect issues and new enough to not do this. It's a battle. Didn't it used to have to be this way? Maybe I will do that. Maybe I'll try to find a version in between. I just grabbed one that was like the... a known working version from a long time ago, but it doesn't seem to work that great anymore. Maybe they made some changes to the network. So we're going to try to put on Trader Ruski. Can't even reach him on the new Skype. There you are. Trader Ruski, hello. There. Yeah, hey, sorry. Yeah, it looks like it was a Skype issue. I had to switch Skypes here. Let me, I'm going to try to connect on uh, Calwatt and see if we can get him. And if we can't, then we'll just wait till he reappears. What a pain in the butt. Yeah, I, can't, I can't reach Calwatt at all. But that might have been me, because I went to a different... Oh, you can't... Yeah, I was in a different part of the... Uh, I, I, unless it was a coincidence. It's possible... You know what? It's possible I lost you independently, and, and then possible that Calwatt fell asleep. It is uh, 3 in the morning there. So... Yeah, at least it's Saturday. Yeah, I can't, I can't reach him. Anyway. He, but he told me that the Saturday doesn't matter. He's still going to fall asleep. <laughs> so... Uh, which makes sense because you know, he works for himself, and uh, if you work for yourself, the day of the week doesn't matter that much. So, and the truth is also, even if you don't work for yourself, you can be very tired on the weekend just from not getting that much sleep during the week. I used to have that myself when I worked a regular job. I, I would uh, I would get so little sleep during the week because I'd stay up late, but still have to get up early for work, and then by Friday I was exhausted. So, okay. Uh, hopefully, Calwatt comes back. Otherwise. I guess he's gone, and I appreciate him being here for the time we had him. Uh, so, yeah, Bitcoin. We'll have to see what happens. Not much more to say. General topics. General topics. Uh, I want to talk about the situation in Chicago with the four black kids, or you know, four, three black 18-year-olds and one 24-year-old who kind of kidnapped, and when I say kind of because the, the kid, you know, the, the one the victim he came along voluntarily with, with the first person there, but uh, they misled him as to what was going to really happen. They basically, he, he basically went with someone he thought was his friend who was really not his friend, and then just took him. But uh, they kidnapped and beat and tortured a white disabled kid. He was uh, mentally disabled, seemed to have, uh, it wasn't clear if he was autistic or retarded or whatever, but it was some kid who... Uh, he was like 20 years old, he was white, and he, he didn't, he wasn't normal. He had some uh, mental handicaps, clearly. And what happened is on New Year's Eve, the, uh, the disabled kid, he, he was uh, supposed to go and spend the night with what he thought was a friend from school, an uh, 18-year-old black guy named uh, Jordan Hill. And Jordan Hill picked him up in a stolen van, no less. And uh, they drove around for a while. 
And the, the plan was just he's supposed to go to Jordan Hill's house. And, you know, they spend the, spend the evening together for New Year's. Then he's going to Jordan Hill's house, spend the night there, and then come back home on January 1st. And the, his parents knew that, and they, you know, they, they were aware of that whole thing. Everybody was okay with it, and he thought Jordan Hill was his friend. But that's not the way it went. Jordan Hill picked him up in a stolen van, uh, drove around with him. I don't know what they did for a while. But uh, eventually brought the, 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 kid, the white kid over to the apartment of these two sisters named uh, Brittany Covington and uh, uh, another, her sister, uh, something Covington, I'm forgetting her name. But uh, they brought them there, and there was another uh, guy there, another uh, black guy who was uh, 18 years old. And, and they basically tortured the kid and, and, made, and were stupid enough to record this on, on Facebook Live, which is like a way to broadcast to your followers on Facebook uh, video. So they did this. And, and I mean that's that was really stupid <laughs> to, to commit crimes like this and uh, and then broadcast it on Facebook Live and I, for some reason they didn't think this was going to come back to bite them but these these kids weren't very smart so uh, the the four involved who did this uh, Brittany and Tanisha Covington were the sisters that was it was their apartment there was uh, Tess Faye Cooper was one of the 18-year-old black guys, and, and Jordan Hill was the uh, 18-year-old uh, other black guy who was supposedly friends with the disabled kid they brought there. And they tied him up. Uh, at one point, one of the guys cut a piece of his scalp off, and they were laughing about this while they're videotaping, well, they're not videotaping, but recording the whole thing on Facebook Live with uh, Brittany Covington was the one recording the whole thing. At one point, Brittany Covington even complained that people weren't liking her Facebook feed that people weren't giving her likes for all this so they're recording these horrible crimes and complaining that she's complaining that uh, no one's liking it on facebook uh there is also another video that they took of forcing him to put his face into a toilet with urine in it and drink it uh they they were also uh, hitting him they were they were making him say things like fuck donald trump fuck white people and you know he was white himself so they were, you know, these were all black people making him do this, and and they were having loads of fun with it, and uh, and, and basically torturing the kid there and not letting him leave and hitting him and all kinds of bad things to him for no reason. They just did it because they wanted to. And obviously, when these videos were found, it's funny th- these four were actually arrested before the video was found, and and not even in relation to what they did to the kid because what happened. This shows you what you know, pieces of crap these four are. It goes beyond just this. They were making a lot of noise with all this, all the shouting and everything else going on there. So a neighbor called and, and, and or knocked on the door. Somehow the neighbor got a hold of them and said, you're making too much noise here. I'm, I'm hearing it in my apartment. Stop it. You're making too much noise. I can't sleep or I can't stand hearing all this. So the two sisters, I think they probably did call. The two sisters went to the door of the neighbor who complained to them and kicked it down. So they kicked down the neighbor's door. So the neighbor then called the police and said, hey, you know, my door just got kicked down because I complained about noise. So they arrested these four over this. So they were in custody. And then at the same time, they found this kid walking around there because he had already left. I guess when the two sisters went out, the, the kid escaped somehow. So they found him just walking around all, all disoriented and with, with, with 
cuts and bruises and all, you know, looking very bad. And they asked him what happened, and he couldn't really explain it, because both from his disability and from the trauma he'd been through, he just couldn't really say what was going on. But he was, quote, clearly in distress. So they knew someone did something to him, and they're like, hmm, he was found right outside of this apartment building where we had just arrested four other people for causing, you know, for some kind of domestic res- disturbance, and a lot of shouting and screaming, and, and then d- a door was kicked down, and like, you know, this has got to be related. And then they, they, very shortly after that, found out about these videos. And then that was the smoking gun proof. So, the videos got out, and as you can imagine, this created, uh, this went viral very quickly, and created a lot of outrage throughout the country, because you had on video, there's two elements to it that were outrageous. The, the, the racial element, where they kept saying, fuck white people, fuck Donald Trump, and they were, you know, definitely, it was definitely like a, a lot of anti-white rhetoric on it from four black kids while they're torturing a white guy. And there is the element of the fact that he was disabled, that they were torturing a disabled person. So obviously these four became very, very unpopular and, and everyone basically hated them. And the story then became, what are the Chicago police going to do at this point? How are these four going to be charged? And the question came up, is it going to be considered a hate crime? Now, I've never supported the concept of hate crimes. Because I I don't believe that the motivation to commit a crime just based upon... I I don't think that harming someone based upon their race, their sexual preference, or whatever it is, is any worse than harming someone because you want to steal their money, or because you just plain don't like them. So, uh... If... For example, uh, a black guy is walking down the street, and a white guy comes over and and beats him up just because he's black and he hates black people. I think that white guy should get the same penalty as if he had beat this black guy up because he wants to steal his money. I think it should be the same penalty, provided the two beatings are the same severity. I don't think there should be an additional penalty because racism is involved. I don't think racism is any worse than beating someone up to steal their money. Either, either way, you're committing assault. Either way, you're harming the person the exact same way. So your motivation for doing it shouldn't matter. And I, that, I, I feel that the penalties for these assaults should go up and should be more severe. But I don't feel that uh, it should be higher than, for some reasons than others. It also becomes subjective at some point. You know, at some point, uh, and we've seen these cases before, where... Uh, a white guy and a black guy get in a fight. At some point during the fight, because they're fighting and hate each other, the white guy says something about nigger, and then you know, and then it's seen as a hate crime. When in reality, he's just shouting that because in the process of fighting the black guy, but they're fighting for a, a completely unrelated reason, which has nothing to do with racism. It just comes out as an insult. You know, the same way as if like you're fighting with a fat guy, you'll call him a you know a, a name about being fat, or if you're you're fighting with someone, uh, uh, you know, with some other thing that you find that's worthy of an insult. You're fighting with someone you, 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 know, you find ugly, and while you're fighting with them, you mention that they're ugly, just to, just to hurt their feelings. You know, like, that doesn't mean that's why you're attacking them. And that's, that's the pro- another problem with hate crimes. Is it's, it's often hard to prove, even if, if slurs are uttered during the fight. But, okay, even if you can prove it was done for that reason, I still don't think that should result in additional penalties, because all that does is make 
crimes for you know for, for stealing people's money or, or other terrible things not as bad it's dismissing the severity of other violent crimes for of the same violent crime for other reasons so i always thought the crime should be punished in these type of cases not the motivation for the crime so i've never liked hate crime laws for that reason it's not that I, I think hate crimes are fine or that uh, I want to defend those committing them. I just think that uh, everyone should be punished the same for the same crime. And uh, But anyway, since the re- legislation is on the books, at the very least it needs to be applied evenly. So if you're going to charge a white guy for beating up a black person because they hate black people, if you're going to charge him with a hate crime, you got to char- charge the black guy who beats up the white guy because they hate white people you got to charge him the same. Otherwise, you're not applying it fairly. So once the law is on the books, it's got to be applied fairly. So there's a lot of pressure immediately on the Chicago Police Department to charge these four with a hate crime. And it was not clear at first if they were going to do it. They were still deciding. Here's a Chicago press conference about it from the Chicago Police. Good evening. Yesterday, video of a brutal act towards an adult male. You know, you know what? I'm not going to play. I see it's like nine minutes long, and there's only one part I want you to hear. It's where they ask him about if it's going to be applied. Is it going to be a hate crime? And they said that they're not sure because they've got to look at it very carefully. They want to make sure that the this attack was really done for racial reasons and that it wasn't just things that uh, stupid things kids were saying who were involved in the attack. So so basically they were already setting up the excuse of that, why they're not going to charge them with a hate crime. They, they had not decided yet but they were already floating out that trial balloon just in case they don't by saying, you know, maybe it's going to end up that they were just, you know, just stupid kids shouting stupid things but they didn't really mean it. So they were, they were already kind of setting up the excuse for why they may not do it. Now they ended up doing so and I'll tell you why. Public sentiment was very, very strong that these kids get charged with a hate crime because of what they did was so reprehensible and because there was like pretty much no one with sympathy for these four who committed the crime. The black community did not like them. The white community hated them even more. Nobody liked these four, mainly because the one they were doing this to was disabled and pretty much helpless. That They, they were picking on a, a kid who was mentally disabled and helpless and just torturing him for fun. And, and no race is going to get behind that. Black people aren't, white people aren't. Like, it doesn't matter if the perpetrators are black. Most black people watched this and were rightfully disgusted seeing that and wanted to see these four in trouble as well. So they realized that throwing the book at them and charging them with hate crimes is not going to piss off the black community because the black community wants to see them fry as well. So it became an easy decision at that point. But when this press conference was done on January 4th, uh, that wasn't clear yet, and they were afraid at the time if they charged the black kids with a hate crime that it's going to further cause issues with the black community that they are, they already have issues with them in Chicago because uh, for uh, alleged police brutality over there. So they didn't want to complicate that even more by charging a hate crime, even if it was justified. They were trying to find a way out of doing that, thinking that that might be the easiest way, but then they realized that by not doing it, it'll cause much more of an outrage than by doing it. And by doing it, no one's going to object, it turned out. 
from what they saw of public sentiment. And they were right, because they once they saw that pretty much everyone was against these kids who did it, they said, well, okay, we might as well hit them with everything now. So uh, they were charged with, with a lot. Let me get to the uh, part of that where they were charged with a lot of uh, different crimes, including a... Uh, Including uh, hate crimes. Let me see here. And were they all minors, Truff? No, none of them were minors. It was three eighteen, well, three eighteen-year-olds and a twenty-four-year-old. The only twenty, the twenty-four-year-old was the older sister of the one who recorded it, and she seems to be the one who was least involved as far as the. I mean, they were all involved, but the one who did the least was the older sister. Although the, she, the older sister did kick down that door, so she wasn't exactly a, w- a wonderful person either. But uh, the, you, you had Brittany Covington who was recording the whole thing and complaining she's not getting enough likes as the kid's being tortured. Uh, you had the, the two guys, uh, Jordan Hill and, and Tess Faye Cooper, who were actually doing the torturing. And then you, I'm not sure what Tanisha Covington's role, other than being there and supporting it all, was, but, but she did kick down the door of the neighbor complaining about it. Uh, but they, they were charged. Let me, let me get to... Uh, get to that. There are a number of charges against them, and I have to imagine a lot of these are going to stick. Um, Let's see here. Let me see here. Uh, Now I have trouble finding it. Anyway, they, they were charged with a number of crimes... Uh, including the kidnapping. And the, the kidnapping part came in because uh, and these, these, they were also stupid enough to send text messages to the boy's family saying, we have your son. Like, why would they... They weren't demanding anything. It seemed like they might eventually demand something, but they were just, like, taunting the family that they had their son, which is crazy. So they... You know, they, it went from the sleepover idea to which they just took him and didn't return him. And took him to a location, you know, to the Covington's sister's uh, apartment where he wouldn't be found. And uh, so, I I don't know what their plan even was with this. It's so strange. I don't even understand. But it is clear from the beating that was occurring and the shouting about fuck white people and fuck Trump that they definitely did this partially because they hated white people and because he was an easy victim. He was like a low-hanging, a low-hanging fruit of victims. That he's someone they knew both would have a hard time fighting back and also having a hard time telling anyone what happened. So they they're like they they wanted to screw with someone and he was the easiest one to do it because he was, you know, retarded or, or autistic or whatever he was. Which which makes it especially offensive to me that they would do this. It's it's one thing to just take any white guy they hate, which is bad enough, and torture him, but to, to take a disabled kid that they know is is gonna have a hard time fighting back and, and reporting this is even worse. And just, just for fun, not for any good reason. So that, that's why everyone's so outraged by this, and uh, I have a feeling at this point now, Chicago PD, with with the public sentiment being that the book should be thrown at them, is going to really uh, come down hard on them. They've, they've already hit, hit them all the hate crime charges, and there's a number of other charges, including a kidnapping charge, and... Uh, let me see here. Let's see if I can get to where the charges are. For some reason, I'm having a hard time finding this in our thread about it. But they, they hit him with a lot of different charges. So hopefully... 
hopefully these uh, these stick and they, they go away for a long time. The question is how long they're going to go away because the there's people talking about how they're going to go away for life. There's no way because no, nobody was actually killed or even seriously injured. He kind of got moderate injuries. Like I'm not, when I say moderate, I don't mean like minor, but but nothing that's going to not heal in, in a relatively short time. So it, it, and you know, what they did was terrible. He was tortured. It must have been a very traumatic experience for him to be tied up and have all this happen to him. He forced to drink urine. I mean, really bad stuff. But the, but it, it's not like they uh, caused permanent physical damage. They may have caused psychological damage to him, but uh, but at the same time, this was so egregious, and it was right there, and they recorded the whole thing, were so brazen about it, I have a feeling they're going to hit them with a maximum of wherever they can and, and probably get a conviction. And these guys, th- these four don't exactly have the, the money to hire the best uh, criminal defense either, uh, nor is anyone going to volunteer to represent them for free, I'm imagining. So, uh, I have a feeling they're going to get a lot of years in prison for this. But you never know. Like, for example, you know that the two who beat that guy in Dodger Stadium, the Brian Stowe beating in 2011, they, they ended yep. up getting a pretty light sentence. I mean, this is someone they beat to where he's disabled now. A, a, a healthy guy who, who, who didn't have any kind of issues, he, he was beaten to not being able to care for himself anymore. And they got like eight years, which is crazy. And then they, with, with, didn't one of, them, one of them got out after like... Four or five, right, right. Eight, eight years where they could get out early, thanks to good behavior or whatever. And so one of them's like already out already. So I, I think the only, I think the, the other one's still there for some weapons violations unrelated to this. But it, it shows you. You think something like that, they get like thirty years? No, they they got uh, like eight, and then they get uh, time off of that, depending on how they behave in prison. So. Well, who knows what the, what these people did was not as bad as that because the damage they caused was much less. So, yes, they can tack on extra time for the hate crime stuff if, if that sticks, which may be hard to prove. You know, yes, they have the stuff about fuck white people, but the, a good attorney or even a decent attorney, I don't know what kind of attorney they're going to end up getting from probably court appointed, but the, the case can probably be made that they were just yelling this as they were doing it and they weren't doing it because he was white or because he was disabled. That they just kind of decided to mess with him, and that while it was wrong, if it wasn't done because because he was disabled or because he was white. Now, I think it was, but especially the disabled part, but uh, that may be hard to prove. Now, maybe they can, maybe they won't have that good of an attorney, and maybe that uh, there's such public sentiment against them that they're going to lose this, but that may be hard to stick. I don't know if it will or not, but even if it does stick, I don't know how much time they're going to get. Like, I I'd be surprised if they got something like 20 years. Even the worst ones there. I, I, I'm expecting sentences like 8 years, 10 years, for the, and then much less for the like for the one that's least involved, that Tanisha Covington, I could see her getting something like 2 years or, or, or 18 months. I could see her getting something much less. The other the, the two guys who actually did most of the beating, they'll probably get the worst, and then the, uh, the one who recorded it probably get uh, you know 3 years, 4 years. I, I could see that easily being the sentence they get. So I think people are, are overreaching in their belief that they're going to go away for life. And uh, I, I'm i still not even understanding fully the motivation for this. I really think they were just doing it for fun, which is which is sick. I, I can't see what motivation they could possibly have had to have done this. So, uh, anyway... I, I was seeing a lot of hashtags about BLM kidnapping. 
and that's for Black Lives Matter. And as I was first presented to me that the black someone in Black Lives Matter kidnapped a white person and tortured them and said fuck Trump, and I said wow that's pretty bad. Well, it turned out that's not true. And anyone who who describes this as a Black Lives Matter kidnapping is not telling you the truth. It's not. These these were a bunch of thugs and idiots who did this. They they had nothing to do with Black Lives Matter. They, they don't seem very. Even though they mentioned fuck Trump, you know they just, that was just. Stupid things. That, that, I think, was a stupid thing they were saying. I don't think this was done to protest against Donald Trump. I don't think these kids are very into politics. They didn't seem like that type. Uh, I don't think that this had anything to do with Black Lives Matter. They said nothing about Black Lives Matter on these tapes, and there's, there's no connection. I, I think that these were four kids who hated white people and who just were sociopaths who wanted to you know, enjoy having fun screwing with a disabled guy who was also white. It was a very convenient target. Someone who's disabled and of a race they hate. So they grabbed him and, and did this. Or they, you know, they tricked him to come over and did this. And, uh, and they wouldn't let him go and actually sent these stupid text messages saying that they have him. Like, what is even that about? Maybe they were hoping to squeeze the parents for money. Who knows? But it was something pretty evil, whatever it was. But, I, but it had nothing to do with Black Lives Matter. So this is nothing to do with Black Lives Matter... This is not any kind of... Uh, you can't blame any group for this. This isn't the beginning of a race war. This isn't... Uh, in fact, the, the black community doesn't even support these people. So this is not... This is an isolated incident committed by idiots and probably pretty evil people. But it's more for twisted individuals rather than representative of any group. And that, that has to be understood. Now, at the same time, so, so you have some people on the right who are claiming, oh, this is Black Lives Matter, it's a Black Lives Matter kidnapping. No, it isn't. And if you believe that, then you're believing BS. At the same time, you have those on the left who are already making up excuses for why this happened. Not necessarily saying it's okay, but saying, well, this is, this is what happens. You know, 200 years of oppression against black people, and this, this is what happens as a result. Sometimes some just can't take it, and this is what they do to act out. No, no. This is not about years of oppression of black people. This is not about what's been going on with the police in Chicago or elsewhere. This is not about any of that stuff. And anyone who claims it is, is is hijacking a very bad and cruel thing that happened for their own political purposes. That's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. These, these punks who did this, believe me, they weren't doing this because they felt oppressed. They weren't doing this because they felt they were making a political statement. They weren't doing this because... Uh, uh, they hated Trump. It wasn't anything about that. They, they did it because they wanted to. It, it seemed fun, and they had a convenient target. That's it. That's it. Maybe they even had some stupid idea that they'd somehow turn this into a ransom and they get some money back. But who, who knows? We'll, we'll, I guess we'll find that out later. I, I haven't seen these texts, but I've seen several reports about them that they sent to his parents. But... I mean, here, I'll, I'll play you a, a part of this here. Listen to this. For some reason, it's cutting out the fuck here. I, I hate when they do that. Go. He, Go. <laughs> oh, bro, great. He, he's tied up. He's tied up in the corner as this is all going on. No, bro. No, well, on bro, great. No, well. 
Oh, you can open that other bag of chips if you want. Do y'all miss my man? Y'all don't even know that. I'm finna be on some real, on some real, on some real, cause real out here, man. And I ain't know. Until right now, I Okay, for the hell, man. All right, this is tilting me because it has these uh, cuts. I hate the cuts like that. Just if you're going to show this type of stuff, you might as well not cut out the word "fuck." This isn't national TV here. This is a, a YouTube video with a profanity cut for some reason. But anyway, uh, th- this is not any kind of social statement, and this is not even a response by oppressed people who are lashing out in a way they shouldn't. Th- this is just punks. Who didn't even have to be black? They could have been anything. It's just punks who did an evil thing. And that's it. And even President Obama made a statement I didn't like. He's, you know, He was asked about this. This became such a big story that even Obama felt that he had to comment on it. So they, they had an interview with him on, on a TV station, and he, uh, he commented on it. Uh, he says, uh, part of his statement was, what we've seen as surfacing, I think, are a lot of problems that have been there for a long time. Whether it's tensions be- between police and communities, hate crimes of this despicable sort that we've just, that's just now recently surfaced on Facebook, the good news is that the next generation that's coming behind us have smarter, better, more thoughtful attitudes about race. Well, first of all, this is the generation coming behind us. They're 18. So this wasn't done by old racists who, uh, or even old black people that, that hate white people. This is done by 18-year-olds. So the next generation is not the answer, apparently. So I don't know why he said that. But uh, what does this have to do with the tensions between police and communities? Uh, it doesn't. This is, this is Obama trying to find a way to blame this on the race issues between the, the police and the black community that we've had over the last few years and, and trying to go back to that rather than just saying we had some bad people doing some bad things here and you know, don't blame their race for it don't blame other black people for it but we have bad people in every race criminals in every race in this case they happen to be black people we have the same type of thing also happen with, with white people doing bad things to black people sometimes and we, you know, we have to make it uh, clear to all Americans this country will not tolerate these type of crimes that's what he should have said he should have said that, he could have said I don't believe this is representative of the attitudes of the black community and would have been right. Most of them are against this uh, after seeing this. But but to say this this is representative of the tensions between police and communities that's that's again him hijacking a, a bad thing like this for for his own political purposes and I I was very disappointed with that statement. When four people do really bad things like this you condemn the four people, unless they really are part of some kind of grand conspiracy above them, which in this case they weren't. These were idiot punks doing this. And these idiot punks should pay to the fullest extent of the law, but there's no one else responsible here. No one else is responsible for this except for these four. Not Black Lives Matter, not the police, not past tensions. No one or nothing is responsible for this other than these four people who wanted to do a really bad thing on these first few days of 2017. That's all it was. And and I, I just hate seeing something being twisted like this for people's own political purposes. And I see it on both sides. When I kept seeing hashtag BLM kidnapping, I was going, what the hell? Where, where is the Black Lives Matter connection here? There is not one. And this is a, an organization that I have a lot of problems with. But this is one thing they're not, they're not guilty of. 
So just be honest about it. Don't because the perpetrators are black. It doesn't mean Black Lives Matter is behind it. And just because there's been issues between the black community and the Chicago Police Department does not mean that this is about those issues because it's not. So this has gotten a lot of press because of the racial element to it and the fact that racism was present on the videos racism of uh, black people against white people and of course it's going to be very provocative but I hope everybody sees it for what it is these are just four punks who need to be in prison for a long time that's it that's it Uh, I am against hate crime legislation but I actually would be for legislation that makes it an additional crime like an additional penalty to harm disabled people because they they should have additional protections because of their lack of ability to defend themselves or even report what happens. And, and a lot of perpetrators know this. I have no problem with additional penalties for those who uh, attack or, or harm the elderly or the disabled or children. I'm, I'm fine with that. I don't like additional penalties for the motivation for committing crimes. That I don't like. Let's see if the chat room has any opinions here. Uh, JSTAT says, Major Caesars Entertainment stockholder George Soros funds Black Lives Matter. I didn't know Soros does, but it wouldn't surprise me. Anyway, going on to our, our final topic. Still here with us, Trader Risky? I'm here. Yeah. Did you find from seeing all this coverage that this is being distorted a lot, like I'm saying? Well, I was at CES all week, so I, yeah, that's why I haven't followed as much as I normally do. But, um, yeah, I mean, if anything, it's just, you know, it's certainly just them doing it. You could probably blame the school system and whatever else. Yeah, for, you know what they're living in, but as far as you know, relating it to Black Lives Matter and all the tensions between the what's going on in that arena, I, yeah, I think he's way out of line with that. Yeah, and, and by the way, I, I pointed out before if this really was some sort of rebellion against uh, them being oppressed by white people, they would this would have been done to to those that are perceived as their oppressors. Like, had they had they kidnapped uh, a boss that, at work who was white, who they felt was. Uh, was not treating them fairly. Obviously, that'd be a crime too, and very bad. But at least there, you'd say that there you'd have more of a reason to say this is some sort of rebellion against a perceived oppression. Here, when they're grabbing the the an innocent disabled white guy who clearly has never harmed them, uh, and then, yeah, and streaming it on their Facebook page, yeah, I mean, and, 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 and fucking <laughs> just complete morons and asking for likes. Yeah, these are not very sophisticated. Yeah, right, I mean, right? These are not sophisticated criminals. No, they're not. They're not sophisticated at all. These are these are yeah. idiot, idiot, punk, uh, and, young criminals. And, is what they are, and that'll probably help the attorney. I mean, it's just like look how dumb they are. <laughs> that, you know, I mean, who would do this? Yeah, I imagine broadcasting that and saying, you know, "Why don't I get any likes here?" Yeah, why don't you think? I mean, it's not a criminal mastermind. No, you know? no. And yeah, not not part of any kind of uh, great criminal conspiracy. It's, it's just idiots. So I'm going to go to a different topic here, a completely different topic, and that's about uh, customer satisfaction surveys. You, you'll see these everywhere. You'll see that some company 
leads in customer satisfaction over some other company. And you'll see this in magazines like Consumer Reports or just other websites. And sometimes you'll be tempted by seeing these reports to go with the one that has the best customer satisfaction. And I'm not saying that's always a bad idea. I definitely read reviews of a lot of products that I products and services that I buy, and they're very helpful in many cases. Sometimes reviews can be tilting because you'll see mixed reviews and you have no idea what to do and you drive yourself crazy. And then sometimes I'll just like close my eyes and say, okay, i got to just do it, and then do it, and then I'll say, you know what, all these bad reviews, they weren't even justified. But then other times I'll say, crap, I wish, wish I ignored the good and, and took the bad. It, it's, it's a mixed bag. But anyway, these customer satisfaction surveys, are they really what they're cracked up to be? Can you really trust them? Uh, There's a recent discussion on Poker Fraud Alert's forum about cell phone companies, and someone was asking first if there's any good cell phone company to go with other than the big four being T-Mobile, Sprint, Verizon, or AT&T. And this spawned into another conversation comparing the four major providers. And I was saying in this conversation that from what I'd seen... Verizon and AT&T, which are more expensive, by the way, that they have a much better reputation for customer service than T-Mobile and Sprint, who have very poor customer service, and I also told some anecdotes of my own from the past of bad customer service experiences with T-Mobile and Sprint. The only one of the four that I haven't had for any length of time was Verizon. In fact, I've never had Verizon as a cell phone provider. I've had them for other things, but never for cell phones. But I have had AT&T... I have had, uh, you know, I take that back. I did have Verizon for some time. I don't know. I, I forgot. About it. I did have Verizon, but it was many years ago. Many, many years ago. But I had, uh, but I've had AT and T. I've had T Mobile. I have had uh, Sprint. So I related some stories I had from the past of of all of them, and my conclusion was that you should stay away from T Mobile and Sprint unless you really, really have to save money both for reasons that their service is not as good and because the customer service is very poor. Well, I had some people responding to me, telling me that I don't know what I'm talking about. And they said that T-Mobile constantly gets very high marks in customer satisfaction. They're way above the others. So clearly, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm taking one bad experience of my own and tainting the whole company when mine was probably something that uh, was an outlier. And that how could they get such good customer satisfaction ratings if I'm right? And I said, well, I I know lots of other people, friends and peers, who've had T-Mobile. And they all seem to come with horror stories. That first they're happy, but then such and such thing happens and they get screwed. And I heard it time and time again, the same with Sprint. And again, I got, well, no, these are just, just, just anecdotal evidence. If they're getting such high customer satisfaction ratings, obviously... In general, they must be doing something right. But here's my problem with that. This is why you have to watch out for it. Customer satisfaction surveys are usually about your just overall satisfaction with the experience. So let's say you have AT&T, and you don't have very much money, and you're having a hard time paying your cell phone bill, which can, if you're not part of a family plan, can actually be pretty expensive. If you have a smartphone, you've got to pay for the data. It really adds up. Your bills you know, with AT&T is going to be like 90 bucks a month usually. And if you don't have that much money, $90 a month is a lot to pay for a cell phone. 
plus whatever the cost of the equipment is. So let's say you switch to T-Mobile, which is half the price or so. I, I haven't priced them recently, but I know they're a lot cheaper. And you notice that you're getting a pretty good signal. You're, you're able to... The data seems fine. Uh, maybe you're getting uh, unlimited or more data than you had with AT&T. Everything seems to work, and you're paying less money. Are you satisfied? Hell yeah. Hell yeah, you're satisfied. And and what if uh, your bill comes every month, and it's correct, and you don't have to call up and, and raise any issues with any problems? Are you satisfied? Of course you are. Everything's great. So when you get that customer satisfaction survey, when you get a phone call... And you're asked, have you had T-Mobile? Yes. How satisfied are you from a scale of 1 to 10? You go, oh, 10. They're great. They're cheap. Phone seems to work well. Get a lot of data. Never had a problem. I I couldn't be happier. What about AT&T? Well, you know, I was paying double for this, and it wasn't any better. And, uh, you know, I called them up and asked them if there's anything cheaper, and they said no. I don't know. It kind of pissed me off. You know, I wasn't very satisfied. Okay. T-Mobile, high satisfaction. AT&T... You know, low to middle satisfaction. Okay, thank you very much. Goodbye. And it's it's noted in the survey. Now, that's just one person. But what I just tell, told you is not an uncommon situation. The cheaper provider is automatically going to get a lot better satisfaction ratings unless they really have a chronic problem that affects a lot of people. That is like, like if everybody had horrible service with T-Mobile where, where they never had a signal or their data was super slow or the equipment never worked, then you'd have very low customer satisfaction rates. But if you just have a small percentage, or I shouldn't say small, but you only have a moderate percentage of people that have some kind of uh, problems that don't come up every day, but then T-Mobile has a very hard time handling them, anything that's slightly out, out, you know, off the straight and narrow, they, they have a very hard time handling and screw people. That percentage of people is not going to be enough to drag down all the ones who are reporting that they're happy. And at the same time, a more expensive provider like AT&T is already going to get lower satisfaction rating just from being more expensive and from people having higher expectations of them because they're more expensive. So that skews the surveys. Now, I can tell you something from my own experience. Now, I, I will put an asterisk on this by saying that I last had T-Mobile, I think, about nine years ago. Maybe eight years ago, maybe nine years ago, something like that. So maybe they've changed, but not from what I've heard from people I know. But I had an experience with them that really spoke volumes about T-Mobile as a company. I, I got a, a new phone, not an iPhone. This is before uh, either before iPhones existed or before I had one. So I, I got a phone which was still fairly expensive at the time. It was a flip phone and uh, a pretty expensive model of one. I bought it new. And I know after about uh, a few weeks, uh, the phone, the signal just stopped working well. Where I should have had four bars, I'd have like one or two. Where I should have one or two bars, I'd zero bars. I just uh, the phone was never getting good reception anymore. And I I knew it was a, a sudden problem because it wasn't like that for the first few weeks. Then it just abruptly changed. I didn't drop it in the toilet. I didn't drop the phone. I like it was nothing I did. It just abruptly did this for no reason. It just went bad. Now, the, the warranty on the phone was as follows. In 14 days, you can return it for any reason. But this wasn't 14 days. This is like 25 days. After that, you have a year warranty. But what I didn't know was what the warranty really was. The warranty was that 
they can replace they can either fix or replace your phone if you make a, a warranty claim and that they can replace your phone with a refurbished phone Now that's pretty bad if you have a phone that's only 25 days old. If you have a phone that's 11 months old, then it makes sense if they replace it with a refurbished phone. Saying, "Hey, why should you get a new phone just because uh, you know you've had it for 11 months? You, you, why should you get a new phone because something goes wrong?" The problem with refurbished phones is it's not what you think it is. You should never buy refurbished electronic equipment ever. Why? Because refurbished isn't what you think it is. You you might think refurbished equipment means that they're taking something that doesn't work fixing it, and then selling it again. But it's, it's not new. It's an older phone, but they fixed whatever was wrong with it. But that's not really what most refurbished pieces of equipment really are. What that really means is that they receive something as a return with a complaint that it does not work. Now, sometimes the customer doesn't know what they're doing and complains about something that works perfectly fine. In which case, they test it, everything seems fine, they put it back out as refurbished, and, and you get a great deal because you get a much cheaper for refurbished, but in reality it was fine the whole way and it was used you know, just a few times. That's the best case. But in most cases, there is something wrong, but it's intermittent. So they test it, everything comes out fine, they go, oh, this person doesn't know what they were talking about, put it back out as a refurbished without ever changing anything, and then the next person who buys it has the same problem again. So that's what happened with me. They sent me my replacement phone for something that was only 25 days old and I paid full price for as a new phone. And it was even worse. It had all kinds of major problems. It was almost unusable. So I called them and said, how is this possible? They, they, they reluctantly admitted, after a lot of uh, pressing, that they sent me a refurbished phone and that they have a right to do so under their warranty. So I argued and argued, saying, look, it's only 25 days old. You know, Cut me some slack here. You, I paid full price for this. And this wasn't like, like with the Apple store, like with iPhones where you buy it through them and it's a third-party company. No, it, it was T-Mobile's phone. They were selling me the phone. So they could have easily replaced a new one. 25 days, and they admitted it wasn't my fault. 25 days, the phone goes bad. They are giving me a refurbished one as a replacement. And I, I said to them, look, say you bought a new car off a, off a new car lot, and uh, you paid full price for your new car, and 25 days into having the car, something goes wrong with it. Would you be okay if they just give you a used car? You'd say no. You'd say you're crazy. But that's what you're doing to me here with a phone. Except it's worse than a used phone. It's a, a used phone that doesn't work. So they were they would not budge. So finally I had to say, okay, send me another phone. So they sent me a third phone. That one also had major problems and it didn't work. I complained again. They sent me a fourth phone. Well, this fourth phone still had problems. The problems it had was the, the screen would just go blank every so often. And I couldn't see what I was doing. But it was better than the other phones I had, so I accepted it. I just I just dealt with it until the uh, I just dealt with it until the end of the contract and then uh, never went to T-Mobile again. But the entire time they were insisting that they were in the right, that it was perfectly fine that I paid full price for my phone. It went bad twenty five days later for no fault of my own, and that they could keep sending me crap refurbished phones that don't work. And that at some point they shouldn't just say, "Hey, sorry for this. We're going to send you a new one." They had the power to do it the whole way. They chose not to. But the worst thing was dealing with the customer service because they got nastier and nastier with me with each person I spoke to that was higher up on the chain. And eventually when I got to a manager there, he mocked me at some point and made fun of me. And I, I was shocked and I said, are you telling me it's part of t I said, is this really 
the way T-Mobile wants to represent themselves? Are you, is this uh, T-Mobile's policy to insult the customers? And he said, if the customer is refusing to accept what we're telling him, then yes. That was actually from a manager at T-Mobile. Like, a, like, like two levels up over the, the customer service rep. So, they had a very, very toxic corporate culture over there with how they treat customers. And very, very unreasonable with how they screwed me with that phone. Now, I can tell you from dealing with AT&T for the last uh, several years, I've had them for a long time, they would never do this. I've gotten a few bad reps at AT&T, but for the most part, I've gotten what was fair, sometimes even more than fair, from them. And had they sold me a phone that went bad after 25 days, and I raised a big issue about it, they would have sent me a new one. Maybe not right on the first request, but believe me, they would not have sent me three bad phones and still refused to do anything for me. They, that's not what they do, because I've had issues with them, with things have happened, and they've always made it right. They've always made it right. It sometimes takes a lot of arguing, sometimes takes getting to the right person. I'm not saying their customer service is perfect, but they've always eventually made it right. And this is over a period of many years where I've, uh, there's been a number of times they've been kind of put to the test. So there's a world of difference. Like what happened here just could not have happened with AT&T. This wasn't an outlier. I, try, I dealt with so many different reps, so many different managers. It was the same thing with every one of them. So I reject that they have best, the, you know, the best customer satisfaction. And I think it's for the reason I said. That they're cheaper, that people in, in metropolitan areas they don't travel around very much, that the service is pretty good. So... That's how they get the better customer satisfaction. And by the way, these, these ads they have about 99% uh, the coverage Verizon has, so why pay double? They, that's the big ad campaign T-Mobile's running. That is BS. Because the 99% is referring to the percentage of population they're covering. But it's not all about population with cell phones. Because if you think about it, think about the drive between LA and Vegas. A lot of this is desolate where the population is zero. But you would not want to have zero cell coverage in areas where the population is zero. A lot of times it's very important to have coverage there because if something happens when you're driving, there's no one to see it, except for other motorists. So you want to have a phone in those areas, especially. So you don't want long patches on a long drive where you have no no service in areas where there's no people. That's where you really want to have service. So... T-Mobile has a lot of those empty spots. And they cover that up by saying, no people live here. We cover 99% of the population. Well, yeah, you might. But it's the parts where there's no population that worry me. That you don't cover. So don't be tricked by that either. So what I'm saying here is that customer satisfaction surveys, they don't tell the whole story. It's not just about a few outliers had bad luck and that you can't worry about what they had. I understand that argument, but you've got to think, why are these customers satisfied? Why are they dissatisfied? And it may not match up to your needs. In general, you want to deal with a company that will do the right thing when presented with a situation where common sense would state that they should help you. Like with my cell phone breaking after 25 days situation. Any person with common sense would say, if I just paid full price for a new cell phone and 25 days into, the, into having it, it breaks through no fault of my own 
because just because it's effective, the right thing to do is replace it with a new phone or fix my phone, not to give me a refurbished phone. That's what common sense would say. I think most of you listening would believe that in that situation, I deserve a new phone or for them to fix my phone, not to give me a refurbished phone, especially a bad refurbished phone. But T-Mobile felt they should give me a bad refurbished phone. Tough luck on me. Why? Because their terms and conditions, they can get away with it. The ones they bury in 60 pages that you have, that, uh, you have to go to a website to read that no one does. That's, that's not being a good corporate citizen. That's not treating the customer with respect. And I don't mind paying a little bit more if I know when problems come up they're going to treat me with respect and that they're going to solve them. So be aware of that. Be aware that there's a reason T-Mobile's cheaper. There's a reason the Sprint is cheaper. A lot of times, the reason it's cheaper is because you're getting much less. They're not cheaper just because they hate money. They're not cheaper because they, they want to see you save money, or they, they, they like poor people and want poor people to be able to afford their, uh, their phone. It, usually it's cheaper because it's worse. Now, how it's worse, maybe you're willing to tolerate that. Maybe you don't need whatever's making the other companies more expensive. Maybe you're happier with uh, the cheaper one and you're willing to put up with the limitations it has. But there are limitations. So keep that in mind when you see customer satisfaction surveys. They don't mean everything. And I'll tell you, just from personal personal knowledge, from those I... I People I know who have had T-Mobile, no one I personally know with T-Mobile has ended up happy with them. Even people who were happy later come to me and go, you know what, you're right, they do suck. (laughs) It's always a problem. I know one thing they did just started doing was, you know, I use freeconference.com for my conference calls. And our one person on our team that has T-Mobile, they charge her 60 cents if she wants to dial that number. Oh, I heard about the call to listen line too. Not about the sixty cents, but I heard that someone—it wasn't T-Mobile, but some uh, some crappy cell phone provider—called uh, up a listener to this show and gave them a really hard time about calling the call to listen line because they quote didn't talk. That it's it's illegal to call something—not illegal, but it's against their terms of service to call anything where you don't speak. Which I thought was funny, but uh, kind of disturbing at the same time. Yeah, I mean they're listening in on their calls now. Yeah, I guess they. Yeah, I guess they have some kind of uh, analysis they have that they they run on calls or something and see if you speak too. If if, if anything's being transmitted from you, so they saw he made a long call to the call to listen line, didn't speak, and then gave him a hard time about it and said he can't do it anymore or they're going to you know, terminate his service. It was like a, he had an unlimited plan with some company, and they're, they're trying to prevent him from using services that are going to eat up a lot of minutes. They figure you're not going to call many people and speak for hours, but people make you know call a line like this and listen forever. So, right. uh, but it's bullshit. If you're giving unlimited unlimited calls, should be unlimited calls. It shouldn't be uh, unlimited calls except calls you're going to want to be on a long time. Like, uh, you know, what, what's next? They're going to say you can't call up uh, you can't call up your girlfriend more than a, a few hours because you're likely to speak to her a long time. Like, like you know, what, what is this? They, it's stupid. But yeah, that's uh, that's interesting that T-Mobile is trying to hit people with that uh, sixty cents to call. Yeah, well, you'd think they'd do like you know they're probably trying to do the the airline type thing where you get the minimum and now they get tra- start throwing all these charges at you for these various things. Yeah, I bet it, I bet I bet that is just very similar to what I was talking about with the call to listen where they they figure with freeconferencecall.com those are likely to be longer calls 
and they're trying to d- dissuade people from from using it. Or if they do, they're going to collect money from them. So that yeah, I, I hate things that are quote unlimited that they find ways to backdoor ways to charge you. They they sell you a plan and get you on a contract with your belief that something's unlimited and it's really not. And uh, so, and look, I, I I'm not thrilled with everything AT and T's done. Like they did the, they did the data throttling, which I hated, where they sold an unlimited plan to me for data, and then would and then restricted it after a certain usage. And, and throttled me down to 3G speeds. And I said, yeah, how can you do this? I bought unlimited data. And they said, no. Uh, we can throttle you down to 3G data because when you bought the plan, the only thing available is 3G data. So we're giving you the same thing you bought originally. You, we're just not giving you the, the 4G and, and other faster data, and LTE faster data uh, past a certain point because you never bought that in the first place. <laughs> and I said, that's ridiculous. I bought unlimited data. And... The, the need for fast data increases over time. This isn't just so I can browse web pages faster. It's just that everything is sending more data nowadays because they can. Because uh, everybody has more data, everybody has faster data. So, so now apps and, and web pages have a lot more on them than they used to. So now 3G data is just not useful for today's uh, apps and web pages you visit for the most part. So I, I, I said, you can't do that. Unlimited data is unlimited data, whatever the standard of the day is. So they, they, yeah, they argued with me, but when it was all done, uh, I switched my plan off this unlimited thing. You know, they, 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 had, they said they had no way in the system to change that stuff, throttling, but I did get them to give me like a settlement for it, where they gave me a, 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 a large bill credit and, and a special plan that they don't normally give to people you know, for cheaper because of what happened here. So even there I got something, even though I wasn't happy with what they did. So yeah, I mean, it, it, basically that's it. You know, can, can, can the customer service or a couple levels above are they empowered to make decisions like that? Right, and and, and they you and know, so, give you things or trade your phone or whatever it is. Yeah, and like for, here's another example with AT and T that was good. I I, call, I recently uh, it actually wasn't even for me because I'm on a family plan, but someone on the family plan wanted to upgrade their phone, and I called them. I said, "What promotions do you have right now to upgrade?" To, uh, to an iPhone 7 from an iPhone 5S. And they said, well, we don't have any at the moment other than we give, uh, we'll allow you to break it up into 24 payments uh, per month, you know, one per month for 24 months at no interest. I go, well, that doesn't really help me. I, it, I, I'm not, I can afford to buy the phone. I just would like some kind of deal here. And, the, you know, just letting me split the same price over 24 months doesn't do anything for me. I said, if I, if I was... A low-income person, this would be great for me because now I wouldn't have to fork over eight hundred dollars up front to get the phone. That would be great, but but for me, who has the eight hundred dollars up front, this is not very helpful. So, after a lot of back and forth, I said I wanted two hundred dollars off the phone, and believe it or not, they said okay, buy the phone, and when uh, when you activate it, call us back, and we'll give you two hundred dollar bill credit. And I did, and I called back and got two hundred dollar bill credit. So. You know, like, you push for these things, you get it. Where T-Mobile, they would have given me the big middle finger on this one. There's no way they would have said okay to that. So they, there are people empowered there at AT&T to do things like this, whereas uh, T-Mobile, they're not. And, and a lot of these no-frills or low-frills services are not. The, the airlines, Southwest, you ever try to... Southwest, they have great customer satisfaction, but you ever try to do anything out of the ordinary with them, they're going to say no. And I had that experience too with them. They they outright cheated me out of a hundred dollars in a story I won't go into again. But Southwest did that because it was kind of an out of the box situation that they had to 
use common sense to deal with, and they 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 were incapable. So they they outright cheated me out of a hundred bucks. So just be aware of that. Just because on on the standard stuff you deal with them, they seem okay on the surface. As soon as a problem comes up, you're going to be in trouble. And that's 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 what you're getting by taking some of these uh, bargain services. So uh, my grandfather once said, I'm not rich enough to afford a bargain. And I like that quote because I, despite my reputation for being a cheap Jew, which I am often, but I, being a cheap Jew does not mean you buy crap or always get the cheapest thing. It means you're always looking for value, but it doesn't mean you're always getting the worst, the, the very cheapest thing, because sometimes the cheapest thing actually has bad value when it's all said and done. Uh, if it, you know, for example, would would you rather buy if you, there's two products that are pretty much the same thing but of different quality? If the low quality one is ten dollars and it's going to last for two months, and the high quality one is forty dollars and it's going to last for a year, which is the better deal? The forty dollar yeah, one. That's, it's a forty dollar one for sure. And the, the only the only exception to that is if uh, there's some ob- obsolescence there, or after a year that it's really obsolete. But aside from that, uh, the forty dollar one's always a better deal. And also just for the hassle, just to have something break and have to replace, it's a pain in the ass too. So that's why. Um, same with like even buying like soda at the store. I'll see the you know uh, a two liter of Coke is a dollar twenty nine. The store brand soda is eighty nine cents. I, I don't buy the eighty nine cents. Uh, well, store brand soda because it tastes like crap. It's not worth it. It's not worth saving forty cents there. You know, it's, it's so sometimes buying the cheaper thing is not the smarter thing to do. Uh, I, I talk about hotels where a lot of times the cheapest hotels are the worst value. If you buy a complete piece of crap hotel room, it's awful for fifty nine dollars, but you can buy a decent middle of the road hotel for. Uh, for $95, you should do the 95 because you're getting a gigantic uh, leap in quality for not that much more money. Whereas going from that $95 room up to one that's really, really expensive at the nicest hotel in town for you know, $350 a night, maybe you don't want to do that. Maybe you're happy, maybe the 95 is good enough. But you shouldn't take that horrible hotel room for 59 if a, a pretty good one is available for 95 So that's. That, that's what I mean. Often the very cheapest option on things is, is not the best. And not even the best value. And that's that's where a lot of people make mistakes. That's where a lot of people think they're being smart consumers and they're not. Uh, sometimes they, they... You'll cook the enjoyment out of anything you buy or pay for by, by getting the very lowest or worst option. Where just a little bit more money you'll get something much better that you would have enjoyed much more. So... Always watch out for that. This is an example. So, uh, and in general, forget the surveys. In general, sometimes it's better just to listen to people you know. You know, ask people you know on your Facebook. You know, has anyone used T-Mobile? What's your experiences? And if you have a lot of people with horror stories that you can kind of relate to, like that you can easily see happening to you, but don't go, don't go with them. I mean, just it's unscientific, but sometimes that's just. Uh, the best way to do it. Like, you, you guys know, even though I, I do, I'll, I'll go at it a lot with customer service uh, reps and companies that, that are screwing me in some way. 
you know, I'm, I'm not shy about doing that. I'll do it a lot. But you know that I, the story I'm telling you about the phone, you guys know it was true. I'm sure you guys are not doubting that this really happened as I said it did. So after I just told that story, do you think if you guys have any issue with T-Mobile, unless they've changed a lot, but I, I haven't heard they have, but given that they're still the same as they were back then, do you think if you have something similar, they're going to treat you fairly? They're not. So, as long as it's someone credible is telling you a story that's representative of, of, of the culture there, you should beware. Now, if, if you're if you're living from hand to mouth and that money that money you're saving between what AT and T charges and what T Mobile charges, if that's a big deal to you, then yeah, go with the cheaper one if that's all you can afford. I understand that, but. Uh, yeah, just, just in general, it's uh, it's not the best idea to always go with the cheapest thing. That's occasionally it is, usually it isn't. I I, I go through all this this all the time when I'm picking uh, pretty much anything to buy. I'll go on Amazon and uh, look at the various brands, and when I see like most of the items of what I want to buy, if my choices, most of them are like twenty four, twenty five dollars. And there's some really expensive ones, you know, for $65, 70 and then there's these ones for $9. I don't buy the $9 one. I know it's going to be crap. I know it's going to be some crap made in China that's going to break after two days. By the way, the, 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 with everything made in China these days, like with so many things made in China, it, it really sucks the poor quality of things that you buy these days. So many things break so fast. Do you, you find that, Trader Ruski? No, definitely. I mean, there's, you know, especially like iPhone chargers. Or oh, yeah, they're terrible. Yes, yes, the chargers are the worst. I know. I know. They, 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 there's so many things that are poorly made in China, and they, like, oh, it, it's so tilting. Like, so many times I just wish I could just pay more and just just get something of quality. Yeah, but, and some of them are good, though. I mean, it is a crapshoot. They do have these ones, if anybody's looking for iPhone chargers, um, they're like nylon and they're six foot cords, or three foot, three feet, three or four feet, and they come like three for twenty bucks. Those are great. I, I'm going to want you to send those links. I, I, you're talking about the like, to like the Apple Lightning cables, and the, those are so tilting to me because let me tell you a few problems I have with these. Okay, first of all, do you find that your car is very sensitive to when they go bad? Like they go bad in your car. Like your car when they're slightly bad will refuse to take them anymore. Is this? No, I mean I haven't had that. I, I, you know, the one cord I'm currently using has worked for a while. Okay, so. maybe, I don't know if it's just BMWs, but every car I've owned, every time a, co- a cord just gets slightly bad, where it works fine in a, char- a regular charger, in the car it stops working. It starts doing this on-off, on-off, on-off charging thing, which, which, which is just awful. So you, so what I have to keep doing is swapping around the cords. Where like once it starts doing this, I have to grab another cord in my house that. Because I can move that same cord into a regular charger at home, and it's fine. But then, like, I have to take the really pristine ones and put it in the car. And then once they stop being pristine, because I'm bending it around in the car from you know, from moving the phone around, then then I have to keep swapping them, and eventually I run out and I have to go buy a new one. Like, I go through this, and then I, I got one of these that was like a, like you said, like a more of a fiber thing, more than, rather than this plastic cord. And I was all proud of it, and then that started doing that too. <laughs> so... So I, I still can't find one that doesn't eventually do this. And and then I've also had some... And these were even Apple-made cables. I had one actually catch on fire while I was sleeping, of all things. And unfortunately, it didn't burn wow. down my house. Yeah, this is what happened. It was This is a, like last year, early last year. Maybe even late, late 2015. Some, some, something around a year ago. 
uh, I had this cord that had kind of become frayed to where it still worked, but it, but the wires were exposed. This, I saw some bare wires on it, but it, it still worked. So I was still using it. I'm going, well, it still works. I don't care if there's bare wires exposed. Well, big mistake because, like, uh, it must have created some spark or something while I was using it, while I was charging. I, I, like, I didn't do anything to create the spark. It was charging an iPad overnight. And I, I woke up, and the whole thing is burnt. Like, it burnt down it. Like, it, like a fire went on it and burnt down the plastic. And fortunately, it must have not been that major of a fire. It put itself out before it got any further. It didn't even burn the iPad. But it, but it, it was a real fire. I mean, I saw the whole thing was burnt up. So... Uh, and it was all, while I was sleeping. It could have been really bad. So I said, "Okay, next time I see the the, the bare wires exposed, I'm not. I'm just not going to use them anymore." But uh, and then with the Apple Store, they're like hit and miss. Like I, there's there's one Apple Store by me that's awful. Like you bring in a, you bring in the wires there, and they just they treat you like like you're like you caused it, and that they, they won't replace it, and they're terrible, and they're terrible. Like anything you ask them. But then I went to the, the second closest Apple Store, which is still kind of far. But I went there and when I was in the area and just took a shot with it and I brought in the burnt wire and, and like two others that were bad. And the guy was really nice. He's like, oh, hold on. Let me go some, get some more for you. So he goes and just gives me like, you know, like like replacements, including one super long one. And he gave me like even one more than I actually brought in. So, and didn't charge me a penny, which they're telling me the other store they can't do and there's no way they can do. Like, you know, they're... So anyway, uh, depends which Apple store you get and who you get there. But... Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see one of those wires. And I, you know, I learned just like you, I, I like I. You're saying the ones that are good were made in China because I found all the ones that are made in China are really terrible. I think they are. I just sent you the link. Okay. Well, if if they've worked for you, that's that's I'll try. But they're it. like, yeah, they're like three for. Uh, they're eleven ninety nine on sale now. So far, the ones I've had the best luck with of the ones I have bought is, is the Amazon Basics uh, wires. Those were actually those have actually done the best so far. They're called Amazon Basics. You know, they make a lot of uh, products yeah. like that. So that was actually pretty good quality so far. What I've gotten there, but yeah, you know, I, I may try these too. I actually probably have to buy a few more because I I actually just had one with bare wires that I I saw sticking out. I'm like, okay, actually, you know what has bare wires right now? Something related to this radio show. The this uh, this headset I have, which is like a professional grade headset that's used by sportscasters. That's what this headset is. It's like the same headset you see them wearing in uh, NBA games. Mm-hmm. And uh, it needs an amplifier to work with a computer. So there's an amplifier that goes through. And the charge, the, the power supply to the amplifier, which is made in China, by the way, now has bare wires. Which doesn't worry me that much because I'm right with it. So if it were to catch fire, the worst thing that would happen is the radio would stop. But like I never have it in unless I'm on the radio. So... It, the only danger from these things if you they're, they're just on unattended but i saw that i'm like oh crap the bare wire thing again they, it just happened so easily i like I, I don't abuse them it just has happened from use over time so it's yeah it's frustrating I'll, so I'll, I'll try it you know i'm willing to take recommendations for these things let's take a look at the text messages uh, from the 916, I've had Sprint for about 14 years now and enjoyed the unlimited data plan as well. T-Mobile drafts off the major services anyway. They don't have their own towers. Yeah, that's that's also true. Uh, uh, from the 505, I used to work for the T-Mobile call center. Our pay bonus was based on how high we scored on customer surveys. One call I gave away four Galaxy phones free back when they were new. I wish I got this guy. Uh, 
And he said about Brian Stowe that Brian Stowe shit is horrible looking at the article. How these guys got not get at least 20 years? They basically ended that guy's life. You can damage a mailbox to get more time. The justice system's a joke. It is. Not only that, one of the guys that had actually they both had uh, criminal records too. Like uh, one of them had beaten his wife. The other one had weapons violations in the past and committed some kind of robbery. Like, uh, how did these guys not get locked up for a real long time? That was crazy. Uh, the uh, even the seven three four. How the fuck have you never heard of the show Stranger Things? Millie Bobby Brown is God. Deal Calawat, uh, the the greatest of all time. Tom Brady, the goat. I love D- Jim Caldwell. That's from Lou Father, by the way. And he says, can, he also said, can we holler at J-Stat, a proud goy, goyim scum, like I am. <laughs> <laughs> this is from uh, 805 regarding Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart is a regular in Dan Bilzerian's private game with Steve Aoki, John Robert Belland, and Bill Perkins. Uh, the source is the aforementioned player's Instagram accounts. Hart is apparently a novice at Nilibit Hold'em. In one particular 100k pot against Bilzerian, he checked the nuts on the river in position because the pot was big enough. <laughs> wow, that's, that's pretty nice to have an opponent going to check the nuts back on the river to, because he doesn't. He feels he's already won enough money. He doesn't need to beat you anymore. That's a guy who doesn't care about money much. And yeah, John Robert Belland. How lucky is he that he's like getting invited to these type of games and probably getting back too? Like, how perfect is that situation for him? And uh, like to get invited to these games, that's the big thing. Invite the invitation and the bankroll, and I bet he's getting both. He's probably getting backed by Bulzarian. So, John Robert is very good at uh, ingratiating ingratiating himself to people, and uh, just getting people to like him and want to help him. I remember one time I played with John Robert at uh, Commerce, and he said. Hey, do you mind if I don't put all the money on the... T- he says, I'm going to show you this money here. I'll pay you if I lose it to you. But do you mind if I... And he said, ask this to me and a few others at the table. Do you mind if I don't put it on the table? Because if people see me with all this money on the table who I owe money, they're going to want to come and get it from me. <laughs> That's hilarious. So that, that, was, that happened about 10 years ago, I'd say. Uh, he said... Uh, from the 480 regarding Raymer. Sounds like Raymer is following the JSIP update logic. By the way, JSIP has been paying again. He's paid uh, some money since December again. So, In fact, I think he's paid as recently as January 2nd. So, We're slowly but surely extracting some money out of JSIP. I mean, he owes $12,000 or owed $12,000, but we've gotten a few K out of him already. So that's uh, it's making a little progress. Not as much as I'd like to see, but he is paying, which... A scammer like that who gets gets you for this much money to recover anything is a victory. Usually these people just get away clean and never get a dime off them. And yeah, I, I give credit to the tenacity of the community for tracking Jacep down, finding that he had a new girlfriend, a new job, and basically he he had the closest to a stable life that he's ever had and that the people on the forum said to Jacep, okay, we're going to ruin this whole thing and let everyone know what you were unless you start coughing up the money to us. And it worked. Yeah, so he's paying back. And uh, that's what needs to be done sometimes. And uh, sometimes if you if you find uh, someone who ripped you off, if they have something to lose by that 
coming out and you tell them you just tell them look uh, it's I'm going to mess everything up for you unless you start paying me. They'll start paying you. That's what Jacep's doing. So, uh, I believe Jacep is pretty broke, and that's why you know he's got to be actively working to pay. I don't believe he's paying fully to his ability to pay, but I, I, I think that he couldn't pay the whole thing or anywhere near that now if he wanted to. But, uh, you know, a few hundred here, a few hundred there, it starts to add up over time. And eventually... Everyone either gets made whole or close to whole, and while it's terrible the whole thing happened in the first place, I, I give a lot of props to the community for staying on his case and eventually uh, receiving it. Let's see. How much How much does he pay here? Uh, yeah, he's paid a few. I, I don't know how... It hasn't been updated, the payment log, so I don't know, but uh, he's paid, uh, it looks like he's paid uh, a few thousand already. Three thousand, four thousand, something like that. You could ask Brandon and Trinity Maniac, they know this best. They've been the ones managing it. Um, Here's an update I want to give you guys... uh, an update about an old story we ran on Poker Fraud Alert uh, Radio a while ago. Back in 2013, I was posting on 2 Plus 2. That shows you how long it was. When I actually had a 2 Plus 2 account that was in good standing. Uh, there is a, a guy named Chuck Kidd who ran the Poker Players Network and PIC Club. And a guy on 2 Plus 2 uh, was complaining about that, and I suggested to come over to Poker Fraud Alert and post about it. He said, uh, Chuck Kidd is a, poker, is a scammer and a thief. Shortly after U.S.-based players lost the use of NetTeller, Chuck Kidd established the PIC Club as an alternative payment solution for U.S. players. We were encouraged to leave money in our common shares account as that money accrued some sort of interest. We were also assured of the safety of our funds. I wanted to wait six months from my last attempted withdrawal before making this thread, and that time has elapsed. After a few half-hearted responses to my questions where the money was, Chuck Kidd and the Pick Club have responded, stopped responding to any communication. The chat feature on the website has been inoperative for months now, and I thought that I could see my balance when I'm logged into my account, but I don't think it's actually there. Chuck Kidd has been active in the poker community in the past, doing various radio and podcast interviews. There are some of you who may know him personally. I've tried to contact him on his Twitter accounts, but had no luck. Do not trust this man. He's a scammer and a thief. This is from a guy calling himself House Rocker. And anyway... Uh, it turned out that, yeah, uh, people didn't get paid. So, an update was posted by someone named No Name Yet, who also posted in January 2016 about Chuck Kidd and posted again in 2017. So, he posted yesterday, Chuck Kidd added seven new photos on December 9th, 2016. He said, I'm considering bringing back Poker Room USA for American players. I guess that's some uh, site he was running. Uh, I have the complete software for this, and it, it was originally lost, launched in 2011. I'm looking for a partner to cover server hardware and hosting costs. I will supply all the software and customer service to begin. After we're running and seeing a profit, we split 50-50. Where have you heard this before? <laughs> it sounds just like uh, the investment opportunity for the PPC. Anyway, 
So he's trying to get this whole thing going again. So yeah, if you if you know Chuck Kidd, I would stay far, far away, according to everything I've read here. Looks like he's trying to get all this running again years later. So it looks like the scam with the pick club dates back to 2012. The leopards never change their spots. So I thought I'd mention that with a recent update from this no-name-yet person. I don't know who they are, how reliable they are, but I think I believe it. Usually when there's a guy accused of scamming and he disappears and then someone else shows up with an update, usually the update is correct. That's typically the way it goes. I see I got a message privately from Bobby Orr saying Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too. I've met him before. He's a nice guy. Uh, anyway. I think we're about done. Trader Ruski, thank you for joining me here. I think I think it was a coincidence. I think when I lost you and and, and Calwatt, I think what happened was Calwatt fell asleep and you lost connection because of walking your dog. Yeah, he said, I, I, I got to pass out, he wrote. Okay, I think it was a coincidence. Wow. You still here, Trader Risky? Uh-oh. Did we lose? I think, I think we've lost everything. I think we've lost it all. I think it's just me. I want to tell you guys about something before I end this show. I think I'll just cut Trader Ruski since he's asleep. Okay, so see we have that kind of in the background. It kind of just if he's actively with me, it, uh, it's fine to have that. But if he's asleep, I might as well not have that background noise. So I, I'm going to tell you guys something. Just, you know, just me and the rest of you now because everybody's asleep. You might be hearing this in the archives. You probably are. It's one thirty in the morning here on the West Coast. And I have a problem with my computer. I bought this computer in November of 2015. It's an HP Envy computer. And I'm happy with the computer except for two things. So shortly after having the computer, the Ethernet port got pushed in. Just for no, I wasn't abusive with it. It just, it just got pushed in just from normal use. Because I, I actually hardwire this show to an internet connection, so I'm not dependent upon uh, Wi-Fi for it. So I, I was disappointed when I found out from them that I have to send in the computer for repair and wait two weeks. I said, I'm not going to go without it for two weeks just to fix an Ethernet port. It's not worth it. So I just went and bought a, a cheap USB Ethernet, rep- uh, Ethernet port, which works fine and I've been using for this show. But uh, something else happened to the computer starting late October, and it's progressively getting worse. And that is my keyboard, which is not removable or detachable anyway. It's just uh, a line of keys does not work anymore. And when I say don't work, I can get it if I just bang it over and over and over and over, but it's really hard. But it's intermittent. Like, sometimes it'll fix itself, and then it'll get worse again. But it's the 8i k and comma keys and if you look they're all like in a column almost like they're they're all next to each other eight i k comma and then for whatever reason the right bracket also doesn't work which is not all that close to those other ones but eight i k comma don't work which means something's going on in that little line there and i'm gonna have to send it in because i can't stand this anymore 
fortunately, I'm still under warranty. I never buy extended warranties, but I got this extended warranty for free because of the Ethernet port thing. I was pissed that I like my choice was just to do without it or do without the computer for two weeks. So as, as a, an act of good faith, they gave me an extra year of the warranty. That's like a compensation for this, and it turns out I needed it because after the year was over, that's when this keyboard thing happened. So I guess it started shortly before the year point, but it got much worse after the year point. So while I'm doing this show trying to look up things on web pages or whatever, I keep needing the I or the K, and I can't do it, and I'm going crazy. So if I've seemed distracted at times when I'm trying to look something up, that's why. It's very, very frustrating. You know, try try using a keyboard where those keys just don't work. You're just going to go nuts. But I do have an external keyboard. I've been plugging into it, but it, it's it's a pain in the ass to have a laptop with an external keyboard. It's just very awkward, and I, for radio, I didn't want it. So Let me think of anything else. We'll probably be back on Thursday, which will be January 12th. Probably around 7.30 p.m. I'm not guaranteeing it. Follow twitter.com slash pokerfraudalert, and I will announce as soon as I know when we're coming back. We will do a show next week for sure. I just think Wednesday's too soon. Like, it's already Sunday right now. It's, it's early, early Sunday. But, like, to come back in three and a half days, it just seems weird. I know, I know some people do shows every day, but that's because they, they do short shows. Like, I do pretty much like a week's worth of shows in one show. Because people who do like hour-long shows, they can do it five days a week, but we're doing here five-hour shows, six-hour shows, once a week. Which some people spread out over a week to listen to. Anyway, I think I'm about done here. Hope everybody had a good New Year's. I know what I want to talk about before we end the show. Uh, Mariah Carey. I just thought of New Year's, and it was weird because I I usually have plans for New Year's, but this year I didn't. This is the first year in a long time I didn't have something to do on New Year's. So I was just at home with my family, and Benjamin was excited to see the ball drop. You know, the Times Square ball. Now, it was three hours delayed, of course, on the West Coast, but... You're seeing it as if it's live. It's just run three hours behind. And I told Benjamin about it. He's seen it before, but I, I guess it didn't fascinate him that much before. But this year he was very fascinated about it and, for, in fact, forgot he'd ever seen it. I guess because we kind of had it just in the background and whatever, wherever we were, but because we were at home this time, it was more of the like kind of the event. And I, I used to be very big into seeing that when I was like his age, too. Like, I remember, I think the first time I remember seeing it was 1978, when I was his age. So, I turned on New Year's Rockin' Eve at, I don't know, around 11.50, and I had just missed the most interesting part of the whole show and didn't realize, and that was Mariah Carey. That Mariah Carey came on to do... uh, various songs of hers, but uh, she wasn't able to hear anything in her earpiece due to malfunction, and that kind of exposed the fact that she was lip-syncing and semi-lip-syncing much of her performance, or at least that was what was planned. Uh, She first did a rendition of Auld Lang Syne, 
And while it sounded pretty good, you could see in the video of that uh, on New Year's Rock and Eve, you could see that uh, it wasn't totally matching with her lips. And there was even one point she like put down the mic and, and it still sang. So, like, there's one point where she stopped singing and it was still you still heard her voice. So, that was a total lip sync there. She must have pre-recorded that. Then, the next song was Emotions, a song from 1991 that was pretty big. And you might remember in Emotions, it had some really, really high notes. And that's how she got famous. She got famous in 91. She was very young then. I think she was uh, 20 or 21, something like that. And she was famous for these really, really high notes that she could sing that even most professional female singers could not reach. But your voice changes. Your singing voice changes, and not in a good way, as you get older. So Mariah Carey, I think she's 46. And at that age, it's hard to do those super high notes that most people couldn't do even in their prime. So... Mariah Carey could do them in her prime, but I, I always wondered when she performs now, how could she hit those notes anymore? Is it 46, you start to lose a lot of your range. In fact, it probably happened a long time ago for her. So I, I had wondered what she did about that. Well, we got our answer because she couldn't hear anything coming through her earpiece, like the background music, and she it was weird she claimed she couldn't hear it at all over the crowd, but it, it sounded pretty loud over the TV. But anyway... You could hear the background track they were playing for her for emotions, and most of it was not lip synced. Like, like most of it was for her to sing, and you could tell that because you were you were hearing what was playing in the background, and most of it was just music. But there were a few parts where her voice was dubbed, including the super high notes. So that one was supposed to be semi lip synced, where she she would sing live the easy parts, but then the really hard parts, like those high notes, she'd pretend to sing them. And it would actually be a recording from a long time ago. Now, you can almost excuse that. You say, well, Mariah Carey's 46. You know, how many 46-year-olds can do high notes like that? Probably none. So you can say, okay, Father Time took that away from her, but if she's singing the rest of it, it's excusable. But the next song she did, I forgot the name of it, it was some song she did from 2005 I didn't know very well. That one was a complete lip sync because she attempted to do that one. She kind of walked to a different part of the stage. And that one was the entire song. And again, like when she put down the mic or or didn't move her mouth, it still went. So that one was just... And that one didn't have any really high notes, probably because she couldn't do them anymore in 2005. But for whatever reason, that was completely lip synced. And she tried half-heartedly to do it, but it didn't come out well. And then eventually she just walked off stage when... This whole thing wasn't going well for her. So there's there's been a lot of talk about this. And then she tried to blame Dick Clark Productions, the company that puts together New Year's Rock and Eve, even though Dick Clark is dead, for t- intentionally sabotaging her performance. <laughs> Come on. They're going to invite her on the show and then sabotage her performance, which is supposedly like the most performance, the, the most important performance, the one that's right before... Midnight, I think she started at like 11.45. They're going to sabotage that? Like, why invite her there if they're going to sabotage it? And, and furthermore, uh, like, I'm hearing rumors that she just refused a sound check. Not just rumors. Like, like, several people stated that she was refusing to do sound checks and 
she refused to take a lot of the precautions they asked her to take before the performance. But either way, I know a lot of performers lip sync, but it's just it's just so lame that that's being done. Like, why even have a big name performer come on and just lip sync to past performances they've done? You're not hearing them sing. All you're doing is seeing them. And Mariah Carey looks very good for her age. Uh, I, I thought she looked really good. And you look at her and see she's 46 and uh, everything looks good. Her body looks good. Her uh, face looks good. I mean, she looks incredible for 46, but if she can't sing anymore, or if she can't, if, if her singing is only a shadow of its former self, then she shouldn't be performing. At least not on a, especially not on a grand stage like uh, Times Square for New Year's Eve. I mean, look at all the outrage we had years ago about Millie Vanilli not really singing on their own records. This is not much different if you have a past Mariah Carey singing as the present one. If, if we're just hearing a recording of her recording things in the past as her performance in the present. It's, it's pretty much fraud. And I, I know a lot of performers do this. I just, I think it's lame. I think it's awful. I think it's uh, not giving the audience uh, what they believe they're getting. At least in Times Square, people didn't pay to be there. But it, it's really bad in, in venues where people paid something to be there. And they're not getting the performance they're expecting. Even things like the Super Bowl. You're there to watch the game, but you're also there to watch the halftime performers. The halftime performers should be by someone... Who can actually sing? And just because you could sing 20 years ago or 10 years ago doesn't mean you can sing today. Things change. Much like we're no longer watching, uh, you know, we're not watching 45-year-old athletes, 50-year-old athletes play, even if they were great when they were in their 20s and 30s. When they're no longer great because their body is no longer letting them be great, they retire and that's it. They make much less money. In some cases, no money, depending on what endorsements they can get or other jobs they can get. But they're they're not going to make the money they did. They're not going to be as famous as they once were. They're not going to be as relevant as they once were to everyday conversation. But that's the way it goes. There are some things that you lose as you get older. That's the way life is. So I, I I think Mariah Carey shouldn't have been there in the first place. And they should have... At New Year's Rock and Eve, I don't think they sabotaged her, but they should have greater control of the process where she's not allowed to use tracks that she lip-syncs to or partially lip-syncs to. I mean, they, they just shouldn't have that. They should just say, okay, we're, we're not going to have you. You need to, you need to sing everything. We're not going to let you play a track like that. But the problem is... So much is about appearances that they don't care. They don't. There's no purity to the performance. To show you how impure that whole New Year's Rock and Eve show is, and I've talked about this before, is the Hollywood version of the party. You'll see this Hollywood version of the party that's hosted by Fergie. They do every year. That's all fake. They say it was recorded earlier, but what they don't say is that it was recorded weeks earlier. So you're seeing... 
a party which is really attended by actors. That's really what it is. That they're hiring out-of-work actors to pretend to be having fun at that party hosted by Fergie. And it's a New Year's party, and they're all wearing the New Year's gear, the New Year's glasses and hats and all that stuff. On, like, December 10th. That's when they record the thing. The whole thing's phony. Can you imagine going on December 10th, wearing all this New Year's gear and pretending you're celebrating the New Year when it's weeks away? Just so it can be played on December 31st and implied as if it was recorded a few hours earlier? They don't say it was recorded a few hours earlier, but it says recorded earlier. So you see recorded earlier, you just picture it was recorded a few hours ago, not it was recorded a few weeks ago. So that whole thing's phony. In fact, it was funny. Benjamin, even he was bothered by that. Like I, I explained it to him, and he kept complaining about the fake Hollywood party. He kept saying, why are they doing a fake Hollywood party? I don't want to see the fake Hollywood party. He kept, he kept complaining about the fake Hollywood party. He didn't even understand why they would do such a thing. So much on TV is phony. So much on TV is manufactured. So much which appears to be happening is really not. You guys may remember when I had Dave Lehrman on here. Maybe I'll have him on sometime again. He was someone who appeared on all these reality shows and daytime TV shows. and He pretty much trolled these shows and trolled the media. Because he'd make up so many things and appear on there. And they did no checking, no due diligence. In some cases, they even knew he was full of crap and put him on anyway because he seemed interesting. His story seemed good. He had so many different stories of things that he did where he appeared on TV claiming one thing or putting on an act of some other thing that's supposed to be real but was completely fake. He went on court shows doing that. And in a lot of cases, he told me that as long as he didn't outright tell them it was fake, that it was kind of like a don't ask, don't tell situation, where if, like if he appears on a court show and the story is interesting, that even if the producers all realize that they're making it up and it's, it's all full of crap, and that the people who are supposedly suing one another are friends and cahoots just to appear on TV and get the money, as long as it makes good TV, they just don't ask any questions. Whereas if you tell them it's fake, they won't put you on. But if, if you tell them it's real, they're not going to look into it very much. And they're going to just believe you by default as long as you don't tell them it's a lie. So that's why I don't watch reality TV. It's, it's all staged. It's all embellished. It's not interesting to me. It's not interesting to me to see something that's presented as real, which is actually fake. Everything I want to watch on TV, I want it to either be totally real or fake and presented as fake. So I don't mind watching scripted dramas because they're supposed to be fake. They're supposed to be characters that you know are characters that are being played by actors that are pretending to be other people. Acting out a story that you know was written by someone. I don't mind watching that because it's not presented to me as if it's real. They're not trying to fool me. So, that's why I don't watch so-called reality TV. Whereas, like, real reality TV, I might be interested in if it existed. It doesn't, but if it did exist, if you really got to watch something unfiltered and not manufactured and not 
staged. But you could just watch something happening the way it actually happens. That could be interesting, depending upon what it is. I always said that Kent Scaler's life would be really interesting to watch as like a reality show. If you just had a camera on him 24-7. Minus his uh, little stops in the Starbucks bathroom. <laughs> anyway. I just mentioned the other day that Ken Scaler didn't owe me any money. And then he... Uh, I, I think you guys heard this last week when he was on the show. He... he called up and uh, begged for a loan. So, he claims that I'll be fully repaid by the end of the month. What a pain in the ass. His justification was that he works a seasonal job, similar to JSIP, actually. Except Ken Scaler doesn't scam anyone, but uh, it was similar to JSIP, where he works like a seasonal job, or, or it wasn't totally seasonal, but like it's it's during the Christmas break, he doesn't work at all, and he didn't have any money, so... Anyway, I, I floated him some money for January, which hopefully I won't regret. Uh, Larry Laffer, hello. Well, hello. Well, since you're talking about uh, Master Scaler there, do you think he's going to be upset about the news about Coachella? Probably a little bit. But yeah, I know Larry's talking about the like a like an owner of of AEG, which puts on Coachella that they've. I mean, he is famous for Coachella. Like, if you Google K Rock Ken. Oh yeah, yeah. Ken it's is famous. Everywhere. Oh, Ken is famous for for his uh, fandom of Coachella. He's, he's especially be- well known for being in the front row all the time at the concerts he goes to at Coachella. He just he's, he has this talent to always get in the front. But but anyway, Ken. Uh, he, so Larry was saying that Ken is probably going to be unhappy that the one of the owners of AEG who puts on Coachella donates to a lot of right wing causes, including. Uh, some super right wing causes like anti gay causes and things like that, but climate change, climate change denial. Yeah, so uh, the truth is, Ken will be upset. I'm sure he knows about this. He's always reading the news, so I'm sure he knows about it. But it's not going to stop him from going. Like Coachella, he lives for Coachella. Like Coachella is such a big thing to him every year. So nothing's going to stop him from going there. I, I think the devil could run so, Coachella. So he has morals, but he's willing to sell them out for Coachella. Yeah, no. If, if the devil was running Coachella, he would go. Yeah, see, he's he's never going to stop going Coachella. This is a the Coachella is like, it's like a those two weekends are like the highlight of his year every year. That's uh, that's what he looks forward to. It's it's huge. So believe me, in that uh, he's not going to stop going there. And he's he's already purchased the tickets anyway. In fact, I, I he purchased them through me. He doesn't have a credit card, so you know I buy them for him, and then he he pays me back, and uh, and I, I I meet with him and give him the tickets. So. That he's paid off. He doesn't owe me money for those. He just borrowed some money this month. But all right then. Yeah. So yeah, he's. Uh, so I'm sure he won't be happy about that news, but it's not. It's not going to stop him. What do you think about that news? Well, I don't go What's to. Your Co- opinion? You know, like I don't even go there to Coachella. I'm not into that type of music. Uh, I, I don't have much of an opinion on it, you know, because there's, there's people. You're going to donate to whatever causes that they believe in, and and a lot of times it's not causes that I like or that I would ever donate to. Or but but uh, okay, let's say like some country music festival that you you would want to go to. 
is in a situation like this where the owners of it do something so egregious you can't agree with it, do you still go? How far are you willing to go? It depends on the situation. I, I can't make a blanket statement one way or the other. Uh, and see, there, there's this whole thing kind of came up with uh, like like with Chick Fil A, with people not wanting to go there because of of certain uh, religious Christian views they had that some saw as, as being anti-gay. And uh, it, there's a line you have to draw. You have to understand that each company and each individuals in charge of the companies are going to have political or social views that don't match yours and are sometimes going to take the money they make from, from the company and donate it to causes you don't like. And Now, if I were to stop patronizing every company that donated money to candidates or causes I didn't like, then there'd probably be very few companies that I could use. So at some point, you have to draw a line at some point of whatever is bothering you enough to where you won't want to use it anymore. Like in the example yeah. with Ken and Coachella, he loves Coachella so much that I couldn't see this happening. And I'll tell you, if there's something I really loved a whole lot and and someone, and then I found out the owner or one of the major owners was donating a lot to something I really didn't like or approve of, it would be very tough. It would be a very tough situation to say, "Am I going to give this up, or you know, or, or do I have to necessarily approve of how this guy is spending the money?" Uh, I, I think it'd be harder to, to to support the company if 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 the one who is doing is is actually committing some kind of crime himself or something. Like if I find out the owner of a of, of a company that I I've been patronizing is, is is molesting little boys and is you know it's clear he's doing it, but somehow he's getting away with it because there's not enough proof. At that point, do I still want to patronize the company? Then that then I have to think. Well, this guy's a you know this guy's actually committing heinous crimes. I, I don't want to give him any more money. But but uh, or or if a company cheats me personally in some way, then I, I won't want to support them anymore just for. for Reasons that I, I don't feel they deserve my business, but if it's if it's the owner or one of the owners who's contributing to causes I don't agree with, I mean this happens all the time with me where there's there's I, where I find that is the case, but I just say well I, I can't tell everyone how they spend their money and at some point it's overreaching by demanding that every company you use spends the money you wish the way you wish they did on, on their personal causes. So okay, well. Good explanation, then I guess. Yeah, so it depends. Like it, it depends how important it is to me what they're doing, and like, like, okay, if it, let's say a gay person doesn't want to patronize any business that's been known to donate to causes that are anti-gay, I can understand that because you know they're going through that personally affects them. They're that's they're they go through their own struggles being gay and and, and some of the discrimination they face and. And, and attitudes they face toward gay people that you know that don't like them, and they don't want to give money to someone who's going to you know, someone's company who's going to turn around and take that money and use it against them. So I, I can understand that. But now, if it doesn't affect you directly, it's a little harder. Then then you could say, well, I don't approve of this, but it's not directly affecting me. So how far do I take it? Like, a, it, there's always a judgment call here. It's, it's there's no concrete way to say it. There's no concrete way to handle it. Like, like I can tell, like as a Jew here. Let's say I found out that, uh, yeah, some owner of a company was uh, was a neo-Nazi and was uh, giving his money to anti-Semitic causes. Then I, I probably would stop uh, 
patronizing them because it directly affects me. Like, so that's why that's why I'm saying here it's it's your own personal call of how much it personally bothers you that the money's going towards that, and and uh, a lot of times how much it personally bothers you is going to be attached to how much you identify with it versus something you just don't agree with, but you don't personally identify with it. But at the same time, I'm not going to criticize anyone for stopping to spend their money at a company because they don't approve of that, because it's, it's your money. You can spend it whatever way you want and, and it's your choice. So All right. that's what I have to say about that. Okay. Okay. Anything else, Larry? That's about it. Happy New Year. And by the way, Larry, I saw you were unhappy on the forum about me supposedly deleting your post and making my own thread. It was uh, well, it wasn't my own. It wasn't just mine, but well, that's why I deleted. What happened was it was about this thing with the Chicago beating I talked about earlier. It was that you and two other people had made some posts in the Trump thread about it, and one of the posts was a video that was no longer available. Uh, Two of the other ones were kind of short posts. There were like a few lines, and I said, "Yeah, this kind of deserves its own thread." And 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 I had already made my own thread about it, not seeing these yet. And then I tried to move your posts into this, and it was uh, it was showing up out of order. So I said, "Screw it." These three posts I had to delete weren't lengthy enough to be worth having to deal with all that. So I just left mine standing. It was it was not to steal your ideas, believe me. All good. Okay. All right. Well, th- thank you, Larry. Thank you. Thank you for you know the. Uh, I know you. You're very supportive of the show, and I know you. You donate to the free roll sometimes, and uh, I, I know you enjoy the show a lot. So I, I know you get a lot of shit on the forum from people, but uh, I'm happy you're here. Oh, that's okay. I welcome that. Okay, that's good. I'm glad you have a. All right, have a good one. Okay, thank yep. you, Larry. That's Larry Laffer. Larry Laffer actually. I remember when he first messaged me. He said that he was searching around for poker podcasts. This is how he appeared. He was searching around for poker podcasts, and he first found the two plus two poker cast and listened to it. And uh, yeah, he thought it was he thought it was decent and listened to it some. But then then he found this one and said, "You know what? I like this one the best. This is my favorite one by far." So he messaged me saying that he was at the time he hadn't posted on the forum yet, and he said that that he liked this the best of all the podcasts he found, and uh, he wanted to let me know that, and. Then he went back and caught up in all the archives, and that, that's really a dedicated listener. We we have some people like that that found the show later and went back in prior years and listened to all those to catch up to learn everything about what we've talked about in the past and the characters we've had in the past. And like he, he really has a very very good knowledge about the show. Like he'll say, "Oh, you know, you talked about this in April 2014." Like he 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 may know the show better than I do in some cases. So. Sometimes I'll actually hear old Poker Fraudler radio shows on the Call to Listen line and not even remember saying some of the things I said. Like, I'll remember... Like, I'll hear myself telling a story and I'll want to hear the rest of it because I don't know how it ends. And it's so weird hearing my own voice tell me the story. Maybe it's like an alternate universe me that somehow made it onto the Call to Listen line. Well, okay. It's about 2 in the morning here. January 8th, 2017. This will conclude our lovely show. Our first episode of the year, 2017. So we're probably coming back on the evening of January 12th. 
where we go from there? I don't know. But I'll try to make it a little bit more consistent in 2017. But like many New Year's resolutions, I may not keep it. Brandon, when he gets back from the PCA, provided he's not locked up in a refugee camp, will probably do his first show of his... I don't know what his new show is going to be called, but he'll do his first show. So, I'll be interested in hearing that. Hearing if the guests are still going to come on, they claim they're going to come on. And maybe we'll just have two weekly shows here on Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I don't know. Maybe you'll have an overabundance of Poker Fraud Alert Radio shows to listen to. Can you imagine you have to put in like five or six hours to listen to this thing, and then you've got to listen to Brandon for another five or six hours? You're, you're not going to have anything else to do with your life. But there's some people out there that just wish they could listen to 40 hours of the show a week. They just eat it up. I guess if you're listening to it at work, it really is easy to pass a lot of time with this. And you just wish for more. Well, maybe another resolution I should make in 2017 is to try to get some sponsors. But I'll tell you, if I ever get some sponsors here, I will never let it interfere with the content. I promise you that. I'll always speak my mind and... In the meantime, while we don't have sponsors, please click on the Amazon banner when you want to buy something. If you don't want to buy anything, it doesn't help me. I don't get anything from clicking on it, but click on it and purchase something if you want to purchase something from Amazon, and I'll get 3 to 6% of whatever you are paying. You'll do your little part to help PokerForAller.com. Thanks for listening. Shalom.